Welcome to the Grand Theft World podcast, hosted and sponsored by GrandTheftWorld.com and all the fine members who support our endeavors, even if we're a little bit late for takeoff sometimes. We always land and we always have an entertaining flight. Uh, we have a, a long history of uh, stories that are coming to us tonight. I've got several technical issues. I got some delays we're working through, but let's hit this week in Grand Theft World history. Donald Trump was indicted. And that's not a surprise to a lot of people. You saw this unfolding. But what uh, people aren't seeing is that this is the way banana republics work, where you put your political enemy in jail because you can't beat them with logic and reason. It is really the epitome of intellectual self-defense bankruptcy. There is no uh, justification for this. Now, in a savvy moving uh, move forward, in a savvy move forward, Vivek Ramaswamy has filed uh, with the Justice Department uh, a lawsuit that says what you guys are doing to these political candidates is wrong. Even if he's running against Trump, he's looking at the meta picture of defending our political system and making it not so much a political injustice system. Maybe that would have been a better title tonight, the political injustice system for this episode of 144. Now, Alongside Trump's indictment, you've got a Biden situation. Now, there's a little crossover in these two stories because the judge who just indicted Donald Trump used to be part of Hunter Biden's law firm. Yeah, you can't make this you can't make this sort of news up. It gets uh, crazier and crazier each week. You also have uh, Devin Archer has provided whistleblower testimony uh, against the Biden crime family, the crime syndicate, if you will, the Burisma. Uh, Ukraine dealings, the uh, uh, something that Tucker Carlson did a couple months ago. He interviewed the DC police chief about January 6th. Now, what Fox News didn't see fit to show you was this piece of footage where he says, ah, it looks like a little inside job. So we're going to see that uh, leaked footage uh, from this past week uh, circulated, and uh, it has a couple technical glitches in it too. But I think you can make out why Fox would edit that out and why uh, people went through great pains to bring this back to the public because the perspective it now creates is a larger perspective. And when you see that larger perspective, you can't limit yourself to that small-minded, nonsensical narrative of uh, an insurrection caused by Donald Trump when people on the other side were instrumental in creating that insurrection atmosphere in the first place. Now, uh, BlackRock is one of the three companies that run the world along with State Street and Vanguard. BlackRock is worth trillions of dollars. This past week, James O'Keefe of the O'Keefe Media Group had a great opportunity to present the world with uh, a BlackRock recruiter. And you get to hear how much it costs to buy a senator, to buy a congressman, and that this is how the government works. It's not your vote that counts. It's the lobbyists. It's all this other money that comes in uh, at, at the higher level, at the BlackRock level. So we're going to be learning about that tonight. We also have uh, this week, Ray Epps has accused Joe Rogan of, of, of starting January 6th. I know it's hard to understand Mr. Epps's position on that. So we're going to have to take a look at the clip because from my understanding, from seeing Ray Epps's tweets, not tweets, his texts, and also the recordings that were released, uh, I think it's pretty evident that Mr. Epps, you know, is speaking out his rear end when he accuses Joe Rogan of fomenting January 6th. Last but not least, we have uh, two more stories. 
There's COVID labs in California being run by the Chinese out of some Airbnb situation. That's not good. We have a press conference to show you about that. And uh, Max Blumenthal has challenged RFK Jr. to a debate. And thus far, RFK Jr. has pulled the Peter Hotez where he's not going to debate Max, but he's going to talk loudly in public about Max's positions and how they're incorrect, but not going to take the stage. Or maybe, maybe if they get through to his PR team, he will end up taking the stage and we'll see more of that fleshed out. We're going to get into it, but first let's go to Luke Bradowski from wearechange.org and thebestpoliticalshirts.com. And let's see uh, his take on this week in Grand Theft World history. As your governor, I promise you, whatever challenges come our way, I will always lead the California way. You are literally insane. I say that's the California way. You guys are really awesome. Thank you so much. Based on compassion. I mean, if we're going to be realistic, they pay you to be homeless here. Common sense. Clean and sober is one of the biggest damn mistakes this country's ever made. Uh, we all need to self-medicate periodically. Telling the truth. Telling the truth. Treasuring our diversity. Use the fist to hit my... Telling the truth. Following science. Protecting our planet. Love like yours will surely come my way. Hey, hey, hey. Gavin Newsom. Courage through crisis. Yeah, and that right there is probably going to be the next president of the United States. I hope you guys will be enjoying the California-ing of America. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. My name is Lukardowski here of WeAreChange.org, and there is a whole lot of absolutely wild and bewildering news to get into today as it looks like total bedlam, total chaos, total criminality is reigning supreme as, of course, there are some very influential voices in our society trying to excuse the utter chaos and violence that is being invoked on hardworking, everyday Americans that are just trying to make it by. This, as of course, we also have a lot of corruption within the Biden administration that finally is being exposed while there's just the citizenry of the United States that are acting just as corrupted, just as evil, just like their government counterpart and looting and taking whatever they want for themselves. We're going to be talking about that plus a lot more all here on this independent media broadcast. If you like the shirt that I'm wearing, you could get it on the best politicalshirts.com. People at Whole Foods freaking loved it yesterday. We'll talk about that in a little bit as, of course, the clip that we played in the beginning of this broadcast was originally shared by Kevin Dalton on Twitter. And I think he did an incredible job juxtaposing the insanity that the people of California have to go through with a Gavin Newsom campaign ad that soon might be going nationally as he is going to be debating the governor of Florida very soon. Why, when he's not an official candidate for the Democratic presidential party? Interesting. Again, we'll talk about that in just a little bit. All of this as clear pandemonium has hit the streets of New York City after a failed PS5 giveaway. Yes, a mid-tuber social media influencer, Kai Chanat, is now facing charges of inciting a riot because he said he would give out 
PS5s in Union Square, which led to utter bedlam. As of course, a lot of people showed up and there wasn't that many PS5s. So people just did the the most natural thing that came to them afterwards and uh, started to go crazy and steal and loot and beat up other small businesses to to, uh, make up the fact that they... uh, didn't get their PlayStations, something that social media influencer Hassan Piker was very displeased about. Now, he wasn't displeased uh, about an elderly worker, a person of color, most likely an immigrant as well, getting the crap beat out of him and having his store cleared out and, and looted. He was angry that people were talking about a 70-year-old person of color from the Middle East. That's probably an immigrant that got his store looted. Yes, you can't believe this nonsense, but this is where... The pulse of America is right now with Hassan Piker, Chenk Uger's underling, coming out very boldly uh, against this hardworking American. Are, are heading back and heading back. Um, you know, in terms you of see what dis- they're doing. being able to disperse this crowd that, that they were able to do. You guys see that? They're not following the narrative and showing black people as the perpetual victims all the time. How horrible. And this kind of deranged, delusional sentiment that is for rioting and for the destruction of of hardworking middle-class Americans' businesses is also being felt right now in Stockton, California, where two 7-Eleven employees are now being officially investigated by the local police department there for defending themselves and their business against a robber that tried to get away with hundreds of dollars of store merchandise. This, as we're also finding out, that this wasn't the first time this criminal robbed this business while in this particular incident, even pulling a knife on the store clerks. The store clerks, of course, intervened, grabbed the suspect, and then gave him a literal freaking ass whooping that went viral all around the internet and even had one of the best t-shirt companies out there in the whole entire political sphere create a meme t-shirt about it to celebrate the fact that if you F around, you're going to be finding out very soon as, of course, this was a larger representation of people finally standing up against the criminality that is trying to be normalized in this country, a part of a billionaire's plot who financed district attorneys all throughout the country that are literally allowing criminals loose, all a part of a larger divide and conquer plot. This says, of course, this is this is our t-shirt that you can get on thebestpoliticalshirts.com. And when we released it, we told you specifically, when this guy is going to create a legal defense fund, we're going to be donating all the profits from this shirt, as of course... This incident happened a few days ago, and we told you, hey, with the way that things are going, he probably is going to be charged soon. And we're still waiting for an official donation link. And again, we'll continue to be donating the funds from this T-shirt to his legal defense fund, as, of course, this sentiment of, of excusing brazen criminals pulling knives and stealing from businesses for multiple days is something that the system wants to excuse because they want you to to be a perpetual victim, which finally someone stood up and said, no, that is not going to be happening here. And now he is the focus of an official investigation by the Stockton Police Department that has announced that they are looking into this matter and might be pressing charges after giving the findings of their investigation to the district attorney. Now, who's the district attorney of of Stockton, California? Well, 
We're going to find out soon, especially if they're financed by this billionaire that everyone keeps talking about. I gave my two cents on the matter in the, in the comment section here that, of course, overwhelmingly is showing individuals who are saying, hey, th this guy defending themselves. As one person comments, these criminals, quote, are taking advantage of business owners because the government says don't try to stop them. As overwhelmingly, almost in the comment section, everyone is talking about how utterly insane and stupid the police department is for going after someone who clearly decided to defend themselves. As, of course, prosecutors, district attorneys all throughout this country are looking the other way as there's real-life victims, real-life crimes, real-life harm being done to individuals, while, of course, going after and carefully prosecuting and punishing people for political wrong think, as perfectly demonstrated by all the charges being brought up against the former president of the United States, and that is Donald Trump. This, as I think it's fair to say, that we have seen the politicization of our justice system that, of course, is going after the chief political opponent of the current ruling establishment heading into the 2024 presidential elections that look more chaotic and utterly insane the closer we get to it. This as Trump might be facing even more charges because of a th alleged threatening post he made on Truth Social, as we're also finding out that he has already paid $36 million of small donor cash to fight these legal indictments. This as a lot of these legal problems will, of course, be bogging him down, taking away a lot of his resources and time during a key crucial race where he is supposed to be campaigning. In related unfair political prosecution news, Elon Musk just announced that, quote, if you were ever unfairly treated by your employer due to posting or liking something on this platform, specifically talking about X or previously known as Twitter, quote, he will fund your legal bills. No limit. Please let us know. As people already mentioned, a lot of individuals in the comment section, even going as far as to post pictures of Roseanne Barr. Simon Goodick, of course, chimed in. So did Gina Carano. As I think it's fair to say, we're living in a society where people are being punished more and more because of their political expressions. And to me, that's that's ridiculous. We should go back to the days where people were friends with each other, even though they disagreed politically on key issues. Now, we, we don't really have that. We have the quite opposite of that. And that, to me, is troubling. And one reason why I personally decided to create the bestpoliticalshirts.com here with this particular broadcast is, of course, there, there's, there's so much news to talk about. There's so many different things happening right now is, of course, one of the major things is how the United States women's national team was kicked out of the international tournament in round 16, highlighting this meme video that is going viral right now. Now, that right there definitely deserves some equal pay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, I had to. As the blue-haired Justin Bieber lookalike, who's a feminist icon, missed the soccer kick, which uh, everyone is uh, talking about right now. But I think uh, don't matter as much as the latest geopolitical developments surrounding this Biden administration and everything else that's happening in Ukraine as one of the lead Republican presidential candidates, Vivek Ramaswamy, 
made a very interesting comment a few hours ago suggesting that the United States is aiding Ukraine partly maybe because of the Hunter Biden internal business dealings that happen within that country. Now, is that a possibility? I, I, I think it's not out of the realm of speculation here, since, of course, there was a lot of money transferred from Ukraine to the Biden family, particularly bank accounts that were shared with the current president of the United States. This, as it's also important to note here, that an unemployable crack addict was sitting down and having a lot of business dealings and important discussions surrounding national energy policy, prosecutors that were that were fired from the Ukrainian government with the threat of not giving aid to Ukraine. So we previously do know that Joe Biden, when he was vice president of the United States, impacted and directly fired Ukrainian politicians and withheld aid until they did so in order to make sure that a business tied to his son wasn't fully investigated. This as I think the question is, is, is worth asking how much of the current policy is impacted by money that switched hands between the Biden family and the Ukrainian government. This as Russia and China have been put together with a failed American foreign policy that, of course, is creating divisions internationally, but unifying a lot of our foes. This as tensions are rising internationally and creating a very unstable international situation that is not good for everyone, as, of course, we're also finding out in the making of this video that Russia just intercepted another U.S. drone over the Black Sea. This as disputes over territory and land, especially in Alaska right now, are very troubling to say the least. And it's something that, of course, we're going to be keeping a very close eye on. But hey, at least the Biden family has a lot of money in their bank accounts, right? So, you know, it's not a total loss. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what's happening in the news today. What do you think is going to happen with the Biden family and American politics? How intertwined, how corrupted do you think it actually is? Let me know. All right, so we're going to get deep into Biden crime family, Hunter's connections, Ukraine, Ukrainian biolabs, uh, the judge persecuting Donald Trump, uh, working at the law firm that Hunter was working in. We're going to get to all that good stuff. But first, we got a couple things coming up on the calendar. So uh, it is my pleasure if I can get this browser to work. Oh, geez. We got uh, button pushing. There we go. We have a conference coming up. We had one last January. It was very successful. It was on uh, critical thinking. It was on uh, how to be anti-fragile, how to have a proper attitude of gratitude, the motivation that you need just to get up and think you're going to do something and get it done. Well, this is a follow-up conference. Now, if you missed the first conference, you get the first conference for free with the second conference. And there's also a free lecture with the second conference. So everybody in the audience is invited. Free lecture, mindset two, it's where you're leveling up. We're going to work on organization. We're going to give you a methodology to get organized either in physical space or internet space. And uh, we're going to have a workshop after the free lecture. So you're welcome to come. Sharpen your organization productivity skills by leveraging the Trivium method. It's a simple three-step method that we teach. Uh, we use it in all sorts of areas, but this area is uh, focused on the organization part. We've done other areas where we focus on critical thinking, creative problem solving, active literacy expressions. So uh, this is just like a, a micro step. If you were around in January and you enjoyed the conference, then you're going to enjoy this one as well. Uh, here's the webpage. It is universityofreason.com forward slash mindset 
And uh, it's also going to be posted in the newsletter. So if you're listening to Grand Theft World, just check your email on Monday. You should have the newsletter, but it's universityreason.com forward slash mindset too. And there's a lot of different things included with it. So as you scroll down, you're going to be presented with options. You've got three options to participate. And uh, there's the lecture, there's the skills workshop. Here's your options, the VIP package. There's an all access package. And if you scroll down, there's also a free where you get the lecture only that's without the workshop. And there's one more or two more graphics. There's a whole lot of things we're going to cover during this work group session. It's on Sunday, August 20th from 12 noon to probably three or four o'clock. If you're sticking around for the workshop, we've got a whole lot of things that you guys have not seen before. So if you came to the anti-fragile workshop, this is going to be completely different and yet a little bit similar insofar as it's effective and you'll have real skills when you leave. Um, there's also a chance for people who attend. We did this in season nine for autonomy. So we're also going to offer it during season 10. There's a scholarship opportunity for people who participate and they're looking to work their way forward in life. There's sometimes a side door for the opportunity that you didn't think you could afford. Uh, last but not least in this, uh, next week of productivity, uh, there's the American Liberty Awards. So this is an award show of the people. We were nominated for best analytical broadcast. Uh, I'm not going to be there live, but I will be uh, be watching. It's hosted by Rob Dew. There's going to be a lot of cool people there. You can vote right here on the page, AmericanLibertyAwards.com. You can also get your tickets there. That's going to be a fantastic event. And it's just uh, an honor to be nominated among my peers. Uh, there's a lot of people I respect in the list of nominations. I had fun voting, so you can go to AmericanLibertyAwards.com uh, before August 12th, and you can cast your vote. And uh, it's five days, 20 hours, 45 minutes away, so don't delay. If you're watching this on a replay, you might have missed it. Uh, we also have Autonomy Season 10 coming up, and uh, it's a 12-week leadership, entrepreneur, and executive skills session that I teach twice a year. I teach it in person, live, real time. I put hundreds of hours into each season. You can learn about it at getautonomy.info forward slash ignite. And also we have an early bird discount for people who don't want to wait till the last minute. We're going to give you a substantial discount on the season 10 offering, which we have emboldened. We have added a whole lot of new value to it, uh, including uh, things that aren't even mentioned on the, uh, the ignite page but you're going to get to learn about it as you wade in. So it's meant that you have complete transparency. It takes a little time to get involved, to make it through the various steps in the process. But if you're interested, it's getautonomy.info forward slash ignite, and you can start getting uh, you know, your seat ready for the course that we're going to teach at the end of September for season 10, the 10th offering, 10th iteration, the 10th time we have improved the course to make it something that lasts you for the rest of your life. Now, um, the first workshop, I just wanted to make sure we had the, the URL clear in case I went by that too quick, universityofreason.com forward slash mindset two. And it's a free virtual event with a paid workshop. The workshop is optional. All right. With that, now I got all my notes taken care of. These are things I had to, you know, American Liberty Awards is going on in five days. We're nominated. I wanted to give them some love, some support. If you guys want to vote for your favorite uh, filmmaker, you know, uh, podcasters, all these things are in the voting. So there's a whole list of awards they're giving out, uh, AmericanLibertyAwards.com. All right. I made the comment that the judge prosecuting Trump worked at Hunter Biden's law firm. I'm incredulous too. 
how could it be so obvious so without any obfuscation that they're just putting people with a political agenda in the midst of this justice process i don't think those two things should be mixed i think we should have a truth and justice system and not a justice system for criminals they call it the criminal justice system for a reason so let's go to uh tim pool did a great analysis on this news of uh what do they call that conflict of interest yeah i think it's conflict of interest on the part of the judge prosecuting former president donald trump Donald Trump has been indicted on conspiracy charges. They say he conspired to defraud the U.S. They twist his words to make it seem like he was doing things he wasn't actually doing. And their argument is Trump knew full well he lost the 2020 election and he and his co-conspirators attempted to lie to the American public and the government to try and steal power. I'm just going to say it outright. There is not a single cell, a single atom in the body of Donald Trump that thinks he lost 2020. And the idea that you can claim Trump secretly believed he lost the election and was lying about it, I mean, that's just absolutely absurd. You can't simultaneously claim the man's an egomaniac and he puts his name on everything, but that he also thinks he could lose an election in 2020. No, Trump genuinely believed this. And more importantly, he was acting on advice of counsel. He had lawyers telling him what to do. Now, of course, Jack Smith, the man prosecuting Donald Trump, is claiming that those lawyers are actually his co-conspirators. Well, how about that? You got to look at this indictment, man. Well, I'll, I'll bring it up and I'll show you. It's fascinating. They use things like Donald Trump saying to remain peaceful and not to be violent was proof that he was trying to instigate January 6th because he should have said leave and that he was saying stay peaceful to imply they were peaceful. It's like, yo, you ask Trump to make a statement. He says, everyone's just stay peaceful, okay? And they go, aha, that proves it. And that's where we are. But my friends, ladies and gentlemen, the fix is in. Take a look at this story from the Daily Mail. DC judge who will oversee Trump's criminal case is the toughest punisher of the January 6th rioters and worked for a law firm associated with Hunter Biden. I love how they say associated with Hunter Biden, because my understanding is it is a law firm where he worked. Now, you can argue it's it's what is what does that really mean? They were the same company. It's one big, happy family tree, son. And you'll see soon when they arrest Donald Trump for treason, to borrow the line from Rap News. I'm being facetious. I don't think they're actually going to try Trump with, for treason or anything like that. Just uh, playing with words there. But the point is this. It's a big club and you ain't in it. Trump ain't in it either. You know what I think? I think Donald Trump wasn't supposed to win in 2016, but he did. They thought he was going to lose. They had plans he was going to lose. Hillary Clinton got really angry. She was supposed to win. It was her turn. You see, she was supposed to win in 2008. But Barack Obama came up and he won. He took it from her. And that was it. And they said, yeah, well, hold on. You know, once Obama is out, it will be your turn. So what happens when it's not her turn? Oh, boy, is she angry. And the Bidens, they're all part of the same club. It is the establishment. It is the uniparty. Now, I got to be honest, I'm not completely convinced that the uniparty is as unified as people might assume. I think it's more like this. You take a look at, say, like the, the Bush administration. I think they oppose each other in the same way that, like, when you're playing cards with your friends, you oppose each other. Now, you might have disagreements on which sporting team you want to win, but you're still cracking that beer. Cheers, ordering the pizza and wings and watching the game. 
And that's what it's like. They're all one big happy family tree, right? They're, 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 uh, they're all part of the same club, but they want to run things a little differently. So long as they stay within the confines of how things are supposed to go, seems to be okay. That means if it was like Jeb Bush versus Hillary Clinton and Jeb Bush won, they'd be like, they'd be angry, but they wouldn't be that angry because they know it's like, okay, well, I, I guess I didn't get it. But when Donald Trump wins, they're like, this guy ain't in the club. Okay, he's rich, he's powerful, but he was not supposed to win. And then Trump walks in and says, listen, we're going to do these things. And they're like, no, 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 no. You're allowed to do only A, B, and C, not one, two, or three. And Trump says, I'm going to do whatever I want. And here we are. Take a look at this. Federal judge Tanya Chitkin, previously labeled as the toughest punisher of January rioters, had previously worked for the uh, same firm. Look at this. D.C. federal judge was picked to oversee Trump's case, the toughest punisher. In a profile by the AP written last year, they said Chitkin has handed out tougher sentences than the uh, DOJ was seeking in seven cases, matched his request in four others, and sent all 11 riot defendants who have come before her behind bars. The article titled in January six cases, one judge stands out as the toughest punisher. You get it, right? It's because she's evil. It's because she does not exist to pursue justice as our country dictates, as our traditions dictate, as the law, equality and fairness dictate, she seeks to serve as a weapon and cudgel for a corrupt political elite. Donald Trump is no savior. Donald Trump is no saint. Donald Trump is not some powerful individual come to save you from the corrupt establishment elites. Donald Trump is but one thing, a wealthy, successful real estate TV, reality TV guy who wanted to be president, who has his own business interests, but was not part of the uniparty establishment. That's it. Vivek may be a little bit more of these things. Someone who actually may stand up and do away with these cultural evils and things like this. But I would not assume any of these men are Superman or anything to that effect. There are a lot of people who look at Trump and think he's this God emperor or savior. Nah, he's just a guy. A successful guy, a brash guy, a guy with a plan. But I don't see Trump as some guy who's like here to rescue America from the bowels of hell or anything like that. I see a guy who had his own personal agenda, thought he was going to run for president, wanted to do certain things, said he'd keep his promises to the American people, certainly had his own agenda, as I've stated, to profit and gain for himself. Who doesn't? And they said no. And they don't like what he's doing. They don't like what his plan is. They don't like his promises to you, and they're going to do everything they can to keep him out. They say this. Uh, let's read some more. Other individuals caught during the insurrection included Texas mortgage broker, blah, 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 blah. The 61-year-old was nominated by former President Obama, born in Jamaica and graduated from the University of Pennsylvania's law school. Chutkin had worked at the firm, the law firm, Bowie's Schiller Flexner in 2002 until she was confirmed as a federal judge in 2014. Bowie Schiller's strong connections to the Democratic Party and then second son, Hunter Biden, whose dad, President Bi whose dad, President Biden, is likely to face Trump in the 2024 election, was of counsel at that firm from 09 to 2014. It is not known if the two ever had any interaction. To put it simply, she worked at the same place and the same time as Hunter Biden, a guy who is currently facing serious scrutiny for criminal activities. But he's getting a slap on the wrist. He's getting a pass. Aaron Blake tweets, Trump faces 78 total criminal counts between the two Jack Smith indictments and Manhattan. You know what I think? 
I think that uh, the confidential documents indictment were to soften the blow. They come on, they say Trump had confidential documents. They say he's being criminally charged. And so what? It's not the biggest deal in the world. It is serious. They're like, wow, they've 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 criminally charged a former president. But what's this? What's the reality of the indictments? They're not that serious. I mean, it's serious. Don't get me wrong. But what's happening now with the 2020 election fraud charges and the January 6th charges is substantially more serious. I think their strategy was if they come out and indict Trump on 2020, it is a shock to the system. Too shocking, in fact. They need to soften the blow. So what do they do? First, the indictment you hear is tax stuff and whatever in New York City. Local charges. And it's like, wow, I can't believe that happened. And then Trump goes there. They say, ah, blah, blah, blah. And then he leaves. Then he gets the federal indictments for the confidential documents. And everyone's like, wow, I can't believe it happened again. You see, what they're doing is increments because they can't just come out and say, we are going to imprison our chief political rival. This is reminiscent of basically every single country that's gone through a civil war or revolutionary period. I've been reading more about a bunch of different things uh, from Spain to uh, Weimar Republic, uh, you know, even Italy, uh, which is a bit different. But uh, World War Two, all very interesting times, uh, the Bolshevik Revolution. Uh, you look at you look at how these things take place and what happens when major upheaval occurs in these countries. Uh, uh, additionally, I was I personally experienced the second revolution in Egypt. I see these things happening. And I see what's happening in the U.S. And while it's not, if you if you get granular, if you zoom into the micro, these things have similarities, but they're different. But if you zoom out to the macro, you see it's the same thing. Major upheaval in law, abject corruption among your political elites like Joe Biden, engaging in very serious crimes, stealing money, et cetera, et cetera. And then when there's economic crises, some kind of emergency, political upheaval, attempts to jail political rivals, we're here. You know, I'm looking at the indictment, and I got to tell you, no matter which way this cuts in terms of um, narrative, whether it be the Democrats narrative or the Trump supporter narrative, history, history will be viewed at this time similarly to every other revolutionary period. Put it simply, you take a look at Weimar Germany, the Beer Hall push. You've got Adolf Hitler storming into the Beer Hall, firing gun in the air and an attempt to overthrow the Weimar Republic and stuff like that. And they arrest him. He goes to jail. He then writes Mein Kampf. And then over the next couple of decades, you know what happens with the rest of it. You look at it in that context and you try and compare Trump to Hitler as the Democrats have done. And you could write a similar story. January 6th, the the January 6th insurrection, Donald Trump and his supporters tried to storm the Capitol to overthrow the government. Trump was subsequently criminally charged and arrested for it while in prison, blah, blah, blah. Granted, Trump's a lot older if he doesn't end up going to prison. I don't think he gets out and then runs because he'll be like in his late 80s or something like that. But it could be Trump Jr. Who knows? Who knows? First, before we get into uh, get it, I want to make sure I briefly mention Trump's six co-conspirators described the DOJ indictment revealed. Yes, his co-conspirators, Giuliani, do they, do they have the, uh, uh, there's the indictment. Co-conspirator one is Giuliani. Then we have uh, co-conspirator, look, look at this picture of Giuliani. Co-conspirator two, John Eastman. This is amazing, a conservative attorney who advised Trump. Sidney Powell, co-conspirator number three. She's 68. Wow, I didn't realize she was that old. Jeffrey Clark, co-conspirator number four. Well, that one's really amazing. 
We've had him on the show, I think more than once. Co-conspirator four is described in the indictment as a Justice Department official who focused on civil matters and worked with Trump to use the Justice Department to open sham election crime investigations and influence state legislatures with knowingly false claims of election fraud. Knowingly false. How do you know someone lied about something? This is the reason why it's very hard to go after people for perjury. Proving they knew they lied is difficult. This is why it's so hard to go after people for defamation. Proving someone know, uh, knew they lied is very difficult. If someone says something that's incorrect, how do you prove they're lying? They may genuinely believe it. I think all of these guys genuinely believed it. And I can tell you, I've talked to these guys and it is frustrating. Steve Bannon sitting here with me and we're arguing fraud and I'm like, I don't think so. I think Trump got anti-elected. They shut down everything, sports, movies, you name it. They then blasted on TV to everybody locked in their cubicle apartments that Donald Trump did this thing. It's his fault and you got to go vote. Then they delivered the ballot to their homes with universal mail-in voting. Come on. This is why everything changed. Procedural manipulation. Cleverly done. But digress. Kenneth Chaseborough is the uh, fifth co-conspirator and the unknown political consultant. Nobody knows who exactly that is. Interesting, interesting. Take a look at this from Michael Tracy. Trump was continuing to perpetuate the grand criminal conspiracy by tweeting out stay peaceful and no violence on January 6, according to the brilliant legal mind of Jack Smith. Could you not? In the indictment, it says the defendant repeatedly refused to approve a message directing rioters to leave the Capitol, as urged by his most senior advisors, including White House counsel, a deputy White House counsel, chief of staff, deputy chief of staff, senior advisor. Instead, the defendant issued two tweets that did not ask rioters to leave the Capitol, but instead falsely suggested the crowd at the Capitol was being peaceful. Huh? Yeah. Example one. At 2.38 p.m., please support our Capitol Police and law enforcement. They are truly on the side of our country. Stay peaceful. 3.13. I am asking for everyone at the U.S. Capitol to remain peaceful. No violence. Remember, we are the party of law and order. Respect the law and our great men and women in blue. Thank you. What are, you are you serious? Because Trump asked people to stay peaceful twice. He was actually secretly arguing they were peaceful is the most psychotic thing I have ever heard. This is more so Trump bumbling. I don't think Trump sat there and said, mm, I can't actually ask them to leave. I'll pretend they're peaceful. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And this is what they want. This is what they want to use to go after Trump. Jonathan Turley says, Special counsel Jack Smith just issued the first criminal indictment of alleged disinformation, in my view. If you take a red pen to all of the material presumptively protected by the First Amendment, you can reduce much of the indictment to haiku. I felt that the Mar-a-Lago indictment was strong. This is the inverse. This is closer to the case against former Virginia Governor Bob McDonnell, where Smith was overturned by, by a, a unanimous Supreme Court decision. The press conference held by Smith only deepened the unease for some of us. Smith railed against the January 6th riot and made it sound like he was indicting Trump on incitement. He didn't. The disconnect was glaring and concerning. I want you to see this, this portion here. This one's very interesting. Section 80, page 30 of the indictment. Also on the morning of January 3rd, co-conspirator four met with the defendant at his White House, again, without having informed senior Justice Department officials and accepted the defendant's offer to become acting attorney general. This is clearly uh, Jeff Clark. On the afternoon of January 3rd, co-conspirator four, uh, uh, four spoke with a deputy White House counsel. The previous month, 
The deputy White House counsel had informed the defendant that, quote, there is no world, there is no option in which you do not leave the White House on January 20th. Now, the same deputy White House counsel tried to dissuade co-conspirator four from assuming the role of acting attorney general. This is, this is really interesting. Let me let's say this. Co-conspirator four met with the defendant at the White House without having informed senior justice officials departments and accepted the defendant's offer that he become acting attorney general. They go on to say this, uh, co-conspirator four spoke with the deputy White House counsel on afternoon, spoke with the deputy White House counsel. The same deputy White House counsel tried to dissuade co-conspirator four from assuming the role of acting attorney general. The deputy White House, uh, House counsel reiterated to co-conspirator four that there had not been outcome determinative fraud in the election and that if the defendant remained in office, nonetheless, there would be riots in every major city in the United States. Co-conspirator four responded, well, deputy White House counsel, that's why there's an insurrection act. Also that afternoon, co-conspirator four met with acting attorney general and told him that the defendant had decided to put co-conspirator four in charge of the Justice Department. The acting attorney general responded that he would not accept being fired by a subordinate and immediately scheduled a meeting with the defendant for that evening. On the evening of January 3rd, the defendant met for a briefing and an overseas national security issue with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and other senior national security advisors. The chairman briefed the defendant on the issue, which had previously arisen in, De in December, as well as possible ways the defendant could handle it. When the chairman and another advisor recommended that the defendant take no action because inauguration day was only 17 days away and any course of action could trigger something unhelpful, the defendant, defendant calmly agreed, stating, yeah, you're right. It's too late for us. We're going to give that to the next guy. Wait, let me let me say this. I was talking on Timcast IRL about making movies. And one thing I've always really wanted to do is make short films that invert the narrative of popular movies. There is a joke about Star Wars that uh, A New Hope is a movie about a young kid from a desert planet who's radicalized by a religious extremist into taking a cargo ship and blowing up a military base. Yeah, that's Star Wars. Luke Skywalker meets an old Jedi in ancient religion. He then takes the Millennium Falcon, which is a, smug a smuggling ship, the cargo ship, and they go on a mission with a bunch of extremists and they blow up the Death Star. Now, the funny thing is, people were saying, yeah, but it's the Death Star, man. It's like a weapon. They, they blew up a planet with it. The Death Star was called Project Stardust. So my, my, my idea was like, it would be fun to make an inverse propaganda film where Darth Vader, a, 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 a Darth being just a, a rank in the military, was a disabled veteran, a war veteran who was leading the armed forces and was attacked by by religious extremists. And they blew up the De uh, Project Stardust, it was called. And they don't call it the Death Star. That's propaganda. You can invert the narrative. The reason I bring this up is I look at this story and I think about where we go in 50 to 100 years. And it really depends on who wins today. The narrative will be written by the victors. This is an attempt to reframe and rewrite what happened these days. There is no reality in which a mustache-twirling villain Donald Trump says, I know that I lost, but I will steal power, <laughs> and then uses force lightning on some unsuspecting young people trying to stand up to defeat him. The reality is much more boring than that. Donald Trump, seeing what happened in this country, genuinely believed there was fraud or untoward actions. And there are a lot of suspect things, sure, ballot harvesting, ballot chasing, etc. 
procedural uh, issues where judges threw out various lawsuits and things like this. There were 48 states embroiled in a lawsuit over whether or not the election was legal. They don't talk about that, do they? Now, witnessing all of these things and hearing this, Donald Trump and his team probably more so sounded like this. Trump going, there was fraud. What is this thing in Michigan? And then you've got a lawyer being like, we've got questions about the, the TCF center. You've got this Detroit thing and we've got to have an investigation. This. Do we have time to do it? Uh, I don't think we do, but we should go after these people because it looks like something untoward happened. That's probably how it really sounded. So here's what happens. If Trump prevails and wins in 2024, despite all of this, the narrative in the history books will say in 2020, there was fraud. Donald Trump tried to stop it. His legal team, valiant heroes, did everything they could, but realizing that the, the task before them was insurmountable, did the only thing reasonable and retreated, thus handing over power to a corrupt establishment political class that was seeking to destroy the United States. In 2024, after going about the traditional, normal, rational, legal, and reasonable process of being reelected, they reopened the investigations without the criminals and thus saved this nation. That's the narrative written by Trump should he win in 2024. Should Trump lose in 2024? This will be the narrative that Donald Trump and his cohorts sought to seize power and lied to, to, in an attempt to subvert this nation. His followers staged an extremist revolutionary insurrection and failed. That's how they'll write it. And you know, the interesting thing is, even if Trump wins in 2024, they could write it in the positive way that Trump is the hero. But it could be 10 years later when Trump then leaves office and the, the deep state returns that they once again rewrite the narrative. They go after him. They criminally charge him. History is written by the victors. And right now, what we're looking at is the unraveled twine that has yet to be braided. Think of history as this way. Imagine there are a bunch of threads and they have not yet been pulled together and braided. And where we are is the point where the threads are coming together at that braid. As we move up, the timeline becomes a single piece of braided thread. Before us, we see all the variables and all the narratives which could come together. We don't know yet which one will be the definitive thread in our timeline. That's the narrative. And it could go in any direction, depending on which threads get pulled in and how it gets braided. That's how I see the timeline and the variables. That's how I th see things changing. And right now, good pull it. it could be any one of these things before. All right. So that's the start of the unraveling of some political injustice going on in the system. Uh, the next clip that we have lined up is a much shorter clip because now you have context for the indictment, the arrest, the political persuasion uh, that's going on. Here is a, uh, a clip from earlier this week. This is Alina Haba. She is one of Trump's attorneys, and she uh, addressed the press conference right before, I believe, they indicted him. Let's go ahead and see what the perspective of the Trump camp is. Again, this is not a right or left show, but it is very, who's currently the former president. 
A leading Republican candidate in the 2024 presidential race faces the prospect of being on trial while running for office. Thursday, he pled not guilty to four charges that he attempted to overthrow the 2020 election. CBN's Brody Carter reports on the arraignment and the legal fight ahead. Protesters on both sides faced off outside the federal courthouse in Washington, where the former president was arraigned Thursday. Trump's going to march on. He's probably going to get more popular. Just blocks away from where the riot at the nation's capital played out, Trump entered the courthouse through an underground garage. Outside, his attorney calling the charges a political witch hunt. There only has to be proof that, number one, President Trump believed that this election was not completely honest. And number two, Jack Smith has opened himself up to a can of worms that we can now look at and really examine. The arraignment described as routine, but it was the third time in four months Mr. Trump has been booked and processed. He pleaded not guilty to all the charges against him. Those charges include conspiracy to obstruct the United States, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, specifically the January 6th proceeding of the presidential results, obstruction of and attempt to obstruct an official proceeding, and obstruction of rights. Altogether, the maximum penalties add up to more than 50 years. The judge then ordered Trump not to discuss the case with any potential witnesses. Before boarding his plane for New Jersey, the former president repeating the charge that this is all an attempt to interfere with the 2024 election. When you look at what's happening, this is a persecution of a political opponent. This was never supposed to happen in America. Trump's legal team will likely argue Mr. Trump's actions are protected as free speech under the First Amendment. However, Dr. John Vile, dean and professor of political science at Middle Tennessee State University, tells CBN's Faith Nation that argument does not necessarily apply. Speech is protected. Action is, well, illegal action is not. Uh, one could, you know, say it's a shame all politicians don't, you know, don't just drop dead. It'd be another thing to hire a hitman. The emphasis here is not on speech. It's on actions. It's on conspiracy. It's on obstruction. The next court date in this case is August 28th, five days after the GOP's first primary debate. Brody Carter, CBN. And now I know we're all fans of Middle Tennessee, whatever university that guy's that, from. Right, Middle Tennessee. I was <laughs> like, okay, that's. I watch them. I watch their football team all the time, Tony. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. If they even have one, that's a, what a joke. He, he's an expert. <laughs> I wonder like, they had to go to some middle Tennessee, like uh, some small, like local regional college um, in order to like get a professor that's willing to make an argument that the Trump's defendant or his the Trump's team of lawyers, their defense they're going to mount is going to be based on the First Amendment. But somehow the First Amendment doesn't apply because of the actions he took that obstructed the twenty. 20 election like how did it obstruct it from my understanding like biden got in and was inaugurated he's currently our supposed president or you know, the former vice president i really should say didn't they have that time magazine article yeah where they actually admitted that they obstructed that you know or influenced is probably the euphemism they would choose terminology that they would choose to use so yeah there's it's a that perfect element. example of the political justice system in this country <laughs> I mean, I looked at the Time indictment. magazine says it's okay over here, but over here, that's not okay. 
Since. Yeah, this is it's really weird. I mean, when you read this thing, it's I'm not going to get deep into this because this is a bunch of this is why lawyers are like the scum of the earth. Um, it, it goes on to state here the defendant had a right. This is point three under the introduction. The defendant had a right, like every American, to speak publicly about the election and even to claim falsely that there had been outcome determinative, determinative fraud during the election and that he had won. He was also entitled to formally challenge the results of the election through lawful and appropriate means, such as by seeking recounts or audits of the popular vote in states or filing lawsuits, challenging ballots, procedures, all of which he did. He and his legal team did those actions. Okay. But all most of them were thrown out to Tim's point, which is true on procedural issues and whatever. Indeed, in many cases, the defendant did pursue these methods. Okay, so it goes on to say of contesting the election results. His efforts to change the outcome in any state through recounts, audits, or legal challenges were uniformly unsuccessful. Well, they don't go into detail as to why they were unsuccessful. They didn't even get a chance to be tried. You know, that's what uh, uh, was it Shiva Ayodurai was arguing, like when he brought up. Um, like uh, an issue in uh, Connecticut, or excuse me, in Massachusetts, when it came to the Senate race, they didn't even like he. They never got in front of a judge, and certainly not in front of a jury of any type. Um, not sure this type of case would get in front of a jury, but the point is, like, they just get thrown out on procedural issues, and there's no real due process of law. So, and then it goes on to state that shortly after election, the defendant also pursued unlawful means of discounting legitimate votes and subverting the election results, but doesn't go into how he, and so doing the defendant perpetrated three criminal conspiracies. Uh, a conspiracy defraud the U.S. by using dishonesty, fraud, and deceit. So that's a First Amendment issue. We're back to the First Amendment. A conspiracy to corruptly obstruct and impede the January 6th congressional proceeding at which the collective results of the presidential election are counted and certified. There is no evidence that he had any intention of doing that you know he didn't maybe downplay what was happening but he certainly didn't uh help to incite that there's no direct evidence no smoking gun as they like to say that could implicate him and this is a criminal charge you need the evidence beyond a reasonable doubt um yeah it's not a preponderance of evidence right, you need beyond reasonable civil. doubt That's and it's right. not like uh anyone shut off his twitter and facebook so that he couldn't communicate oh, with his fans right that's happened too there so there's obstruction on the private side but i guess they're not beholden to the constitution which we found out recently and, how this and when went. it was unobstructed you saw that he was like hey everybody go home be be calm and peaceful and that's, that's right. what they didn't want people to see that that's, was worthy of censoring a president so they could build a narrative so they could build yes. a straw man based on this so that this all this is how you build a straw man to rewrite history and it just reminds me of this very famous quote by will durant history is mostly guessing the rest is prejudice there's also many other famous ones. Napoleon Bonaparte. History is a set of lies agreed upon. Um, history is a vast. Truly but that's not source. Like our- yeah, there's no <laughs> there's no reference for the. Um, oh, by the way, Hitler hey, I, said something very similar too. He said the problem history will or the history will be written by the victors. So basically, in regards to what happened during World War II and the buildup. So I mean, it was interesting. When history Tim- will be written by the people who funded Hitler. That's what I learned. Yeah, that's exactly what, that's what happened. And actually, that's, you know, what was it? We, we, we've read that quote many times. Hey, I looked up. I couldn't remember the name of that nice Time article in Time Magazine. So I just typed in Time Magazine 2020 election rigged. And look, it's the first result, Tony. <laughs> like the, the search engine knows bragging. the secret bipartisan campaign that saved 
the 2020 election. Saved. You mean stole? You mean stole. Okay. So you can also see how COVID-19 changed everything about the 2020 yeah, the election. Mail-in you can also system. see yeah. Yeah, right. how Donald Trump turned January 6th into a windfall, right? <laughs> this is such a propaganda paper outlet. You know what I'm saying? Like they're just oh, shoveling man. shit. To, but look at this shit they shovel. The secret history, the shadow campaign that saved the 2020 election, and they're heroes, Tony, they for doing these the things. Like covering the 20, up the Hunter the shadow Biden campaign. laptop. Yeah, they had to cover up the Hunter Biden laptop. They also uh, that was their main thing, but they also did whatever they could um, to not only cover up the Hunter Biden laptop, but then help perp- or perpetuate this whole lie about January 6th. So it's like a, it's a it's they it was in tandem. One, yes, they cover up the Hunter Biden laptop, but then after that, after the election took place, and Trump rightfully so, you know, called bullshit on a lot of it uh, because there was how many different districts? It wasn't a ton of districts, but there are certain specific districts, and they got Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, probably in Bucks County that were very highly questionable, where all the votes and the with the mail with the 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 mail in ballots or the ballot dumps in like three o'clock in the morning went to biden i mean you know but again i guess he was the most popular president in history what am i i must 81 million votes tony how can i forget such a thing yeah i mean there's he didn't even have to campaign bro look at obama he had to have posters by shepherd fairy they had to rip off some other people's art to make him an icon (laughs) hope and change they use the real communist words you know they had like all the communists behind obama the revolutionary sort of uh symbology yeah yeah Biden didn't need any of that, bro. He's got superpowers. We're gonna see. He uh, there's a new Kyle Dunnigan. We'll 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 check that out later tonight. Biden's got <laughs> I haven't superpowers. Seen I haven't seen that. Is it good? I actually thought it was pretty edgy because they they go pretty good. hard on the Trump kids too. Oh, good. That's gonna be great. Then I'm gonna enjoy this. Hell yeah. I want to cover the Devin Archer testimony and these sort of things, but before we could do that. I just want to show you the type of people who are bringing these charges, like the mindset, right? And it's hard to capture the mindset of the people prosecuting and and hiding and just saying, it's okay for Hunter Biden to do this laptop stuff, all this other Ukraine, Burisma, but it's not okay for Trump to do this stuff. It's just the hypocrisy, right? So Jim Gaffigan came out and he said, you know, I don't think America knows exactly what Trump derangement syndrome looks like. And he decided to do a tutorial while he was on the Joe Rogan podcast. Now, there's several clips. There's Jeremy at the quartering. Uh, We're going to show, I think, the liberal hive mind uh, because Jeremy had a lot of commentary that wasn't just a clip. And I want you guys to see like Gaffigan. And now Gaffigan, he's a talented comedian. I loved him in Super Troopers. Yeah. Yeah. He's fantastic at Super Troopers. That's an all time classic. But he's. He does not understand politics, world affairs, statecraft, international relations, any of the history that we talk about on this show, which is the actual factual above meta view of these things and not the Biden's at the control helm of anything type of thing. So, you know, we're going to show you the internationalist globalist perspective on this, but we need to zoom way, way into California to get a good look under the microscope of some Trump derangement syndrome. And uh, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy, but it is something that apparently is contagious among people who watch most of the news channels. So let's go to a clip from the Rogan podcast brought to us by Liberal Hive Mind.
Hey guys, welcome to the Liberal Hive Mind, a channel solely focused on exposing the abundant hypocrisy of the left. We live in a really weird age, man. And especially after the creation of Twitter, a social media website that essentially became a political platform, all of a sudden everyone's a politician. Anytime some major trending news event happens, everyone's gotta go to their Twitter and make a statement. All of a sudden, from the random clueless soccer mom to the random clueless D-list celebrity, everyone becomes an expert. It's a really kind of weird phenomenon, especially when you're exposed to the character behind the political statements. And boy, do I have the perfect example for you guys today. You know, comedians love to pretend as if they have such great understanding of political issues. And throughout the years, they've kind of garnered this authoritative sort of voice on the current political happening. And that's where the Joe Rogan podcast comes in. I know, interesting segue, but when you take one of these clowns and put them in an environment of open discussion of ideas, well then everything falls apart now, doesn't it? We've got an interesting interaction on the Joe Rogan podcast with Trump derangement syndrome sufferer Jim Gaffigan, and of course, famed host Joe Rogan. Folks, this is your brain on CNN. This is what LARPing as a political analyst looks like. We've got some stuff to get into, so let's roll the tape. Alright folks, so you guys have heard me refer to this concept of your brain on CNN many times. This, I think, is the greatest example of that exact phenomenon that I've ever seen. This person, Jim Gaffigan, has absolutely no idea what he's talking about, but you can tell that he's learned every single one of his talking points from CNN and MSNBC. So they, they, they silenced protest, which is right. a part of our freedom of speech. So this is a tactic that some government agencies uh, use okay, to stop okay, but, but peaceful wait a protests. All right, so what you're saying is on January 6th, that uh, this event that obviously Trump organized, forget about the Giuliani stuff and the, uh, you know, whether they thought that it was He definitely stolen. encouraged people to protest. Yes. But, all right, so you're saying that, like, the the FBI and Nancy Pelosi, and, and I'm, I'm not saying to, Nancy Pelosi. No, no, but, like, you're saying that, like, they're like, you know... We'll make this, uh, instead of uh, an awkward protest, we'll encourage it so that it'll be, it'll backfire on Trump rather than being this rising of people that uh, believe that there was election. I think it's certainly possible. I think possible. that would be hard. You think it's possible? I think it's possible. You don't think it's, wait a minute, you think it's hard to do? In the hallway. I mean, I'm exaggerating right. a little bit. Yeah. But, like, I don't see why that would be of use. Like, I'm more suspicious why Trump didn't call for backup when, you know, or, you know, for uh, the for the Capitol Police. You know what I mean? It's like there was and that like Michael Flynn's brother was, you know, what I mean, like there's there's way more conspiracy stuff against. Uh, against Trump and you know then I think the the slim likelihood that people were like oh Trump's a problem let's just get these people that are loyal to Trump to run into the Capitol so that we can arrest 300 people does that make sense no no it doesn't no. make sense no I think it's a standard tactic especially when someone is the enemy of the intelligence agencies with Trump that's absolutely the case. Trump set himself up against the intelligence agencies. It's standard for 
intelligence agencies in this country to encourage agent provocateurs or to employ agent provocateurs. And so you're saying when he was in Helsinki and he was saying, I believe Putin more than my intelligence community, that was something the intelligence community was like, we're going to get him. Well, I think they were going to get him in any way that they could because he's an enemy of the intelligence agency. In many cases, these are the people who are shaping political opinions for the average headline consumer who really isn't looking past, you know, basic celebrity tweets or, like I said, the headline itself. It's been almost three years since January 6th happened and so much information has dropped. I mean, frankly, it's embarrassing. Three years later and it seems as though you've learnt or you know absolutely nothing outside of what was presented in the official narrative. I mean, what you witnessed is proof of MSNBC indoctrination. The level of ignorance is astonishing. Trump should have called for backup. He did, multiple times actually confirmed in text messages with the then sergeant at arms in his communications with Nancy Pelosi's office. But the average person doesn't know this and it's by design. There's always a giant gap in people's understanding and it's done purposely. The media lies by omission and here's the result. And now there's one part that I found particularly frustrating and for me it was absolute confirmation that what we're witnessing is a brain on MSNBC and CNN when he said this. Trump lost the election. He is such a, uh, an amazing communicator, and he's convinced this loyal base that there was election interference. That talking point right there I find to be one of the most appalling and one of the most frustrating pieces of bogus left-wing rhetoric. This idea that Trump supporters or people who support Trump on certain issues or, you know, believe certain things, that the only reason they came to that conclusion is because Trump told them to. Just a bunch of mindless NPCs. Trump says something, they go do it. Or that becomes their new stance. This literally could not be further from the truth. In fact, most of the time, it's literally inverted. The stance grows from a grassroots basis, and then Donald Trump, being politically savvy, will pick up on the issue and make it one of his own. You're not operating and you're not arguing from a point of good faith if you're essentially generalizing all Trump supporters and anybody who may support him on particular issues as mindless idiots who are simply participating in a cult of personality. Yet, of course, we hear it all the time. And trust me, the irony is not lost on me. Speaking of that irony, there's also this moment that's making the rounds on Twitter. Or well, I think, look, you know, Joe Biden's relationship with his son or, uh, you know, who obviously struggles with addiction. I mean, look, half of our friends struggle with addiction. It's like, you know, he's a compassionate father. Is there some of that, like, um, some, you know, uh, let's make some money with uh, our influence uh, after after we left office or, or even during when, office or when he was even vice when president. we were senator or stuff yeah. like that. Is there some of that? Yeah. It seems like but there's like, a lot of that. But compared to Trump, compared to like Jared getting a $2 billion contract, compared to like, um, you know, like even the documents, like the the documents that like Biden had or, or uh, Pence had uh, versus like Trump literally showing the documents, some of them being of... I think we're going to find out uh, being really inconsequential. I'm not saying he was selling them. I'm not saying I don't know if he was, you know, it was like a big swinging dick move. I think that's different than, um, you know, Pence having some documents in his house that he shouldn't have. It's very little doubt in my mind that 
that Trump is the the most corrupt and uh you know you know was you know like just the the uh corruption i mean like i but there's I, repeated corruption with the Biden administration the, the 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 corruption with his son first of all his son struggling with uh, addiction that's not my concern I, that's not what yeah. i it's the corruption. It's the the clear influence by foreign agents and foreign. You don't think Trump has more corruption? I don't think there's evidence the same way that there's evidence right now because of the laptop and because of the recorded conversations. There's real evidence that they were getting money from other countries. What about? I mean, it's almost painful to listen to. It's almost giving me a stomach ache and a headache at the same time. Donald Trump is corrupt and guilty because you know I just I have this feeling there's yet to be any evidence to suggest that Donald Trump was deeply corrupt. I love the way these leftoids always default to the exact same talking point of Jared Kushner and the Saudis. There's no evidence of a Trump criminal enterprise, but somehow Donald Trump is just guilty. I know it. How do you know it? Why do you know it? Well, because the TV box keeps telling me that that's the case. I mean, what a dope. Figuratively and literally, the guy seems like he's, I don't know, on some sort of opiate or something. He can barely muster enough energy to speak coherently but the way he speaks isn't nearly as bad as the things that he's saying it is nothing but pure ignorance you know there's that famous study we've covered it many times and people link it all the time it went really viral during the trump years where essentially the findings of the research came to the conclusion that for the most part conservative-minded people are absorbing media stories from a more wide array of news outlets left right and center where lefties were living in a bubble this is proof if you live in hollywood if you're part of the hollywood celebrity class that knows everything about everything. They get their information from Rachel Maddow and the Krasenstein brothers. And the new one's probably Harry Sisson. They live in a little news bubble, a little Twitter bubble, and anybody who's not part of that group instantly gets blocked, is not on their feed, and that's how you become Jim Gaffigan. Now look, the clips are pretty long. He said a bunch of stuff. I could have went in and hammered every single point, but come on, we've debunked all those talking points a million times before. I'm not even going to repeat it. You guys already know what it is. Just thought I'd subject you to some tedious suffering. Hope you enjoyed it. That's what I got for you guys. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you on the next one. Yeah, that was some tedious suffering. Holy shit. That was awful. Trump derangement syndrome, man. I mean, <clears throat> Gaffigan, oh. he was struggling with that. Well, he, he didn't like actually make a single together. argument. He's like, I got a little... He didn't make a single no. argument. Neither does the news channels that he watches. <laughs> That's why his understanding's all fragmented. Because he kept saying, well, you know, the documents and then Flynn and or or, you know, giving um, that deal to his his son for two million. I was like, first of all, when someone doesn't understand, has never thought through why they believe something, they oftentimes commit a very consistent fallacy. And the fallacy is the petitio principi, which is the circular reasoning fallacy. So they just talk in circles. Now, the smart ones will at least restate what they're saying in different words. But the dumb ones, he kept saying the same thing over and right. over again. He kept restating himself quite literally over and over again. Well, the corruption, you think it's, you know, there was, uh, you know, talking Putin and Helsinki and you don't think that Joe, you know, Trump's more corrupt. And it's like, well, there's actually Joe Rogan's like, well, there's actual evidence, like a lot of evidence where there's almost none. And, and the evidence that was supposedly brought against him, at least for Russian interference in 2016, was faked with that the Steele dossier. I mean, holy shit. But if you remember, remember who had real Russia connections that we looked up like a year ago? I believe it was President Obama 
and Vice President Biden, who spoke at uh, Moscow University in Russia back in the day, they had a lot of Russia connections. It's almost like, almost like they blame the other side for what they're doing to create a smokescreen so no one sees what they're doing. Yeah, that's 100%. Or at least their side doesn't, because they don't gaslight us. They gaslight their own audiences. That's, that's the, the sad th- part. The, good point, Rich. CNN they treats their own audience like they're stupid. Yeah, yeah. Sorry for the delay, but yeah, the, the, the gaslighting of their own audience, that's the thing that's like he's sitting there acting as though there's not real tangible evidence against Joe Biden. And there's all this tangible evidence that he can't, you know, pronounce because he's not, he does not know of its existence. He just heard some talking points on, you know, from either his like bubble Twitter feed or from, you know, CNN, MSNBC, the liberal media out there. And he sort of is just regurgitating it, but doesn't know if that evidence is actually really substantial because he's not done the due diligence to double check to see, is this really an issue? Just like when, um, he said, well, you know, there's uh, with the, the, the with Trump not uh, you know, calling for backup and all that sort of stuff, which I'm glad the, the liberal hive man guy like called out. It's like, well, yeah, he did. And also, like, let's not forget the head of the chief of police for the District of Columbia came out and said that the feds were all over it and he knew they were all over it. Now, he doesn't mean he didn't come out and say specifically that the feds are the one orchestrating it. But he did say the feds were they were planted feds all over January 6th, who I forget his name, but he has a very uh, dubious past himself. Your, your audio cut out. Who got censored. Oh, sorry. It's the yeah. D.C. police chief. That's the next clip that we're oh, going okay, to check no, out. It's going to tie in. We also have. We had a couple other Rogan's tie, Rogan tie-ins, but to knit up this Jim Gaffigan angle. I'm not saying Rogan didn't play it right. He played it perfectly because we got to see the TDS on display. But one might say when he levels a claim, yeah, when he levels a claim that, you know, Trump didn't call for backup or he didn't try to stop it, you might say, what if he did? What if he did ask for backup and was denied by the other side? What would that mean? And then you'd watch Jim's wheels spinning and then he'd say, well, that means, you know, whatever. And then you show him the clip and now that's actually, you know, can register as what happened. And that's how Plato like wrote everything his entire that's on, Anything that Joe that's said, exactly washes. How he did it. Like that's all Socratic yeah. method, but very clever. Right. You keep asking it as though like in a very innocent way to give the person the, the feeling that everything's okay. I can answer it. They're giving me the opportunity to sort of express, you know, my own thoughts and ideas. You know, that's, it's how you ask it. It's the body language you convey. It's, it's the honesty. Like, are you doing it in such a way that's being cynical? Or are you doing it in such a way to like, you're truly curious of someone's state of mind and Joe Rogan, if he asked to continue down the way you just described it, that would have been brilliant. Cause he was, he seemed very sort of relaxed and was just having a conversation. He would have just spilled it all out. That's a really good point, Rich. Now it was mentioned that Trump's been indicted like four times in the past four months or, or, you know, he's been arrested. He's been fingerprinted. He's never been remanded to custody. Now as somebody who tried to overthrow the United States of America, Tony, and has jets and helicopters, he's not remanded to custody. That's interesting. Right. But it's also interesting that when they did the Mar-a-Lago raid and we looked into who's the judge writing that warrant and that judge used to defend Jeffrey Epstein. And that judge used to work for our government and then left our government from prosecuting Epstein to defending Epstein, right? 
that's an interesting thing. Just as much as the judge now uh, used to work with Hunter Biden, it's almost like they are all hands on deck. We have to save this sinking ship. Their people are figuring out they threw the election. There's all sorts of criminal syndicate stuff going on. Yeah. And it ties to the war in Ukraine. Yeah, 100%. That- That's exactly right. They have to, they're all hands on deck. They're throwing everything into the fire that they possibly can in order to, you know, create this sort of artificial sort of uh, fire in order to drum up sort of this idea that Trump is the the bad man that they they need to continue to sell their base on. I mean, this whole idea of like selling documents. What, we just talked about Vince Foster last week. I'm um, this last Clinton because Vince Foster, Hillary yeah, like, Clinton, we, right? Yeah, and like the, all the yeah. people, all the the Clinton body count and stuff. Like Vince Foster is one of the first ones on that list, and there was good reason because he was part of the selling the nuclear codes or selling different secrets through Mossad to the Chinese. And he had a Mossad hand. I mean, like it was very clear and like, but nothing crickets. Oh, wait. Oh, that's right. Epstein was the one who literally orchestrated the Clinton Global Initiative and the Clinton Foundation and also the Melinda Gates Foundation. He orchestrated, he was the found, he's the one who was the one that designed it. He was the producer of it, if you will. Um, you know, so like, let's not forget, right. like when they, when they're talking about selling dot, what documents did Trump's like how many the big thing is how if we honestly go back in history of all the different administrations all of them have taken documents uh various of di- various different classification levels off premises out of the white house whether it's right or wrong it's been done it's not something that's been enforced until trump did it so you know when you look at all the other to, to your point rich they're doing everything they can they're trying to build up any straw they're trying to build up a straw man neglected aspect fallacies through specious arguments um, neglected aspects. Sorry, I already mentioned that. What's the other one? Uh, excerpt lifting. That's a big one where they're taking him out of context, like they did with January 6th and what he said. I mean, a whole host of different situations. You can just, it's just a one long fallacy train. I mean, I could be, pretty much take every fallacy I taught in my course and find something within the past like two or three years that uh, sort of relates to this witch hunt against him. And I, we did not, as we've mentioned many times, vote for Donald Trump. We do not give in the two-party political system or democracy in any way. We're about constitutional republics, really just about individual freedom and whatever way we can help manifest that both for ourselves and for other individuals. That's all we're interested in is freedom and peace and love and all that good stuff. Like we're not on red team, blue team here, but this is very clearly a case. Yeah, Individual liberty. You can't have individual liberty without intellectual self-defense, some self-reliance skills. That's why we teach what we teach in autonomy, because we don't want to participate in the collectivist milieu that they're trying to force on everybody forever. Going back to Hunter, I mean, when they accuse Trump of selling secrets or classified documents, I mean, I think there's pictures on Hunter's laptop where he's like uh, in his underwear on the street corner saying, I will sell uh, presidential documents for crack. (laughs) Because <laughs> he's got access to the garage, you know, and the Corvette. Oh, I forgot about the, so, the garage incident too. I forgot. Oh, that's Marjorie. Yeah. Taylor, remember Marjorie Taylor Green was like two weeks ago or whatever? We played those clips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you know about this? Yeah. When she's asking the FBI, and what does all this power? mean? Yeah, yeah. What is this? That's that's a clever way of. Well, in those FBI whistleblowers that came out, remember um, O'Doyle rules O'Boyle, that guy O'Boyle, mm-hmm. one of the whistleblowers. Wasn't it our friend Stacy from the Virgin Islands, Epstein's congressperson, yes. that was belittling all those whistleblowers and moving to Epstein dismiss? Connect? Oh, that was RFK, I think. Where she, or was it with the whistleblowers? She moved to dismiss the entire testimony, or something like, or not yes. even have the their ability yeah. to even speak. 
something like that. I forget. It was either RFK. Well, that was RFK Jr. That was RFK. She's okay, been popular. Yeah. Virgin Islands oh. representing. So wait, six she's months. yeah, like Stacey Plaskett. <laughs> let's see, because she, she's the the majority Democrat when it comes to the congressional hearings. I forget the specific title or role she occupies. But let's see, before RFK Jr. and before the FBI whistleblower, there was the whole situation about the Twitter files. So you had um, uh, who was it? Uh, there's. Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue, but there's two. And it was Matt Taibbi and Matt Taibbi. Uh, Schellenberger. Schellenberger. Yeah, Schellenberger. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the two I was thinking of. She was, you know, that's when we first became familiar with her. I remember having a whole list of fallacies associated with um, her testament or her sort of uh, scathing sort of rebuke against them, which was anything but. And she had that puppeteer. That's remember right. the weird puppeteer last week? Was that the RFK or is that the whistleblower? No, that was the whistleblower, I guess. The, the Jeez, man. There's, so she's been through three um congressional it was a congressional or no, i think it's congressional testimonies or congressional hearings she's been like the uh democratic rock star making sure that she uh upholds all forms of tyranny for the establishment yeah otherwise known as satan's bulldog <laughs> suck satan's cock i want it sorry i had to that's a bill hicks joke that's a bill hicks joke. that's yeah that's uh it ties in with south park uh Bigger, longer, and uncut. All right. So uh, shut your fucker face, Uncle Fucker. Um, we're going to go to Tim Pool because he did an excellent report on the leaked Tucker interview footage. Now, Tucker used to have a show on the Fox. And on that show, he interviewed the D.C. police chief about January 6th. And they said some stuff. But there's some stuff they cut out of that interview. That is highly interesting, given this indictment of former President Donald Trump. Uh, let's go to Tim at the swimming pool and uh, let's get this clip under our belts. Between our ears, rather. Tucker Carlson had interviewed the former chief of police for the Capitol Police. In this leaked clip from the National Pulse, it appears to uh, have some heavy implications. The police chief saying that it appears January 6th was a cover up and that. Certain actors may have wanted January 6th to happen. And he's talking about law enforcement, not Donald Trump. When you piece this all together, it starts to look very strange. And a reasonable person might say, hey, maybe Donald Trump is being set up. Now, I don't know that for sure. I think it is a reasonable assumption. But people often ask me, do I really think Donald Trump can win in 2024? Of course, I think he can win in 2024. He won in 2016. And they say, yeah, but he didn't win in 2022. Sure, because he made mistakes, because Republicans made mistakes. Democrats played dirty, but they had to play dirty. This idea that Trump cannot win is predicated upon an assumption. The deep state, the bureaucratic state, the permanent government, whatever you want to call it, has such pronounced control over the whole system that they need not do anything. But that's just not true. This clip shows that there are efforts underway, or at least I should say suggests efforts are undertaken in desperation to try and stop Donald Trump. That is, Trump absolutely could win. Now, I want to play this clip for you, and then I want to talk about uh, some of the, the, the new developments that are coming through with what's going on and what's happening with Donald Trump's indictment. New information, of course. But uh, uh, consider in this clip, it is choppy for some reason. I'm not sure exactly why the National Pulse got this clip from uh, uh, it's, it's Tucker Carlson's show, Tucker Carlson Today. Of course, he's now producing his own show. We've got information about Joe Biden as well. 
They titled this Fox News deletes Capitol Police chief saying it was a cover up in Tucker Carlson interview. So it is choppy, but I'm going to play this clip for you now. Very oh, shout very out restra- to, uh, to uh, National Pulse. They released this, but it's Im- important that we comment on this. They're very oh. restrained and rational and not given an well, overstatement, obviously. But the facts that you're describing are shocking. I want to say the reason why I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, why did you write this book? I try to do what I can to get the truth out. Yes. You know, they didn't want me to testify in, uh, in February, on February 23rd at the Senate hearing. They only wanted people that are still currently in positions. I actually had to go in and talk to a friend of mine on one of the oversight committees to say, I will come there in person. I want to be there. I want to testify. So I'm glad you think I'm reserved. I'm, you know, to be honest with you, I'm a little pissed off um, because it, it, this didn't have to happen. If, if people were. He said this didn't have to happen. He chopped up, but you can. It sounds like that's what he said. He says it again. Reporting the intelligence correctly. If. I was allowed to do my job as the chief. I got a significant experience. If I was allowed to do my job as the chief, we wouldn't be here today. This didn't happen. Then see how you know, you're out there, you're lambasted in public, and it's all, you know, everything appears to be a cover-up. Like I said, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but when you look at the information the intelligence that it had, military had, uh, it's all watered down. I'm not getting intelligence. I'm denied support National Guard in advance. I'm denied National Guard while we're under attack for 71 minutes. You're in a f- he was denied National Guard. Fight? Yeah. A fight for a couple of minutes. Yeah, one wears minute. You out. One minute. <laughs> I was going to say, 60 seconds, three minutes. Yeah, exactly. Let me tell you, it wears you out. My officers were fighting for 80 minutes before the, the protesters ever broke through. Wait, can I say, so you described this as a failure to get the intelligence to the people who needed it, but it sounds like Worse than it sounds like they were hiding so, the intelligence. And that's what I'm getting at is could there possibly be that actually did something to happen and kind of wanted something to happen? They kind of wanted something to happen. Doesn't it's not a far stretch to begin. Well, to I don't know that. what the other explanation is. You know, it's it's sad when you start putting everything together and thinking about the way this played out. And I'll also mention two things. One police opening the doors to and waving people into the extent that there was one individual who was acquitted of all charges because you can see on video the cops waving him in. You also have uh, another video where a man walks up to two police officers and says, why aren't you stopping this? And the cops do nothing. I got to tell you, I've, I've made the point before. If Donald Trump did not order the police out on May 29th, he would still be president. I'll elaborate on that, but let's watch more of this clip. Uh-huh. It gets for concern. What was their end goal? You look at you look at what's happening. Was that their end goal? I don't know. Well, I mean, there's no question that what happened on January 6th has has really helped the Democratic Party. It's bravely politicized the U.S. military and the intelligence agencies and the mm-hmm. FBI, and those are all, I think, bad for America and violations of the Constitution. But they're all good for the. Party. That's the fact. Like that's what happened. Absolutely, and I, I write about that because, as a cop of thirty years, I'm a, I'm a rule of law type of guy. Yeah, you know, there's a reason that Lady Justice is depicted with a blindfold. As soon as you cut that blindfold off, the fairness of our legal system goes out goes out the window, and that is exactly what has happened. They have stripped that blindfold away from Lady Justice, and there no, it's not perceived as being fair anymore. This interview, of course, was conducted. Uh, let me make sure I get that national very restrained. Uh, logo in there at the end because shout out to them. This is this is, uh, you know, they they sourced this clip. 
Of course, this interview was done well before Donald Trump was indicted because of January 6th. Now, part of the indictment, uh, much of it has to do with Donald Trump trying to defraud the United States is the argument they're making. But January 6th plays a role in about half of the charges against them that Donald Trump instructed people to engage in the behavior they did. It's all lies. It's all lies. And now we can see how this story progresses. January 6th rider who took a Carlson guest said was a Fed is arrested by FBI. So here's some latest news. Once again, they're saying, oh, but look, this guy was uh, was arrested. That proves it. Well, NBC News is not saying that they're saying he got arrested. Yeah, this is meaningless. This, it, look, their informants get arrested all the time. Agents get arrested all the time. The arrests are show arrests. They're mock arrests. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know for sure. I just thought this was important to bring up as it uh, pertains to, to, to Tucker Carlson. We also have this story from The Guardian. Tucker Carlson claims in book Fox News firing was part of $787.5 million settlement. We've heard this one before. However, it's also been suggested, the reason I bring this one up, that the reason Tucker was fired was because of that clip we just saw. That Tucker was bringing on individuals, casting doubt on January 6th and how it all went down. Could it have been orchestrated in some way by individuals who wanted it to happen because they needed a pretext to accuse Trump of being an insurrectionist. Perhaps in this story from The New York Times from January, they actually talk about Stephen A. Sund in his book, Ex-Capitol Police Chief Faults Intelligence Officials and Military in January 6th Attack. Stephen A. Sund wrote in his new book that intelligence possessed by the FBI and other agencies should have had them seeing red. He also criticized the military's slow response to the siege. Now, despite the fact that he wrote this book and he laid out his view of what happened back in January, the New York Times view is that he's blaming their failures. When he actually talked with Tucker Carlson, he suggested, heavily implied, that someone wanted January 6th to happen. Now, many have speculated that there were intelligence agents that were encouraging all of this stuff to go down. There are questions about how Ray Epps was able to effectively get away with directly inciting the storming of the Capitol. He's on camera several times telling people to go into the building, instructing people to go to the Capitol. Yeah. Look, you know, if I were a betting man, if you came to me and asked me to place a bet, did elements of the Democratic Party and corrupt individuals want January 6th to happen? Yes or no? I'd bet yes. I mean, if you could definitively prove it, I just I would be willing to put the money on yes easily. Because this is what people ask me when it comes to Donald Trump running in 2024. Oh, he's running now, but running for the for the presidency 2024. Do you think he can actually win? And of course I say yes, but their response is always the deep state, the intelligence agencies, the Democrats, they will pull out every stop and do everything within their power to make sure that Trump cannot be president again. Yeah, they're evil. Jack Smith, the prosecutor, evil. Oh, I can break down why they're evil. It's really, really simple. Now, some may say, you know, a lot of these uh, leftists and secularists and liberals would be like, there's no good or evil. It's philosophical. There's good and evil. There really is. And I look at good and evil in a couple different ways. There are uh, there are moral absolutes. And these moral absolutes exist because I'm not saying morals are absolute, but there are some absolute morals like, you know, don't kill people exists everywhere in every culture. There is a problem with killing the innocent unprovoked. 
Now, when it comes to the broader idea of killing people, of course, self-defense and justice and things like that play a role. But for the most part, we have there are there are universal elements to life in this existence that we hold to be true. And they are. And I say I'll say this, you know, when I say absolute, I'm I am being a bit hyperbolic. Of course, there are evil people. And that's why I call them evil who feel that they have a right to take innocent life to do whatever they want. That's the point. That's what evil is. When you can see that overwhelmingly 99.9999% of people don't want the innocent to be harmed, and we desperately try to save the lives of individuals, even our own enemies, you can see those that act with malice and seek to harm individuals for, for no other reason than their self-gratification or pleasure. That's what I would define as evil. And you can argue that it's not really because they subjectively view themselves as right. Yeah, but no. They're acting in a, a deviant manner. So what do I see with the Democrats and Jack Smith? You can argue that the intelligence agencies are doing this because they want to preserve the American power structure, the liberal economic order, Western values to prevent China from taking over. Western values are truth, honesty, peace, democratic institutions, constitutions. If these individuals truly feel they're good, but would impose dictatorial regime policy to win power, they're evil. They're exactly the same thing that they claim to be fighting. Thus, all I really see is a bunch of evil, disgusting, twisted monsters claiming that they're fighting evil, disgusting, twisted monsters. And therein lies the great challenge of the moral, uh, the moral war. Do we recognize that if we adopt the tactics of evil, we become evil? Do we recognize that if we refuse to strike back with appropriate means, we lose. It's a great conundrum, my friends. If you know your opponent is cheating, do you decide to be a cheater as well because you want to win? Or do you refuse to cheat knowing that you will lose? It's tough, isn't it? If you lose, congratulations, you've lost power and evil wins. If you engage in evil tactics, congratulations, evil wins. There's only one hope that I have. The power of goodness, honesty, integrity, true American values and meritocracy, personal responsibility can just be strong enough to overcome evil. And that's what I see with these individuals, which brings me to this tweet from Judd Lagoon. Judd Lagoon, I don't know if I could say is evil or just an apparatus of evil, but I can show you, uh, I can prove to you they're lying, manipulating, cheating and stealing to gain power. Much of it could be based on ignorance. Some people do evil things because they're completely ignorant and, they, and they're well-intentioned. That could be this guy. Let me read you this thread. Judd Lagoon says Washington Post, Axios, CNN, and New York Times are all reporting that to convict Trump, Jack Smith has to prove Trump knew he was lying about the 2020 election. Trump's lawyers is sa lawyer is saying the same thing, and so is Fox. The problem with his analysis is it's completely wrong. In fact, it's not wrong. It, it is correct. Judd Lagoon, looking around at everyone, including liberal media outlets, the New York Times, for instance, and saying, I'm not the one who's wrong. You're, you're all wrong. Yeah, you're the odd person out. There's a reason why legal analysis from left to right says the same thing. You got to prove Trump knew he was lying. He goes on to say, a successful prosecution does not hinge on what Trump believed about his, the 2020 election. If Trump is convicted, it will be based on his actions. Trump had a right to lie about the 2020 election, whether or not he believed his own lies. OK, well, hold on. Lie is intentional misinformation. Being wrong is not lying. It's just being wrong. 
He says the problem is Trump working in concert with his co-conspirators. Let's slow down there a minute and say his lawyers pursued unlawful means of discounting legitimate votes and subverting the election results. Unlawful in what way? Challenging whether or not any vote is real. I can watch you fill out a ballot and drop it in the box. And then I can say, I will file a legal challenge. Not illegal. Not illegal to do so. So in what way was it unlawful? Well, he continues. Judd says, the indictment details how Trump conspired to create fake sets of electors in seven states. Then it sent these slates of electors to the Senate and the U.S. archivist in an attempt to cling to power. If proven, that's illegal, regardless of what Trump believed. And this is where Judd has just made it up completely. That's it. He just made this up. For what precedent in on what grounding does he have to say it is illegal to have alternate electors? In fact, it has been done before. Case in point, a tweet from me. Remember when Democrats refused to accept the results of the election so they convened their own electors to cast votes despite the state being certified Republican? In Hawaii in 1960, Nixon was winning by a small margin. Acting Governor James K. Aloha certified the Republican electors and they cast Hawaii's three electoral votes for Nixon. However, clear discrepancies existed in the official electoral tabulations and Democrats uh, petitioned for a recount. The court challenge was still ongoing at the time of the Electoral Counts uh, Act safe harbor deadline, but Democratic electors still convened at the Lulani Palace on the constitutionally mandated date of December 19th and cast their votes for Kennedy. How could it be that Donald Trump believed he could have Republican electors cast ballots, fill out the paperwork, send it to the Senate, and then have those votes counted? Historical precedence. It had been done before, was never challenged, and is presumed legal in all capacities because it is a part of our history. While seven states may be a bit more than the one state of Hawaii, let me make it clear. Democrats convened electors despite having lost the election, despite no resolution from the courts, sent those electors to the Senate, and Richard Nixon as vice president chose, despite Republican certification, to count Democrat votes instead. Historical precedents staring you right in the face. They can't just ignore that. It is a fact. This happened. It was Bad legally point. done. And is can. There are more clips to be had from the Trump train saga from this past week. As an example, uh, January 6th, Ray Epps is saying that Joe Rogan started it. Right. So you got that bit of craziness <laughs> oh, yeah, going on. Um, <laughs> But it's another Tim Pool clip, and we just played two tonight. So, uh, but also, uh, Patrick Bet David went on the Joe Rogan podcast, and he made a very compelling case for Joe to interview Donald Trump. Now, Joe is very resistant to it and has yeah. been over the years. But if you want to hear like Patrick unfold it in a way, he's just like, "Hey, can you imagine if Ali never fought Frazier?" Like, the, you know, when you look back at what he did as a lifetime legacy type thing, it seems obvious you should be talking to this guy and kind of bridging this gap. Right. So uh, we don't have time to play that whole clip tonight because I think there's another Patrick Bet David clip we're going to play with uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. They did a town hall and that was uh, that was actually pretty awesome. I don't agree with Vivek on a lot of uh, defense contractor issues, maybe. Right, his support for Raytheon and Northrop Grumman and Lockheed and these sort of things, very establishment. 
but I liked a lot of his other answers. And he's young enough and bright enough to continue learning and maybe see uh, more of the meta picture because he speaks some he speaks some truths during his interview his during his town hall um which you know is probably an hour long so i'm going to recommend that you go find it this week and watch it um he makes some points that are pretty edgy as far as what he's saying about the leader of china and some of these other things that it would make it back to the people he's talking smack on that's my point and so he's putting his his cojones out there and uh he's making a name for himself and i think out of the entire field, he's the one that probably has the most potential to grow and develop no matter who wins the next election because uh, he's an up-and-comer, and I'd like to see him maybe uh, debate RFK Jr. We'll also get to that RFK Jr. story later with Max Blumenthal because it's quite spicy. Um, but uh, So shifting gears out of Trump is the gist because uh, – that train goes on for a long time. It's kind of like that uh, Snowpiercer movie, you know. Yeah. It's, it's a long train. Yeah. So we'll I continue mean, to check in one, on that saga. One last quick comment about that. Is yeah, go ahead, quick. There's yeah. more than enough um, circumstantial evidence. We played that clip um, from Joshua Phillips, I think, from the Epoch Times, who did the what really happened on January 6th, or the truth behind January 6th, the real story behind January 6th, something like that. And you know, there when you when you just observe that alone. Like not there's so much more evidence beyond just that clip. But when you observe that alone and, and in juxtaposition to what the police chief said, it really paints out a picture that's very damning that every aspect. It's kind of like 9-11, right? It's like uh, if you were to take a forensic scientist, unfortunately, so or, you know, a forensic officer or scientist walk in there and observe the crime scene, they would say every protocol, every rule by which and methodology by which we are able to do our job has been broken you know how how can this happen every single one you know go down the list of how they are able to conduct their job based on the methodology that's been defined and shows that it's been defined because it works it's just crazy and also one last quick point tim pool natural law that's the reason why good and evil are absolutes and there are consequences to action by which we can then judge those actions in accordance with natural law and the law of identity. So look it up. Those will help you formulate why there are moral absolutes. So, your audio. Let's make sure you're not on mute. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. Thank, thank you, Tony. Because it's bad enough when the Zoom glitches. It's worse if I forget to unmute myself. Uh, if you guys find your way over to the Twitter and you're not following me yet, follow me at Tragedy and Hope. I want to show you this tweet that I saw right before the show. It's not the post of the show. No, no, no. It's this. Look at this, Tony. Who are these guys? Do you recognize these guys at all? Oh, my God. Peter Daszak and Anthony Fauci. Wow. When was this? If you match this up with the grant requests and the gain of function and the 7 million people dead, you might be looking to question these two characters. This I want to make this into like a wanted poster, maybe. You could like maybe Photoshop Jesus Lee in the background, you know, playing with bats. Oh, uh, that- Winnie the Pooh. Put Winnie <laughs> the Pooh in the background. Xi Jinping. Ping, ping. Oh, you're going to get Xi Jinping as so well. The, but over here Xi on the left. Right. Xi Jinping. Uh, oh, uh, Zhang Li Shi. Shi Zhang Li. 
something like the that. bat lady the bat lady yeah the this is the this is the batman this is the batman this is peter dazak he's the one that wanted to do the gain of function and all the mousification of the humanization of the mices and you know get the ace two receptors all connected up gain of function he's on video talking about it he's the grant receiver from this guy here tony fauci cuts the grants and tony these Fauci's people right here in this picture yeah, I mean, these are more responsible than that innocent pangolin that they try to frame. You know oh, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like the the, the, pangolin the evidence in the paper trail leads to these two gents. <laughs> yes. The pangolin rape case, which remains unsolved to this day. I think if we question the Batman, this is the cross-species connection right here. He might have been up to no good with uh, the bat cave situation. The aerosolization of mm. the vaccination for the bats like if you read the drastic documents let me bring that over here in the history that was, blueprint that's right that was the main if thing you look at the drastic right. yeah. yeah because if you just replace the word let me it's going to be a slow search and it might glitch because i'm on a wi-fi connection but let's just uh drastic drastic were the leaks right here's the eco health alliance and the wuhan institute of virology set up now if you were to look at their their document their pitch right all these links right here you would see right if you replace bats with people that's what they did (laughs) and this is this is like that's i'm not laughing i mean i'm laughing because it's just just find and replace yeah it's so right find and replace bats and replace with people and that's what they did and it's all right here and uh, this is available, this history blueprint for Grand Theft World members. You guys get to click into it. And it's also part of uh, the Mindset 2 conference. It, one of the packages has uh, the history blueprint and uh, like a tutorial showing all these smoking gun pieces of evidence that I put into the history blueprint. But I want to get to the Black Rock story because James O'Keefe, formerly of Project Veritas, is now with the O'Keefe Media Group, and he has continued his OMG. James O'Keefe ways, and he has <laughs> he has made another OMG moment because <laughs> when I saw this BlackRock recruiter, I was I was like, no way, no way, and it just kept getting worse. And I was like, this is all obvious; we know this, but the other people watching the video and you know the audience out there that have not seen such things, they would be very surprised by it. And uh, it's only about 10 minutes. It definitely needs to be in this week's time capsule of events in Grand Theft World history, because uh, there's definitely a pattern being built out through all these actions. And uh, O'Keefe is here to help us break down this pattern. Is this, tonight is this a with new this special one? report? We, we played this multiple times. Yes. Couple- okay. Is this a new one? No, no. This, oh, this, this, is, Black, one. this, yeah. this is BlackRock. I'm pretty sure it just came up a, co- a couple days ago. As far as I know, I could be yeah, wrong. This, we definitely I'm played wrong this. several this times from, today. This is one. This is from June nineteenth. I don't know. Maybe you weren't on for that one or something. But oh my goodness, we played this many times. All right, like a good month ago. I just wanted to point out that many times, did, many ways. We did. We did get this on the record. And Let me look over here to make sure extensively. we're. So I remember this very vividly because it was oh. so shocking. All right, so this. Yeah. So you, you and viewers at home that paid attention in June while I was at Porkfest or something? Is that what yeah, happened? Yeah, that's what happened. Maddie was on with me that Let me just night. Let see what the date is. Um, yeah, 6-19. Right. That would have been 
that when you're preparing for pork fest that's right and that was the one where she was on yeah it is okay okay yeah. all right well this is a great moment in grand theft world history because the clip i was about to show you which was news to me i guess is not news to you guys <laughs> well that was a good week for i mean i mean you're getting ready to travel up you probably had a whole bunch of people camping out in your backyard so good your, your audio cut out oh no there we go i hear something all right am i back on yeah there we go so i'm back. setting the timer now all right i set a stopwatch because there's a repeating drop in the zoom audio and now i'm going to time how long that interval is all right uh o'keefe media group blackrock whistleblower news to me not news to you guys because you're faithful grand theft world consumers and you caught that either live or in the replay he says you buy a congressman 10 grand uh that you know these companies blackrock vanguard state street trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars of control how do they have that control because they took pension funds like the national education association and they just take all those pensions and plug them in so they're playing literally with other people's money and larry fink and his coterie are playing with your lives like uh, it's their little toy and it is as long as we're ignorant of the people behind the scenes or even a you know you could say supra politics right blackrock raytheon trw northrop grumman these globalist companies have an immense influence on our government top down in a way that is not described in the constitution it is not part of a constitutional republic if the constitutional republic was so corrupt or broken they wouldn't have need to needed to come in systematically over the last century to corrupt and break it if it Correct. was failing on Very its own well the british em the british empire could have had tea and crumpets and come back later and, and scooped us up for a dollar instead they had to systematically undermine our country's fabric and culture by attacking the least among us by going after kids and instead of having education they give them indoctrination and you let that go on for generation after generation and you have exactly what we have here today a population struggling to mount an intellectual self-defense argument against these people who are inner inner uh, they're intellectually bankrupt so you know, there's a, good, a problem here a good the one side that understands reason is trying to use reason to explain it to people who don't use reason in the first place and that's a that's a no, non-starter man it doesn't go anywhere we have don't to cast be able pearls to swine. bridge this gap so that's my mentor would say don't cast pearls to swine. leave them to jesus leave them to jesus i would say a good analog since like you just were made aware of this video was this week to what the the blackrock recruiter would be the patrick bet david on joe rogan talking about how esg how like blackrock like utilizes yes that would be a good analog to this to sort of like bring it you yeah. know up to speed to you know how they're manipulating policies um like pri and, and private corporations through investment vehicles in order to facilitate sort of woke culturism and and whatnot so no, all right I so i've just uh shared that with ld in the control room and we're going to go ahead because that was the other Patrick Bet David juicy clip from that Rogan experience was him explaining the ESG, the environmental social governance aspects and the diversity, equity, and inclusion aspects because they all go together. They are part of the corrosive acid that's being poured into our society. 
because it's there not for the intention of making us stronger and building us up, but rather to pit everybody against each other. So we have a divide and conquer where we wear each other out and then they come in and attack whoever's left. And it's like the Chinese fighting fish metaphor from the beginning of uh, James Bond. Maybe it's from Russia with love. I think it's the second movie that starts out with the fighting fish. It's a good metaphor. They're using it for real. They're using it with Ukraine and Russia. They're just trying to tire out Russia. So when NATO comes in, Russia's, you know, been spent for a couple of years on this Ukraine situation. So uh, we're going to go to Patrick Beth David deconstructing ESG on the Joe Rogan podcast. This is a big event that happened this past week and uh, there's more to come, but let's get this first on the record. <laughs> the Joe Rogan experience. How much Joe have you looked at, um, you know, Larry Fink, Soros, State Street, you know, uh, Vanguard, BlackRock, how much have you looked at what they're doing and how, what their ties are? I've looked at it. Yeah? Yeah. They're pretty much running everything. Yeah. yeah. S&P 500, you know, the number that uh, 88% of the companies on S&P 500, 88% of them, the largest shareholder of those companies is either State Street, BlackRock, or Vanguard. 88% of them, okay? And then you see their influence in defense contracts, okay? So we went through a deal. I'm like, let me see if this, these guys, this ESG, Larry Fink, Vanguard, State Street, if they have any influence on military contract, defense contracts. If you Google the largest shareholder for Raytheon, three out of the four top shareholders of Raytheon, BlackRock, State Street, and uh, Vanguard. It could be top three with Raytheon, but I think it's three out of four. If you go look up General Dynamics, if you go look up Boeing, if you go look up, you know, Northrop Grumman, okay, and then you work backwards and you say, okay, how much money is that in, the, uh, in, in what these guys are doing? You'll find uh, uh, our, you know, the amount of money we spent in our military, $744 billion on how much we're making from de defense, but you'll see some numbers saying last year is 13% of our GDP, which is around $850 billion. That's more than the next 10 combined. We gave more money to Ukraine than Russia spent on their military last year. And when you look at these contracts, then you're like, okay, Fink is there, these guys are there. Okay, let's go look at Hollywood. Same thing you see there. Let's go look at pharmaceutical. Let's go look at this. And you're like, wait a minute. These guys essentially have a monopoly. Well, how big is BlackRock? $10 trillion. How big is $10 trillion? Only two countries have a bigger GDP than what BlackRock has, assets under management, U.S. and China. That's how big BlackRock is. So then they went and they started getting all these other guys to sign on and say, hey, we want you to participate with the same thing as well with ESG. And they ended up having, I think they had 31 signers, I think end of 2022, they got 60 uh, something signers for a total of $70 trillion of assets under management that they're controlling. So now they're controlling other places. And just recently, if you saw the rebuilding of Ukraine, did you see this contract? Rebuilding of Ukraine, $400 billion contract. BlackRock and Chase is helping rebuild Ukraine. And then, you know, okay, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but what the hell is going on here? They have that much control to get everybody to do what they want them to do. 
Yes. So Dylan Mulvaney, who cares? Why? Bud Light. How does that tie up? You got the DEI, the HRC, the human rights, and all this stuff. And then you go even deeper, which is even the crazier part, with you know, the, the education, schools, like, you know, the biggest uh, union we have in America, I think it's national education, something, NEA is the largest uh, union we have. Three million teachers are part of that union. And, and you look at that and you go deeper in that with open society and who's funding it, who's the money behind these organizations, comes back, Soros, Soros, Soros. How do you feel about the kind of power they have right now to fight against them? Because this isn't like a billionaire can come out and say, I'm going to go up, up against these guys. They don't have a little bit of money. A billionaire to these guys is nothing. They got the kind of control that can make companies fire boards. They can replace CEOs. They can replace leaders if they don't like. They have their hands so much into it where uh, many times when people say they, the people of power, the people of power, I'm kind of like, who are the people of power? Are you convinced these guys are really running the world? Or what do you think about what some of these bigger companies are doing, like State Street, Vanguard, and BlackRock? Well, they certainly have massive amounts of influence. What do you think they're doing? It's, it's, the question is, how do you fight it? Like, for example, the way we fight mainstream is by what? The show that we do. And we have to be patient. It's going to take 2, 3, 4, 5, 10, 20 years. Now you have some influence, right? Okay, we can fight. There is an actual strategy on how to fight that no problem you got a kid in school who's a bully he's bigger than you he keeps bullying you you have a strategy on how to beat the guy you take a year jujitsu two years this this that boom one fight he knows i'm never going to touch joe again screw this thing i'm not doing this no more right there is a play to it when you have this much joe 88 percent of smp 500 companies that is a form of a monopoly. If I'm a president, whether it's a Trump or whoever else goes out there and does it, our monopoly law in America is 50%. They say 50%. Like if you tie and said, at what point is a 50%? I've done calls with the FTC. Like we had one of our guys' technology we were using. The FTC called and said, hey, we want to have a call with you because they're thinking about buying this other technology company and we're worried it's going to be a monopoly. So we had the call, okay? At the end of the call with us, with a bunch of different people, we said, we love their product, we love their product. That deal didn't end up happening, okay? The monopoly law. Some of these guys are influencing it. But they say 50% is a monopoly law. Do you know how many people in America have an iPhone versus Droid? you know what the numbers, market shares in America with iPhones? I think it's like 60. 58%, 60%. That is already a monopoly. But who's knocking on the door of Apple? Tim Cook saying, hey, Tim, you got 58%. That's breaking a monopoly law. Nobody is. I think someone's got to break apart... You know, in 1993, I don't know which senator it was, They, th- these guys that were trying to get the defense contractors to be better at the pricing, what they were charging, because they were overcharging DOD and DOD. People don't know what the hell is going on. They're like, yeah, okay, how much? $68 million, do it. $1.2 billion, do it. I'm not going to over-negotiate the money. They took 51 defense companies, and they brought it down to only five. It's only five companies right now when you want to buy anything. Think about that. So defense contractors is five. We know how these guys make money. Earlier, you know, I was asking you a question, why do you think vaccine? And you're like, Pat, that's how they make their money, right? I mean, if if you and I run a hotel, rooms are empty, we're not making money. We need people to stay in the rooms. If you and I are running a hospital, we need people on the beds to make money. Yeah. If there's no people on the beds, we ain't making money. 
if these five contractors are fighting for $744 billion, what do they want more of? Wars. They want more people dying. You know the Papa John's saying, better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. Mm -hmm. You know, these guys is more wars, more people dying, more profits, defense contractors, right? That's a valid concern that I have. Because behind closed doors, this whole military-industrial complex, when you look at the numbers, whoever becomes the president, unfortunately, this guy's an anti-establishment president, good. Unfortunately, if you're an anti-establishment president, everyone's going to come after you, especially these military defense contractors. So if a president got up and said, if I'm going to be the president, here's what we're going to be doing. We have to look at all the contracts. You can't overcharge us. We have to open it up. You have to sell some of your companies. You have to let them be independent again. You have to do this. You have to let them go public, separate, whatever way you got to break them apart to have competition again, because we don't have that today. You know, so that is a major concern where we say we have a commander-in-chief, but really the commander-in-chief is Larry Fink today. The guy running BlackRock is really the president of the United States if we look at the kind of influence he's got in every industry, Joe. And he's like, well, you know, I kind of feel bad. I'm ashamed that all the weaponization, the word, you know, ESG is being used and all this other stuff. And Elon tweeted about the ESG. I don't know if you remember when Elon tweeted about ESG saying the S in ESG is satanic. Okay. So this is a part where even a Charlie Munger, who is Warren Buffett's partner, says, look, I love Larry Fink, but I'm not interested in having an emperor. Some words like that he said about Larry Fink. So this motive, and by the way, Larry Fink is an interesting guy because he majored in college political science. His aspirations was politics. He accidentally got into money, and he learned to trade, and then he lost $100 million at, at 36 years old, I think, and then he teams up with Schwartzman, and they start this company, and after a couple years, they got $5 billion under management, $8 billion, and $32 billion. And then they have a difference because, you know, he wants to give equity and Jamie's, you know, Schwartzman's like, no, and then they separate. But influence of politics, you get into business, you're a billionaire. It's you, Soros. So I'm, I'm extremely concerned about what these guys are up to. And we think our president is the most powerful person. That person is not. Because behind closed doors are going to be like, look. Guys, let's relax. That guy's only going to be there for four to eight years. We're going to be all right. He'll be out. We're running the world. We're okay. We were running America, but now we're running the world. We control all the ETFs in America. We're controlling all this stuff. Everyone has to come through us, and we can tell everybody what to do because everybody fears not getting money from us, from being downgraded. A Tesla on ESG score is nothing, but a Philip Morris gets an A rating. How the hell the company that's Philip Morris has a better environmental, social governance score, DEI, you know, not DEI, but the CEI, the uh, score they give it over Tesla. So th- they can bully some of these guys. Now, now, let me ask you this. What do you think the goal of ESG is? What, why do you think they're establishing these sort of parameters? Like, why, why is ESG a thing, and what's the benefit of it for them? So Schultz said something very interesting. Schultz says, look, these guys are driven by money. They're not going to do anything to destroy an economy to lose their own money because right. they want that. I said, okay, so very good. Andrew Schultz, I said, that's right. a very good point uh, uh, you know, on what you're saying. Fine. So you know, you know how sometimes Michael Jackson, you see the interview with him with kids. 
oh, they're just sleeping in the bed. That's all it is. And we're just having a great time and we're storytelling. And like, yeah, bro, I get it. You know, it's a little weird. You got a seven, eight-year-old, 10-year-old kid sleeping in your bed and you know all this stuff. And I'm just, it's a little bit fishy what you're talking about here. It's not normal. Well, if you're in Hollywood and you've slept with as many people as these people sleep and then eventually you have to have other options because what else do you do? You have to try new things. How many threesomes have you had? How many this? How many that? So you start trying all these other things and sometimes these guys go to such and such place. Doesn't matter. It's kind of weird and fishy, right? On what you want to do. Great. Okay. So why are these guys doing what they're doing? You have all the money in the world. You live in a $100 million house, not you, Larry Fink and some of these guys. You, mm-hmm. not, I'm not, I don't know if he lives in a $100 million house, right, but you got the saying. money to live in a yeah. $100 million. What else do you need? Right. You got nice cars. Jamie Dimon's got a $900 million art collection, according to an article. It's a nice art collection, right? You go to all the nice restaurants. You meet prime ministers. You meet presidents. And then maybe there comes a time when you're looking at a couple of these guys, they're presidents and prime ministers, and you tell yourself, I'd be a better president than you, bro. How the hell am I not reading a country? Or they tell themselves, you think you're a president? You're not a president. You work for me. What else is the motive? But ESG, how does that factor into But that? That the point is control is what I'm saying. So the motive okay. becomes control more than money. After you have all the money in the world, what's next? It's got to be control or a true vision. So a Soros, when you're talking ESG, that story is a complete different story. You ever heard Soros' interview with 60 Minutes where he says, I see myself as a god? Have you ever seen this uh, interview or, or what he says? No. Really? He said oh. he sees himself as a god. Oh, my God. Uh, 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 Jamie, do you mind pulling up the quote? I think it's if you type in L.A. Times Soros God, if you type in L.A. Times Soros, God, when you hear what he says, it's like the second to the last paragraph all the way to the bottom. The guy asks a question, you know, about who he views himself as. I want to, I want to quote it properly exactly what he says. In this Is there interview. a video of him saying Yeah, this? 60 minutes. There's a video as well. So if you go all the way to the bottom, go a little bit higher, go a little bit higher in the quote. No, go a little higher. I think it's a little higher. I'm kind of Keep going higher. I'm sort of a Keep going higher. Keep going higher. Keep going higher. Prevailing values. A little higher. A little higher. There's a part where he says, uh, "Keep going." What year is this article, by the way? Is this an? It's a. It's an old article. It's supposed October to be 2004. That's the one. This is the one. Uh, I've, okay, right there. It seems that Soros believes he was anointed anointed by God. I fancied myself as some kind of a God. If truth be known, I carried some rather potent messianic fantasies with me from childhood, which I felt I had to control. Otherwise, they might get me in trouble. And then on the next line, when asked by Britain's independent newspaper to elaborate on the passage, Soros says, it is sort of a disease when you consider yourself some kind of a God the creator of everything, but I feel comfortable about it now since I began to live it out. Uh, since he began to live it out. Okay. Um, and that reminds me of, who was the guy who had his Dybbuk? Um, the Dybbuk? Was it, uh... Uh, that was uh, Whitney Webb's guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to, it's uh, uh, Les Wexner. Wexner, Leslie yeah, Wexner. Yeah, Wexner. I don't want to pull out has the, book, the right? demon, but I want to take you over to the history blueprint because I do have a, I have a couple of these things, 
those quotes that you just heard, you've heard, if you've been a consistent listener of Grand Theft World, we've covered uh, the billionaire Soros who considers himself a god. There's a couple different references. So if I went to uh, search, there was these two articles here. So I was pulling them up over here. And if we hit this link, we might get the actual page. Los Angeles Times, George Soros, the god who carries around some dangerous demons. So he is just like Leslie Wexner, apparently. Tony? Just like, yeah, that's right. That's right. Is this uh, uh, alternate persona, alter ego, as they call it, right? You know, it's interesting when, uh, first of all, pop-up offer to subscribe. (laughs) Kudos to Patrick about David. That was phenomenal. Like that, that's, that deserves a slow clap right there. That was a, a, a brilliant breakdown of when you say, you know, when people use these, um, uh, pronouns, they, 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 like, who are the, they, right? Well, he did a good job breaking down who the, they are. You know, we, I've done this before mm-hmm. talk, going over Larry Fink, Ben Carson of the bank of international settlements that quickly quotes would be the internet or the central bank of central banks, right? The international central bank. You can think of it that way. But in the beginning, he mentioned the this BIS. idea. The BIS. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, what's curious is that he made a good point that me- there's a revolving door, essentially, of them sitting on each other's boards, like Vanguard and BlackRock. It's very messy or, you know, they're able to have majority ownership or have someone on the board from either BlackRock or Vanguard and that, you know, State Street, whatever. It reminded me of this book, Foundations obviously uh their power and influence renee worms are there's a section here i can't find the specific one but they made i'll just read a very small section there's one in particular where they go over specifically how they were all sitting on each other's boards when they talk about the rockefeller foundation the carnegie endowment um you know all these different uh the forward foundation the maurice and laura they were all sitting yeah exactly and so there's like a circular jerky motion yeah (laughs) it's a double dutch rudder so that way it's not it's not gay for them um so here's how we'll get to obama's letters later in this episode (laughs) that's a story for later but it's emory university this is on page 64 so i'll just sidetrack it quickly yeah yeah just to get this on the record so i couldn't find that specific quote that sort of hints at the same thing i'm alluding to the report proceeded the patterns of interlocking this is on page 64 the patterns of interlocking positions of power may take various shapes the following are the most frequent ones one trustees or employed executives are successive successively or simultaneously trustees and executives of several foundations two trustees or executives serve successively or simultaneously as officers of other tax-exempt foundations receiving grants and or retailing the wholesale grants from their own foundations three trustees Tony, or, yep. it almost sounds like uh sullivan and cromwell allen and john foster Ooh. dulles stovepiping convection current setup that they have there but continue please. No, that's exactly right you see you can draw this this is a repeating pattern that's what i'm trying to build so like patrick bet david's alluding to now with blackrock vanguard state street it's the same pattern it's the exact or what you talk about sullivan and cromwell OSS, you know, uh, uh, the um, Wild Bill Donovan and um, the two brothers, Dulles, the Dulles brothers. Yes. The book on that, if you guys the like old to boys, read, yeah. is called The Old Boys 
the origins of Wall Street. And it's uh, mostly attorneys, lawyers from Sullivan and Cromwell. And uh, whereas the city of London and their bankers provide a lot of the MI6 staff, OSS and CIA came from Wall Street bankers. So uh, they work and mesh very well together. Yep. And Burton Hirsch is the author of that book. Oh, yeah. That's a fantastic other show. That's a fantastic book. I think it was Emery, Dave Emery, that alluded, or like you, that That's mentioned another that. Emery synchronicity. Yeah. Not the university letters <laughs> where Obama <laughs> fantasized about men. Oh, I didn't. Oh, that's fucked up. I didn't. Oh, I yeah, guess we'll find out about that's that That's news later from on. this week. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. I was not expecting that story to uh, surface either. I do want to show you real quick since I do have yeah, go for Los it. Angeles Times article up here. Because uh, Patrick played it light. I don't know if he read the whole article. And there's a couple different resources because Soros Bob, wrote about you know. this in, in one of his books. Yeah. So uh, here. Uh, oh, despite. Man. Let me pull it up here a little bit. For Another you. Despite baseball. his reputation as an international philanthropist. <clears throat> Soros remains candid about his true charitable tendencies. I am sort of a deus ex machina, Soros told the New York Times in 1994. I am something unnatural. I am very comfortable with my public persona because it is, because it is the one I have created for myself. It represents what I like to be as distinct from what I really am. You know, in my personal capacity, I'm not actually a selfless philanthropic person i'm very much self-centered oh tell me more he yeah. says i'm kind of a nut who wants to have an impact okay and then but the speculators visions don't end there thank you next to my fantasies about being god i also have very strong fantasies of being mad soros once confided on british television in fact my grandfather was actually paranoid i have a lot of madness in my family so far i have escaped it in his book soros on soros he says i do not accept the rules imposed by others and in periods of regime change normal rules don't apply now the part about him being a messiah I didn't see that. Yeah, messianic so complex. Type in sort of messianism or M-E-S-S-I, maybe. Oh, here, right sure. here. Oh, here. It, it seems is, yeah. Soros believes that he was anointed by God. I fancied myself as some kind of God, he once wrote. If truth be known, I carried out some rather potent messianic fantasies with me. Oh, I've carried some rather potent messianic fantasies with me from childhood, which I felt I had to control. Otherwise, they might get me in trouble, right? Uh it's a sort of disease when you consider yourself some sort of God, some kind of God, the creator of everything. But I feel comfortable about it now that I've begun to live it out. Right. So he has this focus that's brought up in several, uh, whether it's his book or articles like this or other articles and TV shows that they cite in this article. And I think it's left out when, you know, somebody like Soros donates $18 billion to reshaping democracy. I think it's relevant and it's not anti-Semitic to bring up such facts. It's certainly not anti-Semitic. Right. <laughs> yeah. Testing the waters. Unless you're JFK, unless you're RFK Jr. Yeah. That's a whole mess there. We'll get to in a little and, bit. I'm and sure. you can't say it. Yeah. There's uh, shit. I thought, okay. There's, this is why there's been a reigning philosophy and reigning is the pun here of the divine right of Kings uh, going back to the Babylonian empire. <laughs> So, and it's carried itself forward through the Hellenistic and into the Greek expansion to Alexander the Great, Roman period, 
into the Venetian period, in the Middle Ages, and the early modern period, this concept of reemerging is the idea of the divine right of kings. Once you have everything, you know, it's like the Brahmin caste in India. You know, they see, they quite literally see themselves as being quite literally divine. There's some sort of, in other words, megalomania. There's some sort of like metastasized cancerous growth on the human ego when they are able to accumulate enormous amounts of power and wealth and essentially get anything they want on demand. Um, this is a sort of, they see themselves as now people who can not only judge, you know, the world, but then can also reshape it in the image. Look at what KC3 is doing with this new earth charter, right? And this idea, was it him? This idea of essentially, uh, well, pushing like for the Fabian societies. Yeah, sure. Staying glass of shaving the world. In their yes. Image. I got one more quote from this LA times article. His work as a self professed amoral financial speculator has left millions in poverty when their national currencies were devaluated and he pumped so much cash into shaping former Soviet republics to his liking that he has bragged that the former Soviet empire is now the Soros empire. Now I'm glad there's nothing going on with any former Soviet places right now causing world war three, but I wouldn't look at this guy as a suspect in any of that. He's never worked with, Gregory or Jeffrey Pyatt and Victoria Newland to overthrow democratically elected leaders of Ukraine before. No, so no, not at all. Nothing to see there. Nothing, nothing at all. Yeah, I mean, kudos to Patrick for getting that soliloquy on the Joe Rogan experience because I think, first off, it was brilliant that he worked it into his ESG monologue. Well, it's because the the essence is control. Because, he asked what yeah. when he asked what's what's this about ESG, and he goes into these stories about, you know, how people sort of uh, develop a, a pension for control and all these different like okay, you do this one thing, and then okay, it's like I can do this now. Let me try this. Let me try this. Let me try this. It's like all forms of addiction is sort of essentially sort of follow a similar pattern. In this case, that the addiction has to do quite literally with like if I can do all these things, then what's the next thing I can do? Let me try to control everything. You know. And to your point, Tony, I think you're right, but we should go downstream one more. Your, your uh, voice real quick. Hold your thought. Hold your thought. Your sound went out. Oh, he can't hear me. Did my sound go out? Oh, wait, there we go. Your, your sound went out. Oh, you're back. You're back. So we both like, no, you can't hear me. I can't hear you. Okay. So now that's start again. Start again. You said, let's go downstream. Right. Start from there. Yeah, we're going to go downstream a couple stops because, you know, Larry Fink and those guys, they've got the money and they work for the people who print the money. So those people aren't interested in money. They're interested in control. Now, once you get control, it's a different dynamic because now people listen to what you say. They they might have like a lockdown situation. They have to listen. OK, but that's not the end of the road or it's not the next stop down river. The next stop down river is power. Now, you have seen power demonstrated in the 20th century in the former Soviet Union, in communist China, in Pol Pot's Cambodia, and all, you know, all these types of places. When Stalin starved out 30 million people in Ukraine in the 1930s during the Holodomor, that was an exertion not of just of control. That's power. Power is being able to say, this is my enemy. I want him dead. I want him arrested. I want him gone from the, sea, the field of battle. That's not just control when they can have 
uh, you know, the National Guard stand down and let riots and insurrection happen and all these other things, right? That's not just control. This is exertion of power. And power, uh, Kubrick has a quote, like, real people with real power are dangerous and you shouldn't get close to those people. They have very different needs than the average human being. They're not interested in money. They're not interested in influence. They're not even interested in control. They want the ability to be able to walk up, shoot you in the head in front of everyone and walk away untouched. That's exertions of power. You saw yeah. it in China where they would just, you know, and you saw it in the Soviet Union. You saw it in the Gulag Archipelago. Yep, You've seen it in different places in the world. And the cartels literally have here. done that scenario. Literally that's, have done that scenario. Yeah. That's why they have ESG and DEI, Rogan. Patrick doesn't tell you that, that's but point. that's where the next step is. He wanted to come in light and this is Grand Theft World. So we're going to we're going to show you the next stop downstream from that. If you'd like to avoid uh, a culture where like in Cambodia, when I was a kid, they had a genocide. Pol Pot, who was Rockefeller and Brzezinski funded, indoctrinated the young people to go kill the educated older people. And they created a new society. It was their communist type revolution, right? Their cultural revolution rather. Yeah. So there have been the seeds planted in this country to create that type of divide and conquer situation. And I think those of us who see those landmines planted there, well, you know, let's, let's set them off from afar. Let's not go walking over them. Right. And I think that's what media and broadcasting and analysis and providing evidence and artifacts does for this situation. It helps people not step on those landmines because a lot of people died during COVID because they listened to Peter Daszak lie to you in the Lancet and Tony Fauci lie to you on TV and all the people who have foundations that were founded by Jeffrey Epstein telling you what you need to do with yourself. Bill Gates never even graduated college. He has no right to have influence over your health whatsoever, let alone the president's policy and uh, appointments. But that's a great point like, there, Rich. Uh, that's exactly what Patrick Bet David is saying. We've commented on them Thank many you. times on this show, but that's a great point because that's exactly like Patrick Bet David sort of he's I can't say he's quite euphemizing it, but he's he's telling it in a more roundabout way, right? Then, but quite literally, here's someone who has enormous amounts of money. Um, has manipulated essentially the sort of Rockefeller uh, model of philanthropy, um, organized and developed uh, and produced by Epstein, who is the architect behind the scenes, Jeffrey Epstein, the foundation for which he's made enormous amounts more money than he did at Microsoft, and then used that money um, well, for his money from Microsoft and the, what that he was able to utilize as a really, what they call it, uh, when you have had a a saying for this where she quoted other people it's like um it's a surreptitious form of capitalism essentially is what it is uh it, in order to what's that sorry the delay that they it's not coming through oh uh, either way it'll come it'll right, come I'll, through I'll, in a second i got you i got you. there it is there it is cartel capitalism yeah that's what it is it wasn't there's was another vulture something i think it was called vulture capitalism or something it's cartel capitalism you're exactly right um they were able to use that money to then fund be behind communist China or it's either the, the CPC or Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the major funders, of the World Health Organization, who set the policy for what most Western governments adopted. Now, there's other, you know, there's um, our NIH and CDC working in tandem with the WHO. I'm not saying it's just the WHO, but certainly that's how much power and influence Bill Gates alone has in health, right? 
and he has no medical degree. He has no real understanding. Yeah, he may defer to so, so-called experts, experts that he funds and has a, a vision for how he wants things to manifest in regards to especially control through vaccine mandates and vaccine uh, uh, passports and those sorts of things. You know, so it seems as though control is a byproduct, to your point, Rich, of the exercise of power. And, you know, I see you have George Soros. Yeah, I mean, um, people people see Soros as a philanthropist because he gave this uh, $18 billion. That's, see, that's the smokescreen the they news agency, So it shouldn't right. be news. Right. They think he gave the $18 because he's charitable. But he tells you he's amoral. He's not charitable, right? And that it's a facade. He tells you in his in his articles, right. in his interviews, in his books. He's very straight up about it. But people see this and they think it's philanthropy, Tony. It's power and influence. What was Renee Wormser's book right. called? Yep. From, Their Power uh, and Influence the 50s is the subtitle. Investigating right here. Their Power and Influence. Right. The non, yeah. Yep. Right. The, the nonprofit tax exempt foundations and Soros. Plays the education at that same board game. He works for the same people, right? And then, I would argue, why does a man like Soros give eighteen billion dollars to this pro-democracy? Right? Democracy is not a constitutional republic. Democracy is two wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner. It's an unfair balance, right? That's why, and they knew this back in the time of the Greeks. Democracy is not all you want you need a constitutional republic where the majority can't take away the rights of the minority soros has seeded all this 18 billion dollars through all these shell corporations and nonprofits and buying your da's because he wants power he wants the power to shape the world in his image and he happened to buy into the plan of a you know into a plan that was already ongoing Right, okay. well said. It yeah. was already ongoing. Very powerful. Right. So they trade their money for power at that level. It's hmm. a good point. That's they why they print it. That's they why they control it. Yep. Yep. That's right. That's right. That reminds me what happened to William Randolph first. That's exactly right. You think you have power through what you can manipulate with the news media? Yes. <clears throat> or just pull your funding when you try to blackmail us, which is what he tried to do. Well, it's also the lesson of Orson Welles. Yeah, Orson. If you try to make a movie about William Randolph first. <laughs> That's a good point, too. <laughs> oh, shit. I forgot. Yeah. And if so you're interested game. in that story, the movie is called RKO 281. Great film. Roy That's a great film. Good cast. Uh, Roy Scheider. And leaves Schreibner. Yeah, excellent cast. I was watching a movie, I'm sure you'll be familiar with Hollywood it. Hollywood and Power. Um, called Casino. Hmm. Robert De Niro. And um, a bunch of people. Have you seen that film? Yeah. Of course. Just, of course. I mean, it's, it's like the, the ending is like so. It's like uh, realistic. That's, that's how. <laughs> I mean, that's a Scorsese joint. It's like a, his sequel to Goodfellas. Like, you know, you got, uh, you know, these different decades that are covered and uh, really great cinematography and a realistic story of how <clears throat> organized crime sets up in Kansas City 
and then moves out to Las Vegas to help to fund casinos and stuff. And how the politicians the same, are. Uh, do you ever see the movie Bugsy? I don't know if I've seen that one. Uh, maybe. With, uh, Warren Beatty, 90s that movie. Sounds really familiar. And it shows Bugsy Siegel as a, yeah, a yeah. mob. Yeah, so uh, he didn't like being called Bugsy, but we know him as Bugsy Siegel. He's a mob, mobster. He moves out to uh, like California, and then he sees the opportunity to make Vegas a thing. And then he gets a whole bunch of people to to build casinos in the middle of the desert <laughs> and get Frank Sinatra to embrace it. <laughs> the reason why I brought that up all is right, like, so yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say that it was all about power. It's, it's my, all about power. It's my end of that one. But and like ahead, the, in the movie, it sort of just reminded me that like, it's like the politicians are many rungs lower on the chain, right? They're not that, like they're bought and paid for by the mafia many times over, especially when they're seeing the move from Kansas City to Las Vegas. So he doesn't get a fair trial for the Tangiers. He gets all upset and he's like, well, doesn't he understand? Like we control all that. Why is he making such a fuss in front of the senators saying that he sat down with there? It's like, oh, like, and then the, everyone gets whacked at the end. It's like, well, of course, like that's the way this game's played. I just read Whitney Webb's two volume set and we just did a whole book club on it. I mean, that's this, that's the repeating pattern you get. And her book set that you've covered more historically in a longer span of time, going back to the British State Department during the 19th century. It's like this is and, and then they're the chartered corporation, the British East India Company, and they're literally looting of the wealth of the world from other empires and other nations. I mean, holy it's this is the game. It's, it's literally a grand theft world. It's been going on for centuries, everyone. The British jacking of the Mughal Empire is epic. And <laughs> it really all is. the gold and artifacts and yeah, the stuff that they looted from the temples and brought back to England. I mean, you should you know, check that out. I mean, it's, it's, it's in, in fact, the word looting and to loot that comes from the British looting the Mughals. It's a Mughal word that is brought into English because the British stole it. That's crazy. How many times I've used that word playing video games? You loot him. Take a shit. Video games. Right, right. Video right. Games. Now, we're probably not going to have time tonight to talk about Neil deGrasse Tyson's comments about transgenderism. And if you put on makeup, you can be trans today. And if you take the makeup off, you're not. It's Wait, it's he silly. said dumb shit like it's that? Silly. I suppose it's scientist. Um, oh, man. I, okay. We don't have to go into He's such a joke. He's like a Sam Harris at this point. I mean, he's exposed himself more than more than many times to be intellectually bankrupt, but I didn't realize he still was like a thing that, you know, no. And, and we can play a couple minutes. We can play a couple <laughs> minutes because we need to have a laugh in between these heavy stories. Oh boy. And all right, let me uh, put this in control room and then I'll check my mic situation LD to see, cause I didn't switch mics, but if it sounds different, We'll see what happens. All right. So uh, this is brought to you by Jeremy over at the quartering. Neil deGrasse Tyson made some comments and maybe he's going to be wearing a, a tank top during this video, being a power man, or maybe not. Let's see. Or like a power bottom. Sorry. That's late night. We can say I've seen shit. Now, all right. Sorry. <laughs> Let's go to the clip. <laughs> hey, y'all come look at this. Suppose no matter my chromosomes, today I feel 80% female. 
20% male. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put on makeup. I'm gonna do that. Um, tomorrow I might feel 80% male. I'll remove the makeup and I'll wear a muscle shirt. <laughs> What's on everyone? Jeremy here from The Quartering. I hope you're having an absolutely wonderful day. I know I am. It's when, when, Tuesday? Wednesday, it's, I don't know what day it is anymore. It's, I never leave, okay, it's Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. I hope you're enjoying this video. If you are, uh, I only ever ask that uh, you leave a like on the video. And if you haven't yet, I hope today I will earn your subscription. I know it probably seems like a pain to create an account and do whatever, but uh, I assure you it helps and it helps other creators that you like to watch too, to subscribe to them so that maybe they'll get shown a little bit more and get some discoverability. So I hope I'll earn that today. Neil deGrasse Tyson. We all know um, a, uh, a much beloved astrophysicist very interesting man to hear talk about space things. When he talks about gender ideology, I really don't care what he has to say. It's very similar. You wonder, actually wonder why this seems to be with all these um, woke scientists. You know, science is a hard fact, right? It's a hard science, literally. And uh, you got people like Neil deGrasse Tyson and Bill Nye competing for who can be the bigger idiot when it comes to gender being on a spectrum, everyone probably remembers Bill Nye's heinous uh, rap song, My my uh, my Sex Junk is so uh, uh, uh. Remember that song? Yeah, yeah, that was Bill Nye promoting gender ideology using his position as a scientist uh, to um, spread, uh, I don't know, leftism, cultural Marxism, insanity. Well, it seems to me that a, an, I feel like I've seen this Neil deGrasse Tyson video before, but some new reactions are, are coming out, including uh, uh, some pretty funny ones. Neil deGrasse Tyson says, biology is insufficient at explaining gender ideology. It's actually 100% sufficient. It's probably the easiest thing to say, right? Uh, and teen transition activist, detransition activist, Chloe Cole rips his claims. Now, if you've been following kind of the uh, trans movement, you saw big, you know, it was very popular to get the surgery and all that stuff. After a few years passed, we're already seeing uh, many, many, many people regret those surgeries and go back, although their bodies will never be the same, obviously and become advocates speaking out against it. There's about a half dozen of them already that have become social media stars doing so. And uh, famous detransitioner activist Chloe Cole slammed Neil deGrasse Tyson after he posted a TikTok insisting that biology was insufficient in explaining gender ideology. In the video, Tyson said that people should think about gender as a spectrum because sometimes people feel more female than male, and sometimes they put on makeup in the morning, and sometimes they don't. None of those things actually determine what your gender is. Tomorrow I might feel 80% male, and I'll remove the makeup, and I'll wear a muscle shirt, Tyson said. Apparently the XX and XY chromosome are insufficient, because when we wake up in the morning, we exaggerate whatever feature we want to portray the gender of our choice, he continued. Cole, 19, who actively opposes gender-affirming care for minors after transitioning herself, called out Tyson for comparing biology to makeup in a video she posted to Twitter on Tuesday. Here's Chloe Cole. I watched Neil 
the uh, Degrasse Tyson flail around trying to describe gender as a spectrum and decided to refute some of his points in a short video. Uh, this is, um, you know, there's going to be more of this, by the way, shout out to Chloe Cole, big, big ups. Um, I wonder where the, where did you put the video, Chloe? Where did you put the short video? Um, or maybe you responded to it. Okay. Apparently the XXXY chromosomes are insufficient because when we wake up in the morning, we exaggerate whatever feature we want to portray the gender of our choice. Dude should just stick to talking about space rocks. Um, I think he's very, very good at that. I just find it bizarre that both of these famous scientists all have the same opinion on woke ideology when it's something that should, you know, brought to you by the follow the science people. They were also, you know, get the jab so you don't end grandma people. How about we stop oh, confusing we basic human biology with cosmetics? Like, what a weird jump. If I, I don't wear makeup most days. If I leave the house without makeup on, does that make me like 70% male? <laughs> Based on true. By the way, uh, definitely out of respect for the work that Chloe put in here. Uh, make sure you follow them on Twitter. Uh, it's at ChuCole, C-H-O-O-O-C-O-L-E. Suspiciously photogenic, former trans kid. Yep, had a double mastectomy and detrans at 16. Wow. Somewhere, I think I read that the United States was a land where we have the pursuit of happiness. If it was fine. only truly about aesthetics, nobody would care. It's my business. Because you're using 1950s gender stereotypes to justify an ideology that leads to the sterilization and mastectomies of 15-year-old girls who just don't fit in. Girls like me. Hashtag save the tomboy, right? Um, it's, it's wild to me that this is still, you know, a thing. And it's been a very short period of time, hasn't it? Are there legitimately people with gender dysmorphia? Of course. Um, are, th are those numbers wildly inflated because of the fame and fortune that seem to come with it uh, via apps like TikTok or pharmaceutical companies encouraging doctors who will tell the parents, if you don't uh, chop off your healthy daughter and give her a double mastectomy, she's going to uh, not be on this planet anymore. Does that stuff happen? Well, I've certainly heard it has. It's my opinion that the percentage of people who identify as trans is probably as much as 20 or 50 times uh, exaggerated as the actual number of people who have gender dysmorphia, which is a real thing. You'd think Neil deGrasse Tyson would know that. Suppose no matter my chromosomes, today I feel 80% female, 20% male. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put on makeup. I'm gonna do that. Um, tomorrow I might feel 80% male. I wonder what his gender was when you recorded this. Like, he doesn't have a muscle shirt on, right? No yeah. spray can, no falsies. It's probably like 50% male in this. I'll remove the makeup and I'll wear a muscle shirt. It's so wild to me that Neil deGrasse Tyson thinks that whether you wear makeup or not, uh, that is r relative to your gender. Like, bro, I 
was in a band from I don't know, 15 to my early 20s. I hung out with goth kids. There were plenty of males that were wearing makeup when I was in high school, and they were definitely uh, uh, had a, they loved uh, women. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Why do you they, there was no question whether or not they were men? They just wore eyeliner. <laughs> what about all the '80s rock musicians? Were they also gay or female on a female spectrum? You care? Yeah. What? 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 What business it is it of yours? to require that I fulfill your inability to think of gender on a spectrum. Bro, what, are you kidding me? Ha, most of the people that anyone has a problem with, okay, in this community are people who require you to fulfill or indulge their delusions. Are you kidding me? There aren't uh, cis people out there saying, you need to affirm my cisness. That doesn't happen. It's the other way, bro. Like, does Neil deGrasse Tyson, he probably only hangs out with Hollywood weirdos nowadays. Because the only thing that you've established in this video is that men wear trousers and tank tops, but women, they wear lipstick and dresses. The idea that people can be percentages ahead, of either ahead. male or female just... I'm not saying that Neil deGrasse Tyson lives in a bubble, but I do think he lives in an oblate spheroid. <laughs> Certainly speaks out of an oblate spheroid, that's for sure. That's the one from behind. I'm gonna change I'm gonna change gears. I got this for you guys next. Oh, from Peach. What show. if we're the what bad we're guys the here? That's a classic British show. Now, hold on. This is the New York Times. It's an opinion piece. This is August 2nd, and they got this thing here, right? And I can't get to the article. I'll log in. I used to log in. Now I don't log in. I go to archive.org and go to the Wayback Machine, and then I can see the article right here. <laughs> so that's how that works. What if we're the bad guys here? So <clears throat> Mr. Brooks, he opines, and he goes through and say, hey, maybe we got this thing wrong, right? Now, we have a story on this, but I, before you get to the story, I wanted to play the meme clip because the story is about they did the meme. And there is there is a meme about what if we're the baddies. And uh, LD, go ahead and roll that so people have the source material so that they can get the, uh, the fine work of the liberal hive mind story headline. Very well. They're coming. Now we'll see how these Russians deal with a crack SS division. Uh, hands. Have courage, my friend. Yeah. Uh, hands, I've just noticed something. These communists are all cowards. Have you looked at our caps recently? Our caps? The badges on our caps. Have you looked at them? What? No. A bit? They've got skulls on them. Hmm? Have you noticed that our caps have actually got little pictures of skulls on them? Uh, I don't, uh... Hands. Are we the baddies? Let's see. We should be able to hold them at this point here, at least for a few hours. Why skulls, though? What? Why skulls? Well... 
Maybe they're the skulls of our enemies. Go ahead and pull it. Maybe. That's from a classic British show. Maybe. Peep show. Maybe we're the baddies. Yeah, it's a it's a classic. I watched that whole whole thing many years ago. It's it's a little obnoxious and absurd, like British humor oftentimes can be, but it's very uh cerebral, you know. So it's uh the way they poke fun of each other like by the Monty going, Python. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of stream of consciousness where each person yeah. they're like roommates where each person is like thinking like how much they hate the other person, but then they're putting on all this facade of going through their daily routine and the shenanigans again with and that's I think from one of their episodes. If I if I remember correctly, that's where it comes from. Classic British humor. Yeah, so now we can go to some classic American humor. We're going to go back over to the liberal hive mind, and we're going to catch a story about uh, maybe we're the baddies. And I'm not sure if it's a sign of the tide changing, but it is interesting to see them opining. Hey guys, welcome to the Liberal Hive Mind, a channel solely focused on exposing the abundant hypocrisy of the left. I cannot believe what I just read. Folks, I just finished reading a New York Times article, and we'll be going through it again here for this video, where the title of the article itself is literally a meme coming to life. One of my favorite memes, actually. Let's cue the meme. Hands. Are we the baddies? <laughs> the are we the baddies meme that we have used so many different times. It's a question that I think people ought to be asking themselves these days, especially all the hashtag democracy resistance Twitter fighters, the so-called liberals cheering on endless wars in the military industrial complex, the so-called democracy fighters cheering on government weaponization and censorship, the so-called compassionate liberals, the tolerant left who are as hateful as you could possibly possibly imagine and as intolerant as you could possibly imagine, they ought to be asking themselves, are we the baddies? Well, it seems as though some of them might be, kind of. The title of today's article is, What If We're the Bad Guys Here? An opinion piece by David Brooks at the New York Times. It makes an important point. I want to get into it. We got some stuff to get into, so let's roll the tape. All right, folks, I wasn't kidding. Here's the article. What if we're the bad guys here? Donald Trump seems to get indicted on a weekly basis, yet he is utterly dominating his Republican rivals in the polls, and he is tied with Joe Biden in general election surveys. Trump's poll numbers are stronger against Biden now than at any time in 2020. What's going on here? Why is this guy still politically viable after all he's done? We anti-Trumpers often tell a story to explain that. It was encapsulated in a quote the University of North Carolina political scientist Mark Hetherington gave to my colleague Thomas B. Edsel. Republicans see a world changing around them uncomfortably fast, and they wanted to slow down, maybe even take a step backwards. Complete bogus, but anyways. But if you are a person of color or a woman who values gender equality or an LGBT person, would you want to go back to 1963? I doubt it. In this story, we anti-Trumpers are the good guys, the forces of progress and enlightenment. The Trumpers are reactionary bigots and authoritarian. Yeah, because wanting to live in safe communities and have the ability to buy a home and live a decent middle-class existence is somehow bigoted. I love the way they twisted and make it about race and identity. Many Republicans support Trump no matter what, according to this story, because at the end of the day, he's still the bigot-in-chief, the embodiment of their resentments, and that's what matters to them most. I partly agree with this story, but it's also a monument to elite self-satisfaction. Let me try another story on you. I ask you to try on a vantage point in which we anti-Trumpers are not the eternal good guys, you think? In fact, we're the bad guys. This story begins in the 1960s when high school grads had to go off to fight in Vietnam. 
but the children of the educated class got college deferments. It continues in the 1970s, when the authorities imposed busing on working-class areas in Boston, but not in upscale communities where they themselves lived. The ideal that we're all in this together was replaced with the reality that the educated class lives in a world up here, and everybody else is forced in a world down there. Members of our class are always publicly speaking out for the marginalized, but somehow we always end up building systems that serve ourselves. The most important of those systems is the modern meritocracy. We built an entire social order that sorts and excludes people on the basis of the quality that we possess most, academic achievement. Highly educated parents go to elite schools, marry each other, work at high-paying professional jobs, and pour enormous resources into their children, who get into the same elite schools, marry each other, and pass their exclusive class privilege down from generation to generation. Then he goes on and on, you know, your typical mainstream media article, just writing a bunch of nonsense, so let's skip some of these paragraphs. We'll probably get to the point around here. Members of our class also segregate ourselves into a few booming metro areas, San Francisco, D.C., Austin, and so on. In 2020, Biden won only 500 or so counties, but together they are responsible for 71% of the American economy. Trump won over 2,500 counties, responsible for only 29%. Once we find our clicks, in the book Social Class in the 21st Century, sociologist Mike Savage and his co-researchers found that the members of the highly educated class tend to be more insular, measured by how often we have contact with those who have jobs unlike our own. Armed with all kinds of economic, cultural, and political power, we support policies that help ourselves. Free trade makes the products we buy cheaper, and our jobs are unlikely to be moved to China. Open immigration makes our service staff cheaper, but new, less educated immigrants aren't likely to put downward pressure on our wages. Like all elites, we use language and mores as tools to recognize one another and exclude others. Using words like problematic, cisgender, Latinx, and intersectional is a sure sign that you've got cultural capital coming out of your ears. <laughs> no. No, but okay. Let's give him his point, though. Meanwhile, members of the less educated classes have to walk on eggshells because they never know when we've changed the usage rules so that something that was sayable five years ago now gets you fired. So you kind of get the point of the article. I don't want to read the conclusion because I think I've subjected you to enough New York Times for probably a lifetime already. The conclusion of his article is, well, that all may be true, but still, Trump's a criminal and he belongs in prison. He's an awful monster. Sure, yeah yada 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 you get it but excluding the conclusion that this clown got to in his article it is kind of like a half moment of self-realization or introspection you know i think these leftoids are starting to panic a little bit you know the elites like to pretend as if donald trump is done donald trump could never win another election he's facing so many charges he's unpopular yada 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 he's unelectable we're more scared of ron DeSantis than we are of donald trump that's what they keep saying but who are they trying to convince us or themselves a couple important points raised. The first one is the idea of electability. Donald Trump is being crushed, is what they want you to believe. But as the article pointed out, Donald Trump is performing better than he ever has. Let's take a look at polling data from the 2020 election, from early polling data all the way up to election day. You're going to notice an interesting trend. It's kind of hard to miss. It's literally a sea of blue. It's a sea of Biden double-digit leads. And this went on for over a year, all the way up to election day. And even with this, let's call it polling reality, Biden barely squeaked by with roughly 40,000 votes across three states. 
Let's contrast those results with what we're currently seeing. It's not even comparable. I think Democrats are starting to see some cracks in their own armor. And as was even mentioned in this article, maybe the Trump indictments aren't serving the purpose that we think they are. From their perspective, from their ivory tower, the justice system, which shall not be questioned, is protecting democracy. That's how the elites think about it, but regular folk view it very differently. And of course, people with eyeballs and the ability to critically think and move out of a little leftist eco-chamber. And maybe the panic is starting to settle in a little bit. Maybe their cases to take down Trump aren't as solid as they might be trying to convince themselves they are. You know, Bill Barr said this the other day. Also worried about, you know, what the impact is if there are acquittals uh, during during the uh, uh campaign. He's worried about the impact that of possible acquittals during the campaign. In other words, if all of these indictments against Donald Trump fall apart, well then elitist leftoids are going to have to ask themselves a very simple question. Hands. Are we the baddies? <laughs> and the answer is going to be pretty clear. Yes, you are the baddies. You did launch multiple endless witch hunts against the former president of the United States. You did enable corruption, fascism, and authoritarianism. The weaponization of federal agencies. Yeah, you did that. That's you. These people have their heads so far up there, you know what? It's unbelievable. These people who told coal miners to learn to code. The asset class whose portfolios did incredibly during times of endless money printing and extreme inflation, who told you that inflation was actually a good thing who continue to tout how Bidenomics is working when the average person can barely survive the same people who tell you open borders are a necessary and important part of a compassionate society but they don't have to deal with the downward pressure on their wages the same people who told you to defund the police that cops are bad evil and racist but they didn't have to deal with their police departments being defunded and their communities descending into chaos and the same people who tell you democracy must be preserved by weaponizing the state to go after their political opponent, the people who justify it, then write fancy articles for the New York Times, essentially confirming it all, but then only to finish, actually let's read the conclusion, only to finish by saying, are Trump supporters right that the indictments are just a political witch hunt? Of course not. As a card-carrying member of my class, I still basically trust the legal system and the neutral arbiters of justice. Trump is a monster in the way that we've all been saying this for years and deserves to go to prison. Yeah, I guess I'll just leave it there. These people are awful. The worst of the worst. They are the baddies. And man, I just hope the working class mobilizes, comes together, and hands them the greatest election defeat of a generation. It's 100% needed. Anyways, hopefully the video was coherent. I don't know. Maybe a little bit all over the place. Hopefully you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to leave a like and possibly subscribe to the channel. You know that we'd love to have you here. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you on the next one. Uh, quick, Are we the baddies? Quick correction. Are we the baddies? I mean... <clears throat> it's from... Uh, yeah, go ahead. Correct. Real quick, uh, it's from that Mitchell and Webb look. So it's Mitchell and Webb. I guess yeah. they did a comedy sketch like Key and Peele, but British, you know, duo essentially, like a, yeah. a, a comedy duo. So they did Peep Show. That's what like I like Laurel and Hardy. But that one came from that Mitchell and Webb look. The one I was thinking from from Peep Show is a little different, where they role play being SS officers, like Biden and Harris. <laughs> so I just wanted to correct myself, but yeah, it's very similar. It's all very similar sketches. Same same duo. So. You know, the New York Times, or was it the New York Times? Oh, it's the Washington Post that says democracy dies in darkness and they cast the biggest shadow 
over the truth <laughs> they can so that they can be sure that it dies in darkness they are you the know this secret history of the shadow campaign tony i think mm-hmm. we're taking it too seriously we're not supposed to take their admission of guilt seriously and we're supposed to just uh gaslight ourselves and pretend it doesn't exist and then we feel much better seeing their narrative unfold if we just pretend what we know doesn't exist you know pretend that there's no deep state tony pretend let's pretend for a minute because we're in the we're in the realm of pretend right wasn't that the uh the quartering video all about pretending well according Barbie to is the biggest movie, billion dollar movie yeah right that shames men and reminds like they're all about third wave feminism yeah. yeah yeah it's all about but making they try to act so like if the pretend we were, fantasy life is reality that's the that's the postmodern doctrine right so if we're gonna act- pretend right so let's so let's pretend with them for a few minutes Let's pretend that there was such a thing called the Dalton School. And let's pretend <laughs> that Bill Barr's dad used to work at the Dalton School. Let's also pretend no. that Jeffrey Epstein used to be a teacher at the Dalton School right around the time that he's meeting the Queen of England back in the 70s yeah. to get quite chummy with one of her sons named Andrew later on. Let's also pretend that the CIA did not fund Bill Barr's legal career. And let's also pretend that the British empire did not create the CIA for the purpose of undermining American values and freedom in the first place. Let's also pretend that Jeffrey Epstein and Bill Barr have no connection and that when Bill Barr was asked about the welfare of Ghislaine being kept alive, he laughed. He's like, oh, yeah, we'll take care of her. Right. So there's a lot of Bill Barr connections, and he's right up with this Trump thing. So it makes me ask this question. Now, this is hypothetical, Tony, and I would never kill myself. And I'm asking for a friend. But is Bill Barr on Epstein's client list? Hmm. Because that would answer a lot of the questions about this persecution going on. No oh boy. <clears throat> Bill Barr is an interesting character. I'm about ready to pull out volume two because there's a number of connections he points out beyond just the fact that at Dalton School, his father was the one who may or may not have gotten Epstein his job there. And then he supposedly, then later on, he has some sort of potentially romantic affair with some sort of violinist or cellist, I think cellist. And then that gets him access to the British royal family, um, like that doesn't make any sense. So it's a very, it's all very strange stories. She paints it that way because she's like, this is the facts that's been told by that's available in the media that she had to reference. But it's all very dubious and for good reason. Um, yeah, there's a lot of there's like three different players that may have gotten him his position at the Dalton School, Epstein. That is, um, then William Barr's father said donald or something got him it was one of those players potentially mm-hmm. you got him that position and then we all know you know the connections there and the, the, you know bill barr william barr being uh you know what director of the cia for how many years in fact under trump wasn't he still i don't think bill barr was director of cia but he was attorney general uh, attorney general i'm sorry i got that confused <clears throat> now Oh, I'm thinking of Let's Donald Barr. His father was director young... of the OSS. That's why I'm getting it confused um, at one point. Ooh, ooh, uh, I did not know that. 
Yeah. He, I'm going to uh, have to look that up. American educator, writer, and office of strategic services officer. So he's an officer in the OSS. That's why I get, I get the two confused because mm. there's a, there's a connection with intelligence, but I keep thinking it's Bill Barr. No, he was attorney general. Um, so we're back to the old boys, the origins of the CIA. Quite literally. Hirsch. Quite literally. Yeah. Yep. Mm. And then, yeah, it's a, that's only for people with like 40 minute attention spans. If it's shorter, that fact, it blows by. But that works to our advantage. So only people with long attention spans get that point. If you get my point. And apparently there's a they have a physicist in the family named Stephen Barr, a particle physicist. So they got all the various areas covered from science to politics to education and intelligence. Whew. Well, the family, it's like a uh, Trump, you know, his, well, his the, uncle. The Epstein bar connection does seem to be viral let me, let me these days. It's just everywhere. Yeah. Why don't you, uh, this is a shameless plug for one nation under blackmail volumes one and two by Whitney Webb. Tony's going to get volume two because that's where Bill Barr is most prominently mentioned in the Epstein saga. Now I was going to ponder if the Mossad had an agent like Robert Maxwell and he was running some blackmail media type operations and they needed to replace him, maybe they would bring a, a young understudy like a Jeffrey Epstein into the situation because he was a front man for a blackmail deep state network that has a stranglehold, pun intended, on a lot of American politicians. And that stranglehold has not gone away with his absence, which means the people who really own all that blackmail are still out there and still blackmailing. I thought there was more comments on that. I might be thinking. Yeah, Donald Barr. I knew this is that's why I get him so confused. So on page two, this is page two, everyone of One Nation Under Blackmail. Mm-hmm. I really got to get page just... two. I gotta get my new computer working so I can get this. Also has nice Lexley, uh, Leslie Wexner's uh, Dibuk in there. Yeah, Les Wexner's mm-hmm. demon is prominently discussed in those books. That's so true. that's another callback to an earlier story. Why don't I just About bring Jorge it up Soros. so people can see it? So everyone just grants me two seconds here. Because we're an analytical show, we're going to show you the analysis. Donald Barr. Come on, computer. Give me a solid. Searching four out of 1,137. That's great. So if not, I'll just read it, but let's see if I can get. Control F is how we do it. Just give you a little keyboard tutorial while we're waiting for his supercomputer to load. A donor. Not so super anymore. Oh boy, what the heck's going on here? Computer's being off. Okay, well. It's not going to come on computer. It's an audio show as well as a video show. <laughs> Here we go. Let's try this one more time. There we go. Donald Barr. Oh yeah. It talks about him getting a ele- or hired at the Dalton school, but that's not the point. Of- Here we go. Here. Yeah. I found it. There we go. Okay. Nice. Donald Barr was the son of an economist and psychologist who joined the OSS during World War II. He's alleged to have been a member of an OSS quote-unquote target team in Germany and to have worked at a prisoner of war camp. Hmm. So this is Bill Barr's grandfather then that we're talking about. It must be. So yeah, this is the first, right? Because we yeah. know Bill Barr and 
Right. And Donald Barr. So this is the first show that has gone in depth talking about Bill Barr's grandfather. So apparently there's some multi-gen. Your, uh, your audio cut out. <laughs> multi-generational is where you ended. I said yeah. uh, it's multi a multi-generational multi trend because look at Anthony Blinken. Anthony Blinken's dad founded oh, Warburg Pincus. And that's why Anthony Blinken was the guy that uh, kicked a whole bunch of stuff off a couple months ago. Like, this is why these people are in power. It's not like Blinken rose through the ranks and became qualified. He became qualified because he's the grandson of somebody who's been serving the deep state. So when you find people that serve the deep state, look into like how many layers deep does it go? And, uh, you know, it's no different than Justin Trudeau being the son of Cash, Cat, no, not Castro, uh, Pierre Trudeau, former prime minister <laughs> of Canada, who looks nothing like Justin Trudeau, but that's the fact that they honeymooned in Cuba and met Castro and his wife's hanging all over Castro has nothing to do with why Justin does not look like his dad. Nothing at all. Full stop. He's a big supporter of the deep state and the, uh, the English speaking new world. Order. Justin Trudeau is in a little bit of trouble. I think he had a little affair situation going on over in Canada. I think what's your face was talking about it. So he didn't, we'll he didn't secure end. that wife situation, I guess. He didn't cut her into the Jets and uh, the Christia Vreeland. No, uh, that's right. Yeah. Planned the, for uh, the plutocracy. Hey, what was that book she wrote? The I thought it was called The Plutocrats. Yeah, Plutocrats. Yeah, yeah. The world, like them and the world that they're creating without you. That's basically the subtitle of it. And she's the Deputy Prime Minister of Canada and uh, Board of Directors of the World Economic Forum. It's like a more brazen superclass. Or whatever we infiltrate the cabinets with our people but it hey, says class. here to continue real quick to finish out yeah, what uh, Whitney wrote about him. academic analysis please his son william barr would subsequently follow his father so it's his father so donald barr was a son of an economist and psychologist who joined oscc donald barr was the son of an economist and psychologist yeah. who joined the uss during world war ii he's alleged to have been a member of an oss target team this would be donald barr in germany to have worked at a prisoner of war camp his son william barr would subsequently follow his father into the world of intelligence and served in the CIA. I thought, yeah, okay. So I was right about served in the CIA from 71 to 77. Mm -hmm. So it was much earlier on. So both Donald Barr, OSS, son, CIA, William Barr, 71, 77 CIA, which overlaps for the last few years. His father was headmaster at the Dalton School, including the year Donald Barr is alleged to have hired Jeffrey Epstein. William Barr, whose alleged role in Iran Contra was mentioned in chapter eight. Would go on to serve as attorney general under George H.W. Bush and Donald Trump and served in that capacity when Jeffrey Epstein was arrested and found dead in New York prison in 2019. After exiting from U.S. intelligence, Barr briefly worked as a literary editor and then went into academia. He taught English at Columbia for 10 years while pursuing graduate studies. There he started a series of conferences in 1955 focused on, quote, the identification, guidance and instruction of the gifted. End quote. Mm. Barr joined the School of Engineering the following year, and these conferences then grew into the Science Honors Program, which offers Saudi classes to gifted high schoolers. At the same time he was running this high school-focused program, Barr was also directing the Talent Preservation Project, quote, a massive research and therapy program for high school underachievers, end quote. It is possible that there may have been an early Epstein-Barr connection if Epstein had attended one of these programs for gifted high school students. 
which he apparently he was considered to be a gifted high IQ sort of individual. I've seen that as so wouldn't be, you know, too wayward to consider that. Yeah, now you've got me feeling guilty for being in the gifted program and going to the Westinghouse Science Honors Institute. <laughs> Nothing wrong with being high IQ. And high IQ doesn't say you're going to be moral or uh, that's just, well, it's correlated with success, but it doesn't tell you're going to, your life is going to be happy and satisfied and hey, have life of meaning. It just says you can recognize patterns really fast and have good memory. That's hey, in a general the, sense. The difference is I was never under the impression during my lifetime that Oswald killed Kennedy. <laughs> But it so, doesn't take a genius to figure that one out. I'll say that. I, I had the advantage of knowing the the story ahead of time in those situations. <laughs> That's... Not to get anywhere near that type of recruiting milieu. That's true. The other point is Donald Trump, his blind spot on Iran-Contra, I think, comes into play here. Why the fuck else would you bring in Bill Barr? As your attorney general, when right. he's who H.W. Bush covered up Iran-Contra with, Iran-Contra is just the second generation of the people that funded the Nazis <clears throat> still in power because they killed Kennedy in between. That's right. Kennedy got killed. That's a good analysis. He, That's right. He got to the Nazi connection and the Nazi connection goes to the deep state and the deep state is Anglo-American Israeli deep state yeah there's a lot of connections yes. that are very inconvenient to their narrative awesome. and we'll get to max blumenthal and rfk jr in a second because that's the foreshadowing of that story but trump having that blind spot allows him to surround himself with some of the worst characters in the deep state because he's looking at the swamp but he's not seeing the anglo-american establishment i bet you trump has never used or opened like like opened read used it as a leverage uh the book tragedy and hope a history of the world in our time i don't even think it's on his radar otherwise he wouldn't surround himself i with don't think scholars. trump reads books to be honest like no offense to trump like i'm Thank pretty sure he likes the reality tv show lifestyle but he could get those like 10 page executive summaries that they used to sell like <laughs> back in the day instead of reading the book yeah, get the executive summaries what were this called something like cliff blue notes book or cliff notes cliff notes yeah cliff notes that's it Something like that. Yeah, cliff notes. Do they have a cliff notes on uh, tragedy? Maybe we should make one of those. Well, there's that. Uh, uh, oh, there's tragedy hope one hundred and one by Joe Plummer. Yeah, Joe Plummer. Which, yeah, yeah. Shout out to I'm Joe. Yeah, he has another that. book. Uh, just like as an aside, he has a book called "Pick Your Pieces," so you can go to joeplummer.com. Uh, it's a whole bunch of quotes, and it's very good for people who are like trying to get their shit together. Here's some thoughts around which to formulate understanding meaning substance purpose in life these sort of things so shout out to joe and uh i'm waiting for his next drum session to come out because he's a <laughs> heck of a musician maybe we'll get him to sit in with the band at some point all right so keeping on topic here this bill bar situation the it, i think it just really exposes the deep state anyone who looks into this and starts to see epstein bar and then all these other connections that come about. And these people are also simultaneously involved in the persecution of Donald Trump. I would say it's prosecution, except it's not justice being carried out. This is not equality of evidence and these sort of things. It's a political, like banana republicanizing of America. It's political stage, state, it's a statecraft, but it's a stage play. 
So it's like it's for almost a theater uh, theatrical performance. Not to say like Trump is he's like an unwitting participant, almost like in a Kafka sense of the stage play that they've already decided to put on in order to sort of whatever way they need. Trump came out of left field potentially, maybe, and sort of interrupted their stage play, but they somehow were able to incorporate him into the grand drama they're trying to create. And as they march towards uh, a new world order and globalization and transhumanism and all the fun technocracy and all the fun things they're trying to implement for the world to gain control by the exercise of power. Yes. Gaining control by the exercise of power. That's a good uh, segue because the next story that we're going to cover has to do with, remember that COVID situation, Tony? Now we've talked about it and we've talked about NIH and Fauci and Peter Daszak and EcoHealth and DARPA and Welcome Trust. Yeah. Fort Detrick even as an ancillary yeah important absolutely yeah there's so many different moving parts to this uh the the french company biomilieu um just yeah there's who funded the wuhan lab that was created just a couple years ago. they set up the infrastructure they and they kind of helped fund it too but they were the ones that sort of got the contracts for setting it up yeah stefan boncel of moderna was part of the biomilieu and then rosemont seneca partners had something to do with right that's hunter biden's firm yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you got it. We have not looked at the Chinese angle of this. Like they did it on purpose, even though they have documents saying they want to do stuff like this on purpose, right? Because there's so many American and British connections to this. Like, let's not go messing with languages we don't read right now. But they've brought it to our doorstep. Well, they brought it to your doorstep if you live in California. I want to go to this press conference because I heard the news and then I dug into it. And this press conference is a little bit more shocking than what they're telling people on the news. My father-in-law said, why aren't they putting this more? Like I showed him the clip and he's like, why haven't I seen this? Why aren't they telling people about this? I'm like, what the they news don't is print controlled it? Through, yeah, they don't print it. The news is controlled by two agencies, AP, Associated Press and Reuters. And if they aren't, if they don't print it, it's not allowed to be printed in major news stations. BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street. There you go. Why. Yeah, right. And then above them, yeah, yeah we have BlackRock, yeah. Vanguard, State. You got it. The yeah. people that make the money are above them. Yeah. All right. So um, this is not to put fear out there. It's just to show you the level of idiocracy we've gotten to. It's not that we have to worry about the bio labs in Wuhan or the bio labs in Ukraine. No, they got bio labs in L.A. And you think, oh, it's a BSL-3, it's not that dangerous. No, no, they're doing full gain of function in vitro. You know, they got live animals with these chimeras. And it's like in an Airbnb situation. I say that tongue in cheek. I mean, they have like a (laughs) rental apartment or something. It's not a professional place. It's not supposed to be like this. This is like the, the, it's like the, it's like the COVID meth lab of LA. Right. Yeah. You're not supposed yeah. to be doing it in this situation and shit like this blows up, you know? I'm curious. I've not seen this. All right. So this is the breaking bad COVID version. Let's go breaking, to LA. Oh my God. Applications of the illegal biological COVID lab discovered in Reedley in March of this year. It's first important to remember what this community, uh, our in nation, March, the world Tony, went through they're just the now telling people. Half, three years. The COVID pandemic went on for nearly three years. It's commonly believed that COVID resulted 
from a lab, lab leak out of the Wuhan lab in China. Worldwide, there are 769 million cases of COVID that resulted in nearly 7 million deaths. In the United States, there have been 107 million cases and nearly 1.2 million deaths. In California, there have been 103,000 deaths. China's COVID-19 virus resulted in the destruction of lives, livelihoods, the economy, and business. Children were stupidly locked out of school for two years and were destroyed academically, socially, and emotionally. People lost their freedoms, were forced to get experimental vaccines, to wear ineffective masks, and were lied to over and over by the CDC and government officials. Any of information that challenged the lies and the tyrannical mandates that were suppressed were suppressed by social media. And we had officials locally that were silent and complicit with all the unconstitutional and destructive government orders. And now they're silent again. So what do we know about this lab in Reedley? Well, on March 3rd, the Reedley code enforcement officers investigated the site after seeing an illegally attached garden hose. On March 16th, the warehouse was inspected and it was discovered that the lab was producing COVID-19. There is blood, tissue, bodily fluid samples, and thousands of vials with fluids that are not labeled. They also found 900 mice, 200 mice that were dead. On March 16th, the representative from the company, Prestige Biotech, potentially a China national, informed investigators, quote, these mice were genetically engineered to catch and carry the COVID-19 virus, end quote. Prestige Biotech, that company, is licensed in Nevada, not California. One address listed for this company is a vacant building in Las Vegas. Substack reports that other addresses related to this company appear to be in China, though this can't be verified at this time. And they also report that, quote, thousands of packages were found as well, many with shipping labels from China, end quote. On May 4th, the CDC inspected the lab and found infectious agents that were both bacterial and viral in nature. Some of these include hepatitis B and C, rubella, malaria, E. coli, and pneumonia. Fresno Superior Court documents indicate that mice were involved in these experiments with COVID-19. The lab apparently illegally disposed of medical waste, and it's believed it went to the landfill. This can't be confirmed because the operators of the lab have not been forthcoming. Now, questions that must be answered and the public has a right to know. One, is this company from China, and or is it sponsored by the Chinese government? What was the purpose and goals of their experimenting with COVID-19? and having mice catch and carry the disease. What were they doing with all the bacterial and viral infectious agents found at the illegal lab? Two, are the people that were running and operating this lab Chinese nationals or American citizens? If they're not American citizens, are they here illegally? Three, and most importantly, why wasn't the public informed of this illegal lab and what was found? The Fresno County Department of Public Health, it's public health, has an obligation to notify the public 
of potential dangers, both past and present. During the COVID pandemic, their medical officer <clears throat> held weekly press conferences justifying ineffective, destructive lockdowns and mandates, and yet not even an acknowledgement to the public of the illegal and potentially dangerous activities at the lab. So he spent a week having the media come, telling the public things that were not true, supporting all of the tyrannical, destructive things that were taking place in our city, our county, our state, our nation. And then when a lab related to COVID-19 is found five months ago, no word. No word from him, no word from the public health department, no word from the Board of Supervisors. Number four, the Board of Supervisors are also silent. This is similar to the crisis when foster children were found to be sleeping on floors in offices. They only addressed it when they were forced to because it became public through the media. This is disgraceful and represents a willful decision to hide from and shirk their duties as elected representatives of, guess what, the public. They're responsible to the public. These same Board of Supervisors were derelict in the responsibilities to the public during the pandemic. They were silent and complicit with all of Governor Newsom's destructive, unscientific lockdowns, mandates, and forcing kids out of school for two years. Now we have the same cowardice from the Board of Supervisors, and they're silent again when facing another crisis in the county, again related to COVID. The public has a right to know what did the Board of Supervisors know about the lab, when did they know it, and why didn't they inform the public? Five, are there any current potential dangers to the public as a result of these experiments and illegal dumping of medical waste that involve COVID-19 and potential infectious agents that are both bacterial and viral in nature? Are there any potential adverse impacts to the farms in the area? How about the people in Fresno County or even beyond the local area? We know COVID spread around the world. How can the public be assured no medical waste was disposed of in our water systems? Number six, were any safety measures in place at this illegal lab to protect the public from spread of COVID or the infectious agents they were experimenting with? We believe COVID spread from the Wuhan lab and it could have come from this lab as well. Number seven, Lemoore Naval Air Station is only 45 miles from this illegal lab. As was reported in Substack, quote, all of the F-18s for all the Navy's West Coast base carriers are located at Lemoore. The F-18s are primary strike fighters for the United States Navy. In a war with China, these are the aircraft that we would rely upon to sink Chinese naval vessels and give us victory, end quote. The implications from the spread of a debilitating virus could be devastating to our nation's military readiness. Is the location of this illegal lab coincidence or purposeful? Now, what do we do with what we've got right now? Well, according to Joe Prado of the Fresno County Department of Health, there's currently no requirements for any lab, licensed or not, to report to the local public health department the biologicals or the testing that is being conducted. 
I call on the Board of Supervisors to immediately create a new law mandating, mandating this requirement in Fresno County with the penalty of immediate shutdown if the lab is non-compliant. Additionally, there should be financial and criminal penalties for non-compliance. Secondly, Mr. Prado also stated, quote, if you don't receive public funding of any sort, you can, with private dollars, set up a laboratory in California and the United States, end quote, just like was done here. This must change on the state and the national level. There must be enough oversight to protect the public. This clearly isn't the case now, and it must change immediately. And lastly, I don't know when elected officials will learn who they work for. It's for the public. The public has a right to know that after March 3rd, five months ago, in a legal lab experimenting with mice, with COVID-19 infectious agents, similarly as was done at the Wuhan lab three years ago, is going on in our backyard. The public had a right to know. The public has a right to know exactly what they know and when they knew it and what they intend to do about what's going on. Secondly, are there any other labs like this floating around? And what is happening with the people who are involved in this lab? These are the questions that I've been asked by the public. These are the questions that should be answered by the public. And the Fresno Board of Supervisors and the County Public Department of Health, Public Health, has an obligation to let people know what's going on. I'll be happy to answer your questions. Well, there's no connection other than I represent the public, and the public is asking me, Gary, can you get involved and find out what's going on? And so we've done that. And that's what we've done. We are, Bad they boy. know darn well that I'm their voice. So that's at the crazy. end, they asked the question, can this be used to prevent America from responding to Chinese aggression because the F-18s are housed out there? And then I asked the question, didn't I hear a couple of years ago, there was a, a plan from the Chinese military where they wanted to use biowarfare, right? I remember this document, this was before COVID. So it didn't really register in my memory. And then I went and I did a little searching for you because you're the audience. You deserve the best of analysis, weaponizing biotech, how China's military is preparing for a new domain of warfare. Oh, 2019, August 14th, Tony. That's like when COVID's kicking off. That's interesting. But there's more. And funded by our deep Weaponizing state. Because China's the model. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, this is Defense One. So it's a pretty reputable source. Now, there's also this claim. Now, I'm not saying this is true. It's a claim in 2019, in July, right before the Defense One article, right? <clears throat> Leaked document shows Chinese intent to commit mass American genocide, followed by the occupation of America. Now, again, whether that claim is true or false, it was published prior to COVID, right? And if you read down and you're checking out what the claims are, again, I'm not saying this is true. These are claims that are made before COVID, though, so they might merit further investigation in light of this new biolab that they found in California, right? Now, let me also ask the question, since we're looking at this, is there a group that works across 
national borders, almost at a supranational level, where they could control both the capitalists and the communists with their system such that we're over here and China's over here and we're versus each other. But really, the, the factions controlling both countries are united at a stratospheric level that most people don't have the uh, reading acumen to realize. Good question to ask, and it's rhetorical as far as I'm concerned, because clearly there's an internationalist group, many of the individuals we talked about tonight, that is orchestrating, funding, and developing the infrastructure for these different organizations and institutions to exist, such as the Wuhan Institute of Virology, or this Reedley Lab, whatever it's called. I mean, it's this this is nuts. Um, I mean, just uh, my my camera cut out. Am I still on? And all the questions, yeah, all the questions about that lab are the same questions we should be asking about COVID. Like overall. Exactly. 100%. I don't know what's going on with my camera. I apologize. No. see if I can get this fixed. That's right. We'll just blame it on China right now because we're running Zoom through China, right? Uh -huh. Hi. There we go. There we go. Xi Jinping. So this, like, li listen to this, Rich. So I found, this is the sun. This is like yeah. San Joaquin Valley. This this is like they're reporting on it. The referencing was named Joe Prado or whatever. Um, Director Joe mm -hmm. Prado, who's like the County Department of Health Assistant. So it says here, Prestige Biotech and Universal Meditech have been in the headlines for a couple of weeks as the two mysterious companies connected to the secret biological lab was discovered in Reedley. Here are the, here's the big picture, mm -hmm. the points. Universal... Meditech was operating a facility in Fresno that was damaged by a small fire on August 26, 2020, hence the fire hose or whatever, illegally placed around it or whatever. The company had a permit to operate in the city. Okay. Prestige Biotech appeared last year with Reedley Lab and had apparently purchased all the assets from University Universal Meditech after the company went bankrupt. So it sounds like this company went bankrupt and then was able to get all the equipment it needed, maybe in a sort of surreptitious way. After Reedley Code Enforcement first investigated the lab, Prado and Fresno County had great difficulty in validating that Prestige Biotech actually had the appropriate licenses to operate in China. Prestige, or excuse me, operate in, China, operate in California. Prestige Biotech has been connected to a property in Las Vegas, yada, yada. Fresno County has not seen any evidence connects Prestige Biotech, University of Meditech with the Chinese government, but the company told the county that its owners live in China. Court documents identify Ji Gun Yao, that's the president of Prestige Biotech, Wang Xiaolin and David He also represented the company in its dealings with the, with the county. And it goes on to say what they're saying. Prado interacted over email with He, that'd be David He, saying Yao and Xiaolin were shielded from most communications. Uh, so that's a very, this is, this is a really strange story. Like, I don't know what to make of it. It reminds me so much of the, um, the China Gate scandal of the Clintons insofar as like, this is different, but there's an analog here that, you know, these these foreign nationals, or maybe not nationals in this case, these foreign individuals coming over and, and gaining influence in local counties, doing some shady uh, activities. And here is like a, the ultimate shady activity. And the problem with bio warfare, and I've heard the Chinese speak about this, but to me, this all seems a bit of a straw man, you know, the, the red team, blue team sort of thing. Um, or, or West versus East in this instance. But 
the Chinese did state that they saw themselves still behind American or Western military capability by at least 20, 30, 40 years. That gap has certainly been closed thanks to the what happened under the Clinton administration. But even then, the the their ability for conventional warfare with the the what we have is very difficult. So utilizing bio warfare makes a lot more sense because you can essentially cook it up in a home lab. Like that's the that's the the barriers to entry. Breaking in other words, bad. to do bio warfare is much less. Yeah, it's breaking bad. Exactly. Like that's that's essentially a, a business plan in a way. The barriers to entry are very low. It does not require a lot of money. It really doesn't. And it's it's hard, like certainly it's somewhat difficult to get some of the materials, but you see, they got the materials from a company that went bankrupt, this Meditech or whatever. So there are way, and it doesn't cost a lot of money. And you can do it in a way that looks like just another, you know, roadside, I don't know, like trailer or something. You have no idea. Bio it's not a lab. nuclear like facility. It requires a massive rocket, you know, deployment center and all this sort of nonsense. No, biolabs are a totally different situation. So and I know they've been gaslighting essentially the West by saying, well, the West is trying to, to create a genetic specific virus, which is true. They probably the West is trying to. Well, it's not the West. It's the deep state. It's the internationalists are trying to create genetic specific variants of viruses in order to target specific populations and probably to pit them against one another to, for their perfect Hegelian dialectic to march us towards their transhumanistic future. Tony, did Epstein have any interest in biotech and DNA? Oh, boy. All? Did he ever? Jesus Christ! It's terrifying the mm. level of interest. And some supposedly, you know, Whitney was didn't talk about this. A in governor this, her book who owned a Zorro ranch where they did reproduction and bring up Zorro you know, all this. She eugenics talks about type Zorro stuff. Ranch. It's almost like eugenics, Nazis. I'm picking up on these themes but, that are recurring: eugenics, Nazis. You, you oh, got it. Pedos. You got it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely pet. I mean, that's. Other see when I was so there's Zora Rand book, but she doesn't go into detail. A Nazi sex okay. doll, the biggest movie in this country. Barbie wasn't it a German sex doll? <laughs> I'm just I saying, don't know that one. Was the freedom was this? versus the German sex? Did you see the Dan Dix thing? I didn't check that out, but I posted about the pre- he had like a two minute clip saying that someone from Angel Studios had been or someone connected to the. <laughs> Had been arrested for child trafficking. Oh, there was the Zoom glitch again. Let me boom, look boom, boom. I wanted to show you guys this because we don't have time for this. But if you've been a fan of the show, you pick up on the theme of the FBI being on the inside of these jobs. <laughs> FBI built fake bombs oh, to yeah. place outside New York City synagogues. Now, this is Jimmy Dore covering it. This is the ordering of the release of the Newberg for this story has been going on for a while. But just, you know, add that to your mental note. It's not just World Trade Center 1993. It's not just a whole bunch of, uh, you know, setups with Governor Gretchen Whitmer from Michigan, right? Mm, Putting bombs outside New York City synagogues. Like if if the white supremacists are really there doing these things, or even black supremacists, look at the the picture there it looks like a black supremacist type uh, rich would they would there be a be precedent set the... for this sort of behavior i'm just uh, asking for many many times I know we there was like last week but the creation of the adl had There's that like story back in the day something like hmm. that oh yeah anyway that's true we're going to move away from topics like the adl we're going to go to this story now there's a real RFK quick Jr. There's the, the past uh, week there's the yeah yeah, yeah go ahead 
Zorro Ranch. Go ahead. I was going to bring up Zorro Ranch and Andrew, Prince Andrew. He was a guest there and Melanie walked. Yeah, so there's a bunch of very interesting connections with Zorro Ranch. And yes, yeah, there are Well, he brought his own Zorro outfit. He thought it was a whole different thing, <laughs> Prince Andrew. He probably he thought did. it was He's a not play date, not a work date. What I... Hey, RFK like the other, uh, the was accused of being a uh, Nazi dog whistleblower type dude. But this is going to be the opposite. This is like he's he's too pro-Israel for Max Blumenthal. And this came up. There was a couple clips. In, We're going to go to this one. So I have a whole oh, section my, in the show card. I have. Yeah, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, because Kim Iverson one. also yeah, I have that had one. this part. I have Jimmy Dore, Kim Iverson. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then, Tony, since you've got these clips too, I'm trying to find the clip where Max actually makes the points that he's going to put to RFK Jr., mm-hmm. which I thought from a debate yeah. standpoint, you don't want to give the other team your playbook. But also, Max just gave you his playbook, and you can't do anything about it because – the facts that he's marshalling in this situation, though different than the facts I would marshal, uh, his are pretty substantial. And I, he got me looking into some of this stuff, like the, the mowing of the grass, you know, that sort of stuff that he talks about. So do you know the clip I'm talking about? Yeah, I think it's the one. I'm it's a long it's, clip. I put it as actually intermission because it's it's Max Blumenthal expertly debunks RFK Jr.'s Israel-Palestine propaganda. It's an hour-long video where he goes point by point by point by point. I put it as intermission because it's it's very expert. It, it is from? expertly crafted. And Jimmy Dore. But I think it's... Who did it? It was on Jimmy Dore. Well, it's Matt. Who did it? What do you mean? Like, it's Jim... Like, Jimmy what? had Max Blumenthal on, yeah, and then Max Blumenthal breaks down all the points. Oh, um, and it's not the clip I put in production room. Or maybe it's the same one. If you did a YouTube, they name them differently sometimes because I I go to the Rumble just trying not to promote YouTube. But it's right. probably the same. Oh no, this this one's different. Yeah, right this on. one's different. This so one's, what? This one also is he debunks a bunch of points. This one's a fifteen minute clip. The the one I posted is like the one where he breaks down point by point it's an hour long so it's this one's more about um the general it's more yeah just more general like a, a shorter variation of like the the clip i post hopefully it's the potent one that i've seen because it was good enough for what we're doing and also this is recalling back the rfk jr peter hotez thing right where they were you know trying to debate no debate RFK Jr. is doing the same thing to Max. So I would like to see these points discussed and I'd like to see RFK Jr. emboldened with the fact that Max is offering in most of these cases. I don't don't remember every point he made, but I know some of the points were like, what do you got to say to that? RFK Jr. would be a good uh, interview session or debate session. So let's go to uh, Jimmy Shut the Front Door. And uh, let's check out why RFK was on, off, on, off. We'll see if it ever happens. So we're playing the, the shorter clip. Yeah, try the shorter one first. Yeah, the one I, I dropped in the one control room. Thing. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. We have special guests with us. Max Blumenthal is here. He's the award-winning journalist, 
as well as an editor-in-chief, the editor-in-chief of The Gray Zone. He's also a best-selling author of several books, including Goliath, The 51-Day War, and The Management of Savagery. Please welcome back to the show, Max Blumenthal. Hi, Max. Hey, Jimmy. So now we had on RFK Jr., and he started coming at me with a lot of stuff about Israel. You know, like he went back to the Ottoman Empire and stuff. And uh, so he starts overwhelming me and... Uh, I was easy for him to, to go right through, but I so I uh, I I got him to agree to do an interview with you because you're the guy to talk to him about this, not me. It's not my wheelhouse. I'm more of a Russia Gate, Syria, Ukraine kind of a Libya kind of a guy. Venezuela too, I'll take it. Um, but anyway, um, so here's what happened. And find out what the justification. And I love Max Blumenthal, but I do not think he's objective on Israel. I think his reporting on Israel is not uh, is uh, is it needs to be questioned. So now, exactly what Peter Hotez did to him and Joe Rogan, which he's publicly saying you're wrong about stuff. So then, Joe Rogan said, "Let's well, let's have the debate." Hotez. Yep. And RFK Jr. and everybody's all for it. People put up hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe even a million. And so now he did the exact same thing that Peter Hotez did to him. So now he's calling into question your facts publicly. And so I think the very least is that you're a journalist. He's running for president. He's going to question your facts. You're the one of the leading guys on this that he should sit down for an interview. That's the least he should do, or else he's going to be seen as pulling a hotez. And so that's what I said to him. Okay, well, here's what I would ask. Just like, you know, Peter Hotez ducked you and and Joe Rogan, uh, I would love, because Max is the guy to talk to about this, not me. So would you would you do an interview with Max because he would be able to talk to you about this way better than I can. I'm I'm really not good at this. Yeah, I would I would do I would you know love to talk to Max. Yeah, I mean Max is a great guy. So he said I would love to talk to Max. Now Max he sounds sincere. It, and I, I he sounded sincere. I think RFK Jr is a sincere guy. So Max, you have an update to this story, correct? You somebody from your team talked to his communications director. Well, this is all reported in, in the article at the Gray Zone. So there's nothing since uh, I reported yesterday at the Gray Zone that uh, the RFK Junior 2024 campaign has backtracked and blocked any engagement, public engagement between me and him for the foreseeable future. And they won't exactly say why, except that they will only debate now Joe Biden. Which is which is interesting, as you said, Jimmy, because back in June he was enthusiastic to debate Peter Hotez, who is not a Democratic presidential candidate I mean, at, at all. So, uh, and I yeah, I'd, and I put in a request for an interview with him early on in the campaign, before he had been so voluble about the Israel issue and was just spouting Likudnik propaganda at events sponsored by fanatical ultra-Zionist operatives like Shmuley Botiak. Before that even happened, I put in a request and I was put in the icebox. So, um, and, and, you know, I'm not some, not a bad faith actor. I'm not supporting Joe Biden. I'm not coming at him as an enemy. I was coming at him as someone who sympathizes with a lot of his positions on Ukraine, on the pandemic. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed his book on Tony Fauci. 
he knows me personally. So I, yeah. And, and, but the situation's changed. His communications director, uh, Stephanie Spear was just very adamant that he would not talk to me. And, so, okay. Yeah. Go, so I, but I have an update on this story, right? So, yeah. cause that would look bad. And if I was advising the RFK Jr. campaign, which I am not, um, I would say that it's better to you to have an interview with Max that you think you're going to look bad in than to duck it because then you look just as Weasley as the people who have been smearing and sliming you for 15 years straight. You look just as Weasley as Hotez, and that's a loser. It would be better for you to go take your lumps over Israel, continue to defend them for whatever reason you're doing that, and then go on with your campaign. Go take your lumps and move on. Uh, but if you duck it, now you're just as bad as the people who distracted against you. And now it's ugh, that's a ugh, right. But update, he texted me and he said, this is he said, I'm going to do an interview with Max. So I don't know. So we'll see. He said it, that he said that on my show first. Then they said they weren't. And now he's saying they're going to do it again. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. But uh, I. I'm skeptical right now because that they ducked it at first. How, what, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen? Well, this is just, first of all, from the from a point of view of a communication strategy, <laughs> this is very confusing and it's not what you want to see from a campaign that's raising lots of money and is you know, presenting itself as serious. You want a coherent communication strategy his comms director saying one thing, he's saying another to you privately. So I hope they can get on message. And I think that they should talk to me because he should put his money where his mouth is. He said, my reporting needs to be questioned. So come on the gray zone or we can find another forum and question my reporting. I, I agree. Uh, I agree. That's the way when you make a public accusation like that, just like Peter Hotez did, you got to be willing to back it up. And my reporting is my reporting is, you know, spending years reporting from inside occupied Palestine, from the Gaza Strip, occupied East Jerusalem, the occupied West Bank and from inside Israeli Jewish Israeli society, uh, culminating with my book, Goliath. I covered the 2014 Israeli military assault on the Gaza Strip, which saw entire neighborhoods destroyed 551 women and children killed i sat with the families of the victims co-produced a documentary and directed and wrote it called killing gaza which is online everyone could see it if if robert kennedy jr is watching now he should watch that before engaging with me because i don't think he's considered the position of palestinians who've been living through this nightmarish cavalry of occupation ethnic cleansing for over 70 years. And I've written a book about it, The 51 Day War. And so I think I'm qualified to represent a position which needs to be represented by a presidential candidate who actually does want to unite all Americans and represent this country instead of a foreign apartheid government and its lobbying cutouts in the United States. Bobby Kennedy has appointed or has said that his Israel director is Morton Klein from the Zionist Organization of America, someone who refers to Palestinians as filthy Arabs. How is that uniting Americans? There are many Arabs and Palestinians in the United States 
who want to hear have their voices heard too. How is it representing them when he's denying that Palestinians ever suffered ethnic cleansing, that they've ever suffered under the Israeli military? He is denied that that the Israeli military occupation even exists. It's it's so it's what what he's what he was saying on your show offended me. But if he's willing to engage with me in good faith, we can still have a civil conversation. He can question my reporting and I can point out where I believe he's wrong with facts and I will marshal my reporting to do that. Okay, so apparently they've t- changed their tune and they're willing to have an interview with you. So I think that's a that is a great decision on the RFK Jr. campaigns to depart. It's a great decision. Uh, if you're going to speak out and so strongly on Israel, and if you're going to, you know, um, I would even say slander the Palestinians the way he did. It was. It was yes. slander, uh, yes. calling them all terrorists who live in Jenin. And so you you have to be willing to back that up. You can't just, that's what Peter Hotez does. He calls everybody, a, you're a Russian, you're a white supremacist. This is all disinformation from uh, MAGA. He does, and then he does He won't back it up. So you can't do that. Yeah. I mean, you can. You can do that. But then, you know, you you lose everything, right? It'd be much better for him to do the interview, take his lumps, and move on with his campaign. Um, and yeah, uh, the, the idea that you can disqualify, you know, that... that Oh, I, we have to disqualify Max because he said some anti-Semitic things before. Well, that's what people said about RFK Jr. Yeah. too. So should yeah. we? Should nobody ever have a conversation with you because someone's called you anti-Semitic? So, the, 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 so I would, I would be, it would be very disappointing if the RFK Jr. campaign tried something like that that said, "Hey, Max has said anti-Semitic things, and we we don't sit down with people who are anti-Semitic." Well, they say you're anti-Semitic. So this is another Hotez. Ha- it's another Hotez moment. You can't be the thing you're you're claiming to be better than, and then when you become the thing that you claim to be better than, then there's no point to you. So go ahead, Max. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, so many people have supported Bobby because they see him as someone with integrity. Yes. Someone who's rising above the filth right. of American politics. And ever since he's taken on this extreme Likudnik extreme. pro-Israel position, he has delved into the filth of American gutter politics, calling Ilhan Omar an anti-Semite, like just the way that he's been branded an anti-Semite, taking on, surrounding himself with people like Morton Klein or Shmuley Botia, who used the millions of the late ultra-Zionist oligarch Sheldon Adelson to take out a full-page ad branding me an anti-Semite in the New York Times and painting me ridiculously as Hillary Clinton's secret Middle East advisor. I mean, these are the people that are just going to take your integrity and wipe their asses with it. Uh, they're not, these are not men of integrity. These are people who are funded by Sheldon Adelson because their, fi- their, their operations were falling apart because of financial fraud. I mean, if he wants to rise above it, what he will do is not just talk to me, a Jewish American who has become an anti-Zionist through my own experience of what I've seen in Israel-Palestine and how I was lied to as, you know, in my youth, being raised in Jewish communal life and just seeing all the lies in the Israel propaganda. He will also sit down with Palestinians as I did and hear their experiences of ethnic cleansing. I've sat 
in the living room in Gaza City of the Shamali family in 2014 as they sobbed openly and showed me video of an Israeli sniper shooting their brother and son, Salem Shamali, as he searched for his wounded cousin in the ruins of the Gaza neighborhood of Shuja'iya, which Israel had destroyed. He went with a team of volunteer rescuers, waded into the rubble to the destroyed home where he thought his wounded cousin was, and he was shot in the legs by an Israeli sniper deliberately. He had no weapons. There was nothing identifying him as a militant. And then he crumpled to the ground and called for help, and the sniper shot him again and again. It's all on camera. Anyone can watch this. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. can watch this killing. And I sat with his family and heard about that, and their testimony is conveyed in the documentary I co-produced, Killing Gaza. He needs to have that experience too. He needs to see the apartheid wall that surrounds the Christians of Bethlehem, who are the descendants of the disciples, the Anastos family, who had their home completely surrounded with a wall. What did they do to deserve that? The Christian community of Bethlehem is being purged from the birthplace of Jesus. And has he ever been there? Has he heard from them? No, he's surrounding himself with people who spout genocidal rhetoric about a stateless people who have suffered endlessly. Has he sat with Palestinian refugees in the Shatila camp like I have, who live sometimes five to ten to a room, their showers spout out salt water, they're doomed forever to be away from Palestine simply because they're not Jewish and they don't fit into the Jewish state? No. Has he even seen the remote-controlled machine gun that's mounted on the walls that surround the Gaza Strip pointed at anyone who approaches those walls is controlled from kilometers away by an Israeli military unit that shoots anyone who has what they call a terrorist gate or walks like a terrorist? Just look at that remote-controlled machine gun when you walk into the Gaza Strip, then go talk to the people who are trapped there. Has he been on a fishing boat? with Gaza fishermen who are being driven into ruin because they're not allowed to fish more than three kilometers out at sea from the Gaza Strip, like I have, where when we reach three kilometers after a pathetic catch of just some small fish, Israeli Navy boats approached and threatened to shoot everyone on board unless we turn back? No. And that is the essence of why he's found, he's been so susceptible to this divisive, inhuman propaganda that so many people that watch your show, Jimmy, have already uh, just have, have already transcended. And so I think if he's going to present himself as a peace candidate and someone who's rising above the filth of American politics, then he needs to consider the other side on this issue. And so it's not just about questioning my reporting. It's about listening to Palestinians. That's something that I hope Robert Kennedy Jr. does as well as engage with me publicly. Okay. Well, he says he's going to. So that's really good news. Go ahead and pull That's it. really good news. Now, in that story, there's talk of anti Semitism and Israel. And I wanted to bring another person who is anti-Semitic, not another person, because both people, Max Blumenthal, RFK Jr., they're spoken of in various forums as anti-Semitic. 
I think there's another person that needs to be included in that conversation. His name is George Soros has been called anti-Semitic. His hacked Soros emails reveal plans to fight Israel's racist policies. So whose side is Soros on in that debate, Tony? Well, you know, even you've all know, you've all, not the the you've all know a Harari of all people even has come out pretty harsh against uh, like Netanyahu and a couple other um, uh, dignitaries and statesmen of Israel. Um, So, and he that was on Lex Friedman very recently, where he is very much against the Zionist or not against, but he is he's seen somewhat from the Zionist perspective as somewhat of an enemy because he views things quite differently. It was an interesting interview. It was in a different light than I would have ever expected to hear some of his um, explanations, some of his ideas um, outside of the World Economic Forum where he sort of parrots the transhumanistic rhetoric. It's not all that. It was very different. Um, Even at some points calling out that that rhetoric. It's very weird. It actually kind of like got me confused as to how I should think of him. It's not all eugenics. still like the chief sort of... Yeah. Yeah. It's a little, it's, or he's just playing, he, he gets paid for the World Economic Forum to, you know, be the guy that's about transhumanistic rhetoric. I don't know. It's a very confusing, but very interesting element because he really called out the Zionist element. He's an atheist and he's gay. So like, there's an element there that he's not at all, um, from my understanding, interested in the religious dynamics of Judaism and sees it just as much as a crutch or a, a hindrance as any other world religion. So, um, not to say I agree at all with his position, um, but it was an interesting. It was just interesting to hear the dynamic. The point is George Soros, you've all know Harari, um, uh, RFK Jr. <laughs> Anti-Semitism just sort of gets thrown out and thrown around. I think the problem I have with this is, you know, I not to give Shiva Ayodhari too much credit, but you know, he he would argue RFK is an establishment figure that is is controlled by Jewish money. Now in this book. Volume two in particular, already quoted from the night multiple times, One Nation to Blackmail, Mossad shows up. Wait, there's almost no mention of the British. And the CIA is certainly the minority reference, but Mossad uh, out of control. And and not just the Mossad, but connections to Israeli uh, private technology companies and other statesmen. Very huge, very voluminous, to say the least, in this Um Obviously, with uh, uh, <clears throat> Maxwell and Lexner and Epstein and their you know Jewish connections, but still, it's very interesting just to point out. And that was something a comments made in the book club is like, why are there's so much Mossad? It's almost overwhelming. Well, you know, there's a long history as to why uh, uh, Mossad has enormous amounts of power. That actually goes back to the British Empire. And when they didn't own the territory, the Ottoman Empire owned the territory. They decided to carve it up before they owned the territory. And they had to get good old America to get in there. And that's where they're like, you know what? We have this cool technique. It's called a false flag. And we're going to make sure that America gets into the war. We already got the, uh, um, we already like reinstalled our banking system, so to speak. Now we have the central bank over there. Uh, why don't we make sure in some capacity that through this world conflict, we get America to enter the war and that'll pretty much guarantee us that we'll get victory in some capacity. The German U-boats had already pretty much, and that would be the submarines, had changed the the dictates of the, how that war was going. And they actually armed, offered an armistice to Britain uh, and at that time the Allied powers 
<clears throat> two years into the war because there is no way to fight against it. And that's when the sink of the Lusitania happened. We get invo- get involved in it. And I don't know how many drafts, but we've gone over this a number of times. Was it six or seven drafts of the Balfour Declaration? Or maybe I'm getting that confused with Last Will and Testament because I know there's like seven Balfour different 100. testaments. Yeah, Balfour100.com is the official site. There's at least four drafts of the Balfour Declaration. It starts with Lord Rothschild. It proceeds through Arthur Balfour, Leo Amory, and Lord Milner before being addressed by Her Majesty's or His Majesty's government on behalf of the British Empire to give Palestine to the Zionists uh, in name. And uh, Arthur Balfour, this of would be the... Baron Rothschild. Yeah, Baron Rothschild, and this is the same Rothschild banking family that gained significant control over the Bank of England thanks to the end of the Napoleonic Wars. So it's not... You know, they're, 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 well, it sounds anti-Semitic, Tony, when you say it you know. like that. But it's the history. Oh, really? And I don't is that think anti-Semitic? Sound what about anti-Semitic? Well, Theodore Herzl or Chaim Weitzman, who literally railed against the religious Jew. You know, they they wanted a secular Jewish vision, but they then they they catalyzed or leveraged the Jew like the the fake mythological Jewish story. I can't say it's fake, but a mythological essentially, uh, it, you cannot reference it as being historical historically relevant. And so they utilize this idea of the diaspora. The, well, even before that, the Exodus, and then the the, the persecution under uh, Rome and Hellenism, and so forth and so on, until the diaspora, the third sacking of the temple, and the third Roman Jewish War, and then and so it just these are although elements are true historically, the myths or the legends built up around it are false, especially the origins myth. You cannot reference that; it's based on supernatural elements that just. It goes outside the bounds of reality and cannot be uh, used as substantial evidence. It cannot be identified, in other words, by other people except for those espousing the story. So you're left at the whims of the of other people's imagination of why they have been so abused throughout their entire history. In some cases, they have been, but they reference this this like uh, metaphysical abuse from you know God and from the Egyptians, and then it was the Ark of the Covenant, and they have a right to this specific land that's been occupied by so many different... It's obnoxious. It's absurd. It was it Ryan Dawson Tony, does a really good if job you breaking want to that control down? The we narrative. Before. Yeah. If you want to control the narrative, you have to leave the bounds of reality. <laughs> that's, you know, Peikoff, Leonard Peikoff would say, mysticism leads to dictatorship mysticism leads to dictatorship if someone is saying they have a supernatural means of, of of gaining knowledge over someone else over time they are able to galvanize belief in their followers they are seen as the 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 essentially the one that can then dictate reality to those followers it leads to a tyrannical relationship and you know it's interesting because these these zionist um thought leaders and ideologues when in the early movement and the really coming out of the 17th century with like um Zabertai Zevi and the messianic sort of messianism that was going on particularly in, in the under Sephardism and that's where you get Lurianic Kabbalism and a whole bunch of crazy stuff that's 17th century but out of that comes this sort of nationalistic ideal it's like they then 100 years later you get Kant then you get Hegel and Hegel embodies a zeitgeist this idea of history as being this sort of metaphysics wrapped up in this dialectical process well they they imbued that with their almost like mystical Kabbalism out of the 17th century and then you get this this chimeric hybrid of destruction when it comes to Israeli 
Zionist Israeli aspirations. That's the Theodore Herzl's, the Chaim Weizmann's, these individuals that deplore traditional Jewish religious Judaism and want a nation state, but then leverage these stories and this this mystical element in order to build up why they that why they are deserving of this through the humiliation and the suffering and this 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 victimhood, which ends up being a form of currency for them, of the utmost currency, of course, backed by the most powerful banking family in the entire fucking world, who happens, I think, to still be the most powerful. I could be wrong, but I still think they are the most or one of the most powerful banking families still in the world. After that, you know, Patrick McDavid even referenced that the Rothschilds, you know, the, the Vanderbilt's lost their money. The, the Rothschilds didn't. After centuries and centuries, they're still around. How? What are they doing? Oh, they stay out of the limelight. People don't even know. Well, now we know, but it's still not like people know the Vanderbilts or people know the Carnegie's and Pittsburgh, you know, and steel and all that sort of stuff. Like I'm diatribing, but I'm pissed. It's just RFK Jr. It makes me wonder if Shiva Iadurai oh. had a point in regards to he's part of that sort of like coterie. And like, I'm not saying he is, but I mean, his takes, he's very good on a lot of takes. Um, vaccines and some environmental takes, but he's really bad on the Israeli-Palestine thing, like so bad that he's, he's taking talking points, as Max Blumenthal pointed out, from like Sheldon Adelson, Morton Klein, like the Sheldon Adelson is essentially the, the the billionaire financier, and then Morton Klein is like, you know, essentially this this the, the geopolitical strategist, you know, it's it's insane. And then he's ended up becoming the same thing he's sort of railing against in regards to, you know, trying to compete for the presidency and somehow the other thing he's really bad at is this whole climate change thing he has he's really good in a lot of areas but the two areas he has hard blind spots are climate change and israeli-palestinian uh relation um and then the zionist sort of his, historical understanding could be a convenient blind spot convenient yeah that's my point could exactly be. now like, there's a lot of money and a lot of yeah. power yeah, exactly. With respect to the Zionist contingent of which Kein Weitzman and Theodor Herzl wrote back and forth with Cecil Rhodes about how they could bring the apartheid and create a similar state to what Rhodes was doing in South Africa, right? Um, good point. That yeah, whole good point. situation, yeah, that, that situation is not considered by most people. And uh, I think that the question is this is it the fault of the zionists for asking or is it the fault of the empire for giving something that wasn't theirs to give mm. and bonus question oh, that's an interesting question maybe there was blackmail involved or <laughs> maybe there was some other things going on uh of the samuel untermeyer variety but I got to leave that there. Uh, I'm going to temporarily. <laughs> yeah, we got to be careful with See, that. See, this is how yeah. you leave. This is how you leave on. Yeah, this is how you leave on a high note. I'm in a temporary recording Breadcrumbs, breadcrumbs. I'm supposed to pack. Yeah, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to pack it up. So I'm going to leave you uh, a production notes here. Tony's going to take the show from here. He's going to land the plane. I got a parachute out because I'm still on the road. And uh, I am thankful to have had this quiet space with, uh, excellent internet connectivity. Uh, Zoom is just not up to the task of running this this show. We're going to figure out how to fix this, but uh, it was fun to uh, have this workout tonight to get these pieces in the time capsule and get it on the record. And uh, you guys have uh, many clips left in the show. Tony, it, it's up to his direction what he wants to play for intermission. I do have an offer of Eric Hoffer's 
true believer because I think that plays in back oh, to yeah, the Trump derangement syndrome and everything in between. Yeah, in this episode. So uh, I bid you yeah. adieu until next week. Thank you guys all for tuning in and not dropping out. Here's Tony to play us out. And there should be some, maybe some Kyle Dunnigan later. I'll, I'll watch as a viewer from now on for the rest of the show. Very cool. Yeah. Safe travels. Thanks for manning the ship tonight, Rich. I appreciate it because it's been a busy thank, day for myself. Thanks to Cody so and will... LD and everyone who got this plane off the ground tonight. <laughs> Safe landing. I guess you'll be back. So you'll be back next week in your studio. So we'll, people, if, if you're wondering about the hopefully. Uh, technical we'll see. hiccups, that will, okay, hopefully we'll see. So no promises, but soon he'll be back in his studio. Not next week, certainly the week after, most likely. And uh, all the technical snafus will be taken care of. But speaking of some bad takes um, in regards to RFK, particularly with the Zionism and when it comes to the environmental issues in regards to climate change, I figure why don't we cover that? Because last week I thought uh, Paul Justin Watson did a really good breakdown of some of the UN fear mongering around that. But then Jeffrey Jackson followed it up. And Jeffrey Jackson and Del Bigtree, Del Bigtree in particular, is much like RFK Jr. in regards to that. He was big early on in the environmental aspect, the pollution, um, what we're doing to the environment, our, our, the food, the water, the air we breathe. Um, but even Del Bigtree sort of waking up to the idea that they're weaponizing a narrative that isn't necessarily true um, in order to gain power for control, to exercise power uh, to gain control. So in this capacity, I'd like to play Jeffrey Jackson before we go to some of these other clips Rich posted. And I definitely want to get the Dan Dix thing. That was a two-minute video. But let's play Jeffrey Jackson first. And let me find it's on the show cards. So let me bring I'm actually referencing the show card most tonight. Let's play uh it's under where the hell did I put it? Probably under it. Is it the I new study adds to tsunami of science? Or a different one? No, it's gonna be it's gonna be a different one. It's gonna be is the climate crisis real? So it's a 12-minute clip. It's gonna be in the technology, economics, and politics section. Uh and underneath that, let's play play that one and then play the John Bound, play those two back to back. I think those two will give a good general overview. Paul Joseph Watson did a brilliant job last week. He was on holiday this week, as they say over in the UK and Europe holiday. So he could, but so he was the first where I saw him comment on this, but uh, Jeffrey and John Bound did good follow up. So let's play those two back to back. We'll come back and go to the for some commentary and then we'll move to Dan Dix and talk about this whole situation with one of the producers uh, connected with Angel Studios so that whole uh, Sound of Freedom ended up getting, I don't know, caught for child trafficking. We'll get to that later on. So let's play Jeffrey Jackson and John Bound and we'll come back for some commentary. For scientists, it is unequivocal. Humans are to blame. All this is entirely consistent with predictions and repeated warnings. The only surprise is the speed of the change. Climate change is here, it is terrifying, and it is just the beginning. The era of global warming has ended, the era, the era of global boiling has arrived. The air is unbreathable, the heat is unbearable, and the level of fossil fuel profits and climate inaction is unacceptable. Leaders must lead. Hmm. Wow. It's terrifying, he says. It's yes. your fault. It's people's fault. And it's here and it's coming faster than we thought. No mention of what the sun's doing because that probably doesn't affect our climate. It's people and right. 
really, no matter what you think of the climate conversation, that clip right there, the way fear is being used in that clip should really raise alarm bells for people, especially after what we've just been through. And on the flip side, if you look in the past, you can see that there was something coming and it's here now. If you watch the news in 1978, you would have seen it and it looked like this. I think that if we had to go through a real bad winter, just like we just went through, I think we'd have to think about moving someplace else. Move where? The brutal Buffalo winter might become common all over the United States. Climate experts believe the next ice age is on its way. According to recent evidence, it could come sooner than anyone had expected. At weather stations in the far north, temperatures have been dropping for 30 years. Sea coasts long free of summer ice are now blocked year-round. According to some climatologists, within a lifetime, we might be living in the next ice age. <laughs> awesome. That is totally awesome. I mean, it just, same language, just different side of the temperature scale. The world's coming to the end. The last 30 years has been freezing. Now the last 50 years has been hot. Oh, my God. Right. It may happen in our lifetime, probably not that guy's lifetime. It looks like you know what looks like we we clearly overachieved in like stopping the freezing of the earth. Now we are gone, you know, gone a whole other direction. That's right. So and so we're being told we're in the middle of uh, record heat waves, global boiling. But we look at this chart here, and this is from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration (NOAA). This is the annual heat wave index in the United States. These are the the days, uh, periods lasting at least four days with heat waves, average temperatures higher than normal, starting back at the late 1800s. And you can see here, United States, 2020 and beyond, we're not really doing much compared. I mean, maybe in 1930s, you could you could yeah. make argument, but not much going on here. And so this it, it, this what, I, what i'm talking about in this segment is not to go into the, the to battle it, the science it reminds me of what my dad used to always say why let a fact get in the way of a good story right you know i mean <laughs> let, let's just let's just keep the facts off the table it's it's a boiling we're boiling here uh and you see it in the news like crazy right now right and so you know the reason we started out with uh, talk, really talking about the COVID response and to show how it's very similar to this response is you have two camps. The one camp is saying, fear, fear, fear. It's happening. It's coming. It's your fault. There's nothing we can do to stop it. And the leaders need to act now. We need to rush. And remember, what was the excuse during COVID? Well, right. they had to rush. It was a once in a century pandemic. So they made some mistakes. So again, we have the rush right off the beginning. And then, but we have a lot of people who don't who don't agree with this narrative, who don't agree with what's being told. And this was a declaration, just like the Great Parrington Declaration early on. This is the World Climate Declaration. And they say right up front, there is no climate emergency. That's on the front page. And this has been signed by over 1,500 researchers, scientists, and they have a handful of, of statements right in there. And it says this, natural as well as anthropogenic factors cause warming. Warming is far slower than predicted. Climate policy relies on inadequate models. CO2, remember that carbon says it's bad yeah. for everybody. CO2 is plant food, the basis of all life on earth. Global warming has not increased natural disasters and climate policy must be respect, must respect scientific and economic realities. And this is another conversation we're having is the canceling of experts. They don't get to speak, only right. certain anointed experts get to speak. 
And this is what's happening here. We have a Nobel Prize winner in physics who just had his speech canceled. Here's the headline here, Nobel Prize winner who doesn't believe climate crisis has speech canceled. This is Dr. John Klosser, Nobel Prize winner in physics. Fortunately, he did have a speech scheduled in Korea and he talked about misinformation and disinformation, disinformation in science. And he ended his speech like this. Take a look. All right. Beware. If you're doing uh, good science, it may lead you into politically incorrect areas. Uh, if you're a good scientist, you will follow them. I have several I won't have time to discuss. But they are, I can confidently say, there is no real climate crisis and that uh, climate change uh, does not cause extreme weather events. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I, again, I always have to state this, that this is always a difficult topic for me because I do want clean air. I want clean water. I want a clean food supply for my kids. I believe we can treat the land around us, our rivers better. I want to be able to go fishing with my son and actually eat the fish and not worry that it's contaminated because of some factory or pollution that's out there. But And I think there are many of us in that space. And I think some people go, well, you know what, though, the climate thing is being overhyped. At least it's making people make some of the changes like, you know, recycling or doing things that they should do. But it's not okay. It's not okay that we are using fear. It's not okay okay that we're making human beings uh, believe that they're a disease on this planet, that humans are the problem. Um, it just undermines everything that's beautiful about humanity. And frankly, when you're dark and destitute and hate yourself, uh, that's no space to make the world a better place. That will not lead to the beauty that, uh, that true environmentalists, I think, uh, should be dreaming of. There's, there's, there's a better way and, and one that actually deals with facts and science. And the politicians are moving on this. No matter what people think, the, the Biden administration is has banned light bulbs. So here's the here's the headline on that: incandescent light bulbs are now banned in the U.S. And that's a regulatory that's a regulatory movement. But they're also going after all portable gas power generators. So another one, they're putting forth a rule. They're trying to ban. It's the, the wording is nearly all portable gas power generators. So think about what that would do in a in an actual crisis like right. Hurricane Katrina or a, a, a natural disaster. People rely on these things. They're basically life giving. Does everyone going to switch over to solar power generators and they'll be able to afford those? I don't think so. Is it that this seems like a reckless thing. So on the back of the most recent climate boiling fear, Biden has come forward and he, he has announced new measures to protect Americans for from extreme heat. But a lot of people are saying he doesn't go far enough. And this is what the Guardian op-ed actually said says Joe Biden, now the drums are beating for something here, so everyone really needs to listen. Joe Biden must declare a climate emergency and he must do so now. Climate emergency, we just got done with emergency. So yeah. wh what does that sound like? And it's not just people trying to get him to do it. We have, we have co members of Congress, this is a bill in Congress right now, it's called the Climate Emergencies Act, um, HR 794. And this is to require the president to declare a national climate emergency under the National Emergencies Act. So this is this is also what's going through here. And if you're looking at this from a public health standpoint, they're trying to merge this. So think about this. Climate emergency happens. We're under emergency. The Constitution suspended. 
it gives them free reign to censor, censor again, the conversations. If it's a hot day, climate emergency. If it's a cold day, that's climate emergency. But what about health? This is the Lancet during the COVID pandemic. And they don't, they're not talking about COVID-19. They're saying this, mitigating climate change must be a priority for public health. So wow. now diseases can fall into climate change. They don't have to worry about declaring another pandemic for Zika or Ebola or whatever is going to come down the line. If if this climate emergency gets triggered by by Biden or whoever else, health just wrapped right in that vortex. It just sucks down that tunnel. All health situations. Remember, last week we told you about the permanent. Those were the words in the White House press release, the permanent pandemic preparedness and response office. This is in the executive branch of the White House, and they are going to coordinate the administration's domestic response to public health threats that have pandemic potential or may cause significant disruption, disruption and strengthen domestic pandemic preparedness. And this, wow. this dovetails exactly. We reported also on the UN treaty. This is in conversations now. They have their first draft out. It's called the zero draft. And this is the political declaration, they're calling it, of the UN General Assembly. And so in there, they actually have a heading called global governance. That used to be a conspiracy theory, that term. Now it's in this draft. Strengthen international collaboration and coordination for pandemic prevention, preparedness and response at the highest political level to accelerate efforts to ensure international, national, regional and local readiness for future pandemics and health emergencies. So if you think the climate is not going to be a conversation in this in this treaty, which from what I understand is going to be codified in September. This is going to be something they're trying to get done by September. Mm -hmm. The White House has its office. So we really have to watch this climate prep, the, the, the fear, the conversations in these headlines about this push for a climate emergency, because no doubt that, that will be looped into these offices in these treaties. We keep having this debate, folks. I mean, just so you know, we sit with our team and there's a, there's been some of our international groups saying they're going to attempt to do the same tracking systems and declare that the next pandemic is really the climate. And I'm, I've been on the side of our team saying they're never going to get away with that. There's just no way people are going to put up with something they can't see. Telling us that the ocean is going to be six inches deeper in 20 years is not going to allow you to take my car away. But I'll tell you, Jeffrey, I think I'm starting to lose this argument. I, I really, it's getting scary when you see this language. I mean, we're reaching a point where if you talk about, like, say, you know, I'd like to see a little better science on this climate thing. How are you proving it's mankind doing it? And does it really make a difference if we're one degree Celsius warmer 50 years from now or not? I, I need to understand that. Uh, is that domestic terrorism? Did I, is that it? Are they coming through the door any second now? I mean, it's, this is where this insanity is going. Right. And it, it's not even so to your point, it may not be they may not get the, the, the pop value, the shock value like they did for COVID and have to do something right away. But they are doing legislative moves and policy that is making it harder to sell light bulbs. So they're kind of yeah. picking away they're, they're right. to, to sell gasoline vehicles. So one by one, they pick away the current infrastructure that we know we're used to that is sustaining us. And as we, as we reported before, it's, what's being replaced is is questionable. What is being moved into that that position? Yeah, yeah, absolutely outrageous. Folks, no one can deny we have a climate crisis. As scary, as horrifying, as bizarre, and just over the top as 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 reality is. 
words cannot describe this concerted psychotic attack on humanity. We're undergoing a soft coup. One Health is a concept that was created to enable the WHO with these documents to take over jurisdiction of everything in the world by saying that climate change, animals, plants, water systems, ecosystems are all central to health. Also embedded in this concept is a peculiar notion that humans are no longer of greater value than animals. The climate crisis is a health crisis, and climate solutions are health solutions. Renewable energy, healthy and sustainable food systems, and healthy and green cities. Ultimately, the COVID-19 pandemic shows that we're one humanity sharing one planet and one health. And the next level gaslighting that goes on. People traveling to these countries really need to think that this could be the future of European summers, that Europe is the fastest warming continent right now. When I say gaslighting, I mean that figuratively, also very seriously in the real world. Anybody who honestly believes climate change is not a serious problem. Agriculture contributes about 33% of all the emissions of the world and we can't get to net zero. We don't get this job done unless agriculture is front and center as part of the solution. Not just the term gaslighting, meaning lying to somebody and telling them that you're pissing on them, but really it's raining. Sure, there's an old saying, to the victors belong the spoils. Mm. There's another old saying, Senator. Don't piss down my back and tell me it's raining. They're literally banning our gas stoves and gaslighting us. How about shower heads, air conditioners, toilet flushing, light bulbs, washers and dryers, dishwashers, refrigerators, gas cars and trucks, coal-fired pizza ovens, and microwaves. That's just for starters. Joe Biden wants to take them away from us, all in the name of climate change. You have all these environmental problems that are so profound, they're hard to deny. And people are seeing them now, along with extreme superstorms and droughts. That's why I took the most aggressive action ever in all of history in any country to take on the climate crisis by lowering your home energy bills. We've now gotten to the point where it's cheaper to generate electricity from wind and solar than is from coal and or fossil fuels. The era of global warming has ended. The era, the era of global boiling has arrived. Air is unbreathable. The heat is unbearable. And the level of fossil fuel profits and climate inaction is unacceptable. And the UN says it's bad, so we got to ban them. And polar bears are all dying. They can't swim. We got to ban them. But she struggles on. Arctic polar bears are facing near extinction by the end of the century if the sea ice they depend on uh, continues to disappear. That's the stark warning from a new study looking at the long-term future of the bears as greenhouse gas emissions contribute to the melting of the bears' frozen hunting grounds. Polar bear numbers, the biggest ever recorded. It's the farthest swimming, fastest swimming land animal. They routinely swim 200 miles to hunt. In the summer on ice flows, they show you an image of a polar bear hunting up on top of an ice flow and say, look, it's the last piece of ice. He'll soon drown. He can't swim. The Epic Times is reporting. It's official federal filing. 
Biden administration rule they're filing will ban nearly all portable gas power generators. Smaller gas generators would have to cut carbon monoxide emissions by 50%, and large generators would have to cut emissions by 95%. Nearly all models currently available are expected to not be able to comply with the new standard. Is it that funny they created a standard nobody can comply with? And because a microscopic amount of carbon monoxide is put off by a gas stove, it's about the cleanest thing there is, but there's just a microscopic amount, that's banned too. So I just had it up. Let me see if I can bring this up again. HR 794. Because this will we'll do a little bit of a deep dive here into some of these documents that were presented on those two clips. Fantastic job by Jeffrey Jackson and John Bound. As always, HR 794, Climate Emergency Act of 2021. So it's been a bill sitting there for a couple of years now. And back to this bill, please. And let's go to the text, put it on screen. And it says here the following. This is quite disturbing, but this is what, first of all, the fallacy being utilized here is called the fallacy of the mean. As an analogy, as a way to describe what this is, it's a frog in boiling water. Water gets incrementally hot, and the frog at first feels as though it's safe and it's comfortable, and all of a sudden it's boiling and doesn't realize that it's actually being boiled alive. That's what's happening here, no pun intended with the boiling, of course. But the slow incremental changes uh, and lifestyle behaviors pretty much fomented through policy changes that are going to affect our ability to gain certain, uh, you know, um, the ability to purchase things like gas power generators, gas stoves, uh, make it more expensive. I think they're going to weaponize essentially the economy through policy changes. Then when, when uh, Joe Biden sits there and says it's cheaper to generate power using renewables such as solar or wind, that's not true. That's heavy. That's first of all, all that's just false, even with all the subsidies that are provided by the federal government to those industries. It's just literally absolutely false. Um, nothing beats that this, this point in time. Um, uh, Exploding carbon, essentially. We'll just put it that way. Fossil fuels. Um, they're the, unfortunately the most efficient and the best still yet. Of course, that negates any possibility of other alternative um, energy systems, but I won't go down that rabbit hole because that is certainly a rabbit hole. But just look here. It says global atmospheric concentrations of a primary global pollutant, carbon dioxide, ignoring what carbon dioxide, it's plant food, increase 40% from pre-industrial times. And this has to do with human beings rising three to two to three parts per million annually must be reduced not to not more than 350 parts per million. So they're saying we have to reduce it. Do you think it's going to be the elites that reduce their usage of uh, of fossil fuels? Something tells me that's not the case. I'm just asking for a friend, though. I'm just wondering. So that's what's going on there. So let's go to some of these drafts. Okay, here's the zero draft, global governance. Op 18, strengthen international collaboration and coordination for pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response at the highest political level to accelerate efforts to ensure international, national, regional, and local readiness for future pandemics and health emergencies. Now, what is this from? This is from the political declaration of the United Nations General Assembly high-level meeting on pandemic prevention. This is about pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response. This is what, from the United Nations on September 20th, 2023? So this is, uh, yeah, or rather it's uh, coming up rather. So it's uh, this is what will be presented, I guess, in September 20th. Assembled at the United Nations on September 20, 2023, the dedicated focus for the first time on pandemic prevention. Pandemic prevention, let's go to this one. 
this has the one health provision. We got into one health many times on this show. And I could have sworn there was this SBF sort of uh, funding of that, but that's that could be just a confabulation. But it says here in Article 18, I remember covering this so many shows ago. I think it was Natalie and Clayton Morris who first brought it to our attention and did a whole breakdown of this. But here, number three, under Article 18, under One Health, the parties will identify and integrate into relevant pandemic prevention and preparedness plans, preventions that address the drivers of the emergence and reemergence of disease at the human and animal environment interface, including but not limited to climate change, land use change, wildlife trade, desertification, and antimicrobial resistance. It also goes on to state on number five, the parties commit to strengthen synergies with other existing relevant instruments that address the drivers of pandemics, such as climate change, biodiversity loss, which is they would claim is part of climate change, ecosystem degradation, which they would argue is part of climate change, and increased risks at the human-animal environment interface due to human activities, which they would say is, you know, the primary cause of that is climate change. So are we seeing a pattern here? Something tells me COVID-19 was a test run. It was just a dry run. It was before the main performance where they're now pushing for the, you want to talk about a supranational narrative, something that far extends beyond even, uh, uh, what COVID-19 and pandemics can produce. In fact, they're equivocating uh, and, and defining pandemics as climate change as being one of the essential components of what the definition of, of a pandemic is now because of uh, the uh, modification and manipulation of the land, of the environment by humans in general. It's the, in logic, we'd say it's the most extensive. It lacks uh uh, good essential understanding, but it's the most extensive concept that can be utilized. I mean, but unfortunately, it lacks comprehension, meaning it lacks the ability to, you can relate it to so many different things, but by relating it to so many different things, it loses its meaning as to what it fundamentally is. It sort of encompasses so much, it has no sort of uh, boundary as to make it distinguished from other things. And that's what's happening here. They're extending the definition so broadly in order to make it uh, so everything. Is considered to be uh, part of climate change or a pandemic response. They're sort of equivocating on these two elements and making false equivalences out of them uh, with not really any stable definitional boundary. Um, so we have a good understanding of what's taking place. And of course, this is all gobbledygook sort of uh, generated by lawyers as part of policy teams uh, for uh, statesmen around the world that are, you know, taking their lead from the UN. That was the UN where the guy is talking about global boiling or the WHL World Health Organization funded by the CPC, Communist Party of China, or in this case, uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I think those are the two biggest funders. Of course, uh, America was in the top five as well until Trump pulled us out and now we're back in. That's a whole other issue. So uh, not getting into the specifics of One Health because that's that's a rabbit hole that we've gone down many times before. You can see how they're broadening this scope to now include what they have been pushing for since the 1972 limits to growth, where they said human beings are the enemy. Human beings essentially are the problem um, in this capacity. If we're in search, we're in search of a common enemy. If we need to have an enemy uh, to galvanize meaning and, and to galvanize the ability to act under one sort of purview or, or sort of limited myopic purview, this would be it. Let's just say all of humanity is the enemy because of the way in which we manipulate the environment and utilize resources, produce energy, uh, conduct industry, so forth and so on. Um, be very careful when you see, and you know, I know in Oxford, England, and there's some other smaller areas in England are already trying to experiment with a sort of pseudo 15 minute 
city idea. Paul Joseph Watson has done extensive, not just him, many others over in Europe have done extensive sort of uh, commentary on this, but they're already beginning climate sort of lockdowns or they're doing situations where you can only drive in certain areas, certain parts of the day. It's all completely irrational because then people have to drive longer around, but then they're going to make it harder to drive. It's make it harder to afford fuel, which is you know only galvanized. Uh, or catalyzed rather by the whole Russia-Ukraine conflict, which again, each winter moving forward, as long as this conflict extends, is going to be issues of uh, uh, the ability for individuals to heat homes using natural gas or liquid propane or whatever you know um, particular fossil fuels in question due to the fact that much of that is supplied by Russia. So uh, I think people need to be aware of it. It's important to understand that uh, you know, they may also try to pull out another pandemic. You know, the next pandemic will be worse. You know, it's going to happen in this decade, according to Bill Gates. But what happens to the pandemic is climate change itself. You know, what happens if they make this so broad that anything, any sort, what their, what climate change, what the definition of climate change is, any sort of human action has a cost because there is a sort of uh, negative or deleterious effect on the environment. Therefore, we need to track, trace, and database every human interaction, every action a human being takes. Um, because it could have a negative effect. It could cause a pandemic. It could cause uh, a rise in you know, uh, global temperatures due to carbon dioxide and carbon emissions. Just it's completely nonsensical. It ignores the role of the sun, which I won't go into. I could go into a whole diatribe, but it ignores natural cycles like the Danskar Oshkar cycle, the Heinrich events um, related to atmospheric changes that have taken place and paleoclimatologists through actual instead of just contrived models, so actual like Greenland, I think it was the, the Greenland ice core samples in like 94 and other ones since then, I take those isotopes that showed wild variation to climate uh, long before there was what uh, anthropologists call the, the modern human, the historical period where we uh, gained the technology of agriculture and developed civilization. Now, I think that's dubious in and of itself when we look at some of the ancient structures that still exist. But nonetheless, you know, if we go along with their story, there is much hotter periods in the past than there are today, even in the historical past and certain elements of the medieval period as well, and also very damning cooling periods. Also, the you know, I think uh, the bubonic plague took place, if I remember correctly, because correlated with a major cooling period where the individuals had access to less food, less nutrition. There was actually less, like there was a loss of um, people were shorter there's a whole element of anthropologists meeting with geologists, recognizing these elements in regards to different stratification changes and also different human changes based on uh, some of the, the paleoclimatology data that's come out as well. There's strong correlations amongst all these different scientists of what I'm trying to say to show that there's wild variations that don't seem to have anything to do with the climate. That's to do with uh, the sun, uh, the magnetic field, and, and variations associated with that, which portends to a much more difficult situation because there's certainly things far outside human control and we're just coming to understand that let's move on to uh and get to intermission so we can uh find a way to get to the end of the show so let's first go to before we get to intermission let's just go it's a two-minute clip there's a dan dix i posted in gtw production just talking about this whole situation with the human trafficking i just want to cover what, what that's about get it on the the time capsule and make sure it's way up here. Boy, we post a lot in GTW production. Um, let me see if I can find this. Do you have that by chance? If not, I'll see if I can I'll find, find where I posted so it. I got it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's go. Let's just uh, check that out, see what that's about. And uh, we'll come back with some quick commentary and then move towards intermission, which will be a short intermission. And then we have a 
Kyle Dunnigan to play us out. So let's check out Dan Dix from Press for Truth. This is Dan Dix here reporting for Press for Truth, and today we're going to be talking about the biggest movie of the summer. And no, we're not talking about Barbenheimer or Open Barbie or whatever the heck people are referring to these two films as. No, today we're going to be talking about the massive box office smash hit, Sound of Freedom. Guys, this film has already grossed over $155 million. It's beating out Mission Impossible. It's beating out Indiana Jones. It is by far the biggest film. And of course, the movie is based on the gripping true story of a man's mission to rescue children from the darkest corners of the world. This action-packed drama shines a light on the harrowing reality of sex trafficking and the valiant efforts of those who work tirelessly to combat it. Now, I think the reason why this film is having such a huge amount of success right now is because it's only fairly recently that people are starting to become aware that this is even an issue in the first place and that this is something that is very serious and needs to be dealt with. But people are now starting to realize that people are actually actively trying to suppress this type of information from being seen. I mean, the director and the producer have already railed against the movie's faith-based label. They say that's just being used to prejudice moviegoers. And they've been open about the battle against woke Hollywood studios who have refused to bring this movie to light. The movie that has now made $155 million. Gee, I wonder why Hollywood wouldn't want this type of information from making it into the minds of the masses. Hmm, I wonder. Well, guess what? It has. And it's, as I said, made $155 million. So now that this is such a big thing, we're starting to see articles like this come out from Newsweek. Sound of Freedom funder Fabian Marta arrested for child kidnapping. So on the surface, this sounds pretty bad, right? It's like, uh, yeah, that's not good. One of the thousands of patrons who crowdfunded the film, Sound of Freedom, was recently arrested and charged for child kidnapping, according to court filings and social media posts. So again, if you're just reading this headline, it's like, sounds, you know, p pretty bad. But if you didn't know, guys, uh, the way that Angel Studios works is that you can become an angel investor and contribute in the project. They've already, as you see here, have over 7,000 people who have contributed to this film. So this guy happens to be one of the many thousands of thousands of people who contributed to this film. So they jump all over this. So if, to me, this is like a big nothing burger, guys. The um, producers, Angel Studios, have responded to this. And the fact that one of their backers has been charged with child kidnapping. Guys, we're going to talk about all of this and much more in this video. <laughs> Yeah, it's a nothing burger, but have you considered Dan Dix? And I'm sure he has, at least I would hope he has. The Greg Reese report we played a couple of weeks ago that showed, you know, uh, connections between Angel Studios and some very dubious figures connected with child trafficking, not to mention uh, others that seem to be around some very contrived and dubious situations, such as the Podesta Brothers, the Clinton Foundation, the Clinton Global Initiative, so forth and so on. And I forget the individual's name, remember James Jordan and I were talking about it, uh, that is also implicated as being connected to 
uh, the film, uh, maybe one of the producers, I'm spacing on the name, it's been a couple of weeks and it's like three in the morning. But nonetheless, there is an intimate connection there. Um, and it, it begs the question of this some sort of Trojan horse or honeypot situation with this film. A lot of questions, to, you know, but in this case, this is a nothing burger. I thought this might be something more meaningful, but no, nothing, nothing really important there. And we already got the more meaningful elements of uh, some of the the other side of what this film might be up to by not presenting actual uh, child trafficking from the highest levels that take place within America and other first world Western nations. And, uh, you know, and ignoring sort of the Epstein situation and talking about this, you know, presenting as though it's something that happens outside of America. It's controlled by cartels and organized crime. Not understanding about the greatest organized crime is actually the government itself and many of the multinational corporations that uh, uh, are in bed with the government. Um, so with that, I want to move towards intermission. I don't really have an intermission. My intermission was the Max Blumenthal complete debunking of RFK Jr., that's an hour long. Would love to play that, but considering the time constraints of it being already three in the morning, we had a late start. Rich certainly should be back home soon, and that'll be, you know, that will correct for a lot of these technical difficulties we've been having. We'll just uh, go with what Rich recommended. Uh, I like these two here. They're so it's not going to be necessarily coherent intermission, but we'll just play these two back to back. It'll be about a half hour, and then we'll come back for some quick commentary and move towards uh, closing out the show. The first one I want to play is just as Andrew Tate, a con artist. Uh, I'm not a, I am not a fan of Andrew Tate. Um, I've it's sort of insinuated at times. I do think, in fact, he is a con artist. I've seen a number, not from this individual, but a number of individuals and producers who have called out Andrew Tate over many years now, long before he sort of rose to fame the way he has. And so I'm curious to see what this, uh, you know, what this individual warrior, warrior poet society is the moniker being used has to say about it. And then of course, Academy of ideas, one of my favorite YouTube channels ever. Um, Eric Hoffer, the true believer in nature of mass movements is an Academy of ideas production and play those two back to back and come back for some quick commentary. And then we'll move. To, we'll see if there's any last clips we need to play uh, before we move to, uh, to close up the show. So without further ado, let's head towards intermission. It'll be a short intermission, just maybe about a half hour long, not even. Play these two clips back to back and we'll come back from there. Most of what I do these days is talk about masculinity. Masculinity is on significant decline due to have lost their way. The ancient paths are no longer being trod. I've written a book on this recently, and I really, really do care about men being able to grow and step into the roles of protector and provider and shepherds of their families. It's a really, really big deal because all of our societal problems, when you boil it down, comes down to family unit stuff. That's some of the most important stuff. And that's why I see some dudes like Andrew Tate, the most important cultural influences in existence today and people following him. It is absolutely amazing to me that people don't realize this guy's a con artist. I cannot believe it that even some folks on the conservative right have given him the right hand of fellowship. Uh, and that's and, and maybe not per se right hand of fellowship, but tacitly to lend some credibility from Tucker Carlson to Andrew Tate seems incredible to me. Like everyone's been there for years. I thought I was gonna be there for years and it certainly takes a mental toll on you. And, and I think jail is a different experience when you know you're innocent. 
when he sets up all these, I'm like, man, I would have been asking much, much different questions. And I'm not attacking Tucker here because I really like Tucker. Uh, from what I know, I, I don't know Tucker personally, but I really, really appreciate Tucker. And so that's why his long interview was very upsetting to me. I'm like, man, ask him the hard stuff. Ask him about the things he has said even recently. Candace Owens recently as well. Andrew Tate. Long time. I know, it's been a very long time. And she pushed a little bit more on some of these issues, but not nearly like I would have liked. I want him exposed. He is a digital pimp. He is a pornographer. He is not a good man. He will destroy families. He's already destroying people. And so there's nothing I can do to convince a lot of you guys of what I'm saying is true. Because some of you have heard Andrew Tate and he's had the ring of truth because he said really true stuff. I bet I could sit down with Tate and we could talk for hours on just stuff that we agree on. And we'd be like, yeah, rock on. And I would feel amidst his charisma and winsome personality and his ability to smooth talk, I would be willing to say, I'm like, man, this guy's just like me. Birds of a feather, you and I. But the difficulty is, is on that huge 90% stuff that we would agree with. And I'd be like, hey, good point, Tate. Love what you just said there. There's this pernicious, deadly part that we disagree on. And this is the stuff, this will be the death knell to your life and your future families. And it's going to absolutely wreck you and uh, your soul won't survive it. Do not follow Tate. Now here is Tate. In his own words, this is uh, Milk Bar TV posted this on Twitter, and I think nobody could uh, show you who Andrew Tate is better than Andrew Tate himself. And so I'm going to yield the rest of my time to repost Milk Bar TV on Twitter, their entire clip of just Tate answering Tate. You'll see the lie, and you'll see the smooth part, and then you'll see Tate bragging more off the cuff when he's not on stage and being all charismatic and trying to win over the internet to worship him as a cultural god, you'll see Tate even recently where it says it was a long time, but then you'll find out, you look at the bottom, you'll be like, oh, this, this is recent. He's a con artist and he's conning you, young men. Don't fall for it. He is not your Messiah. There's only one Messiah that you should be putting hope in and it's certainly not him. Here's Andrew Tate debunking Andrew Tate. First off, how long ago was your webcam business? Yeah, so I stopped, I stopped having any involvement with it, I think eight to nine years ago. The last two to three years I've been making money on OnlyFans from its inception all the way up till now. I'm currently filming this during the COVID pandemic. You may be watching this later on, but right now during the pandemic. And I ended up opening a webcam company where girls would sit on a laptop and they would talk to guys on the internet for money. That's what they would do. It's like, you know what? I'm taking over. So what I did is I unplugged their keyboards. I plugged a new one in for me behind the screen. So the chicks would sit there and hit a keyboard that wasn't plugged in. And me and my brother and eventually some staff I trained would do all the talking. The girls would sit there fully clothed or a bikini. The girls were just pure, just famosers, just laughing and doing this, the titties out. One, I intimately understand the relationship between men and these websites. And they were talking to ice cold hustlers. We were taking their money, all of it. I've had and seen men give away their life savings to girls they'd never met. I've watched and I've seen it. They, they come and say, <laughs> what kind of, all of it. We've 
milking them dry. And I actually think a lot of the insights I give, I had these guys selling their houses, life savings, loans, all of it to me. Give me it all. A lot of the things I tell the world about the male men mental health crisis. You'd have Did a you guy. feel bad or no? To give a solitary It's the mark of a psychopath. They have no empathy. It's actually quite clever. It's very psychopathic textbook psychopath in that he's highly winsome and able to influence and he's got that power but he has zero empathy about men being so constantly lonely we got to the point where we had these guys falling in love with my models serious big time in love right sending crazy money and they were convinced they were going to meet the chick this is almost where i kind of felt bad about how important it is to build yourself into a high value man because they were like can we meet i've sent you two hundred thousand dollars can we meet? Can we meet? Can oh, we meet? About how money alone is not enough. The what was is, the most that one person sent to a model? Total. Million? Wow. Wow. About a mil in about a year? You don't feel bad at all. Why the f would I yeah, care? I don't feel bad either. So, uh, thank you. I explain all these things. A lot of these are lessons from the webcam days. I saw dudes who had a whole bunch of money, no other attributes, and they ended up on these websites spending hundreds of thousands of dollars because they didn't have anything else. Just like Andrew Tate was unbelievable to me that he would say, listen, I have done such and such in the past, but I'm not a guy who would uh, dwell on that. I'm not gonna say I'm sorry for what I've done in the past. Uh, and, and he's like, he's just being honest about that. And somehow, as his just smooth words are rolling out, he's making lack of repentance and any personal accountability for wrongdoing a virtue. And we're just being like, oh yeah, he's being honest. And so he pits one virtue uh, against a vice to turn the vice into a virtue. But so the girl would be online for six or seven hours, but then when she logged off, was sleeping or whatever, on her WhatsApp, I'd have staff. She was online 24 hours a day, her WhatsApp or this. She was famousing when she was asleep. We were bringing in money for the fucking sky. This is what the powers that be want. They want to make sure that the male populace is as docile as possible. And they do that with a, a large array of weapons. And they do that with a web of tools. And I believe that I'm the counter to that, which is the reason I ended up attacked in the first place. And here's, maybe this is a bit bad. Here's where the famoose would start. So it'd be good, like I had a lot of girls who worked for me and the best was like the Ukrainians or the Russians. It was amazing. Cause they'd get some guy, fall in love, da -da -da. they'd arrange the day to meet, all this da -da -da -da. Ah, I need a visa. Okay, get a visa. I need money for a visa. Okay, how much is a visa? It's $900. Oh no, but it's not $900 cause I went to the embassy. They think I'm a, a risk and I need a, a return flight there and back and I need a hotel. I need to have spending money in my bank account. They won't let me come. Or how much you need? All right, 10 grand. Boom, it's 10 Gs. Boom. Wow. Go to the embassy, take a picture outside the embassy, boom, come back. They rejected my visa. They said, we have to wait two weeks. After two weeks, they'll give it to me. Okay, baby, boom. Two more weeks of tips. Boom, 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 boom. Because now he thinks he's going to f***, right? He thinks he's get the girls. Now he's spending more than ever. Two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. Two weeks come. Some other problem. I think I can anticipate the question you're going to ask. How do I reconcile with the fact that I used to produce pornography right. or degree porno porn pornographic content? And now men are writing to you. Like, how do I? And now men are trying to escape yeah. it. Yeah. Girls are desperately signing up because it's an easy way for them to make money, but without instruction, pimping can. A hoe without instruction is headed for self-destruction. So these girls, they don't have a man telling them what to do properly, they're lazy, and they end up making a few bucks, maybe, of that, and they stay on the very, very bottom of the pile. You don't want that. You've bought this course, you wanna make your money back, and you wanna to continue to make money for a long time, so you want your girls to be elite, I'm gonna teach you how to do that. Eventually, the girl, what she would do is she'd say, Oh, I don't want to go MC. She'd give a really lame excuse to try and provoke the man to get angry. So she'd say, the embassy want me to come back, but I have a headache. That was the one we'd use. <laughs> He'd be like, I just sent you a million dollars. You promised you were going to come. You said you had to delay. Now you're saying you have a fucking headache and you won't go to your appointment to make him mad on purpose because that would annoy any man. And then 
that's what we needed. We need the little trigger. We go, why are you being aggressive? I'm not being aggressive, but you're not serious, da, da, da. And then we'd say, but you know what? I, I really like you and I'm flying to the other side of the world by myself and now you're being aggressive and now I'm intimidated. And we'd flip it on him saying, well, now you're being scary. No, I'm not being scary, but you, you know, it's your appointment. You're supposed to go, yeah, but I feel sick and you don't even care. Female, female, you mother flip it on him, oh flip it on him. God. And he'd get furious because we were really good you're at playing sides. Yeah, poking him to the point where he'd go like, you're a scammer you fucking scam me get really mad i can't believe you think i was a scammer i was gonna come i went to the embassy you're a fucking liar you should avoid if you're a dishonest person if you lie if you're gonna deceive me it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman i don't want to have anything to do with you the guy would get pissed off right and leave stop tipping her stop coming to her but for these men that's the only chick in the world the only hot chick in the world who talks to him maybe it takes a week maybe it takes two weeks maybe it takes three weeks he's in bed at night alone looking at her old videos and pictures, watching her stream again from another account so she can't see it's him, sitting there going, maybe she was gonna come. Maybe I just got too mad yeah, when she had a headache. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I should have been a little bit more patient and she would have been my girlfriend. And 100% of the time, in less than three months, they'd be back with an apology, a brand new pile of money, and the cycle would repeat. We killed the game. Millions of dollars a week. And it was not just because I had beautiful girls. It's not because webcam is easy. It's because I am a genius. And I put together an apparatus of genius behind the avatar of beauty. And we <laughs> conquered the internet. It's all massively hypocritical. In 1951, Eric Hoffer, a philosopher from San Francisco, published a book titled The True Believer. In it, he provided a fascinating analysis of mass movements, which will be the topic of this lecture. The first half of the 20th century experienced a multitude of major mass movements from Nazism in Germany to the communist movements of China and Russia. However, recently, the world has not been witness to mass movements of such monumental significance. The Arab Spring, which began in late 2010, is an example of a recent mass movement, yet its size and significance is dwarfed by the 20th century mass movements in Germany, China, and Russia. The Occupy Wall Street movement may come to mind as a recent mass movement in the Western world, but although it garnered some attention, it soon flickered into oblivion without achieving any noteworthy change. The late 20th and early 21st centuries, especially in the Western world, were largely immune to mass movements of much significance. That being said, at some point in the future the world will likely experience another major mass movement which will change the course of history. Examining the work of Hoffer can thus grant us insight into one of the sculpting factors of civilization, as well as into the nature of human beings. Mass movements can take many forms. Some are driven by religious ideas, other by political, social, or nationalistic ideas. Hoffer, however, believed that whatever their type, all mass movements share certain common characteristics. All mass movements, he wrote, generate in their adherents a readiness to die and a proclivity for united action. All of them, irrespective of the doctrine they preach, breed fanaticism, enthusiasm, fervent hope, hatred, and intolerance. All of them are capable of releasing a powerful flow of activity in certain departments of life. All of them demand blind faith and single-hearted allegiance. Central to Hoffer's work is his examination of the type of person most prone to take part in a mass movement, the person Hoffer labeled the true believer. The true believer is a person who joins the movement in its early and most active stages. Hoffer defined the true believer as the man of fanatical faith who is ready to sacrifice his life for a holy cause. 
In his analysis of the true believer, Hoffer repeatedly emphasized that they are individuals characterized by a deep-seated frustration with life. This frustration arises from a lack of purpose and meaning in life, as well as feelings of rejection and loneliness. According to Hoffer, such individuals do not attribute their failures to their own shortcomings, but instead blame all their inadequacies on the state of society. Under the conviction that their lives would be fulfilled and joyous if only society were different, the true believer goes to work with impassioned energy and attempts to transform the society they believe is the source of their misery. Hoffer noted that this psychological tendency to view the state of society as responsible for one's lot in life is not confined to the frustrated individual. Even those who live fulfilling lives will often see their success as contingent on the current state of society and not wholly the result of one's character and willpower. There is in us a tendency to locate the shaping forces of our existence outside ourselves. The difference is that those satisfied with their lot in life typically want to preserve the current state of society, while those disappointed with their life will often favor the radical change promised by a mass movement. But not all who are disappointed with their lot in life will be attracted to mass movements. In addition to disappointment, there must be at least a flicker of hope that things can be better. Hoffer suggested that those born into abject poverty and who struggle each day just to survive lack the necessary hope of a better existence, and thus do not believe that even a revolutionary mass movement could change their terrible lot in life. Instead of coming from the worst off in a society, true believers usually come from a group Hoffer called the New Poor. It is usually those whose poverty is relatively recent, the New Poor, Hoffer wrote, who throb with the ferments of frustration. The memory of better things is as fire in their veins. Another common characteristic of the true believer is that they are usually people who lack creativity. Hoffer pointed out that those who spend their days consumed in a state of creative flow, be they painters, writers, scientists, or artisans, even if they are poor, are very unlikely to be attracted to a mass movement. Rather, creativity acts as an antidote to the frustrations that can arise from poverty, instilling in the creative individual inner joy despite external hardships. Furthermore, creative activity also staves off boredom, or as Hoffer put it, There is perhaps no more reliable indicator of a society's ripeness for a mass movement than the prevalence of unrelieved boredom. In their earliest stages, mass movements are more likely to find sympathizers and support among the bored than among the exploited and oppressed. To a deliberate fomenter of mass upheavals, the report that people are bored stiff should be at least as encouraging as that they are suffering from intolerable economic or political abuses. While the existence of true believers is a necessary requirement for mass movements, Hoffer believed that the intellectuals of a society also have an important role to play in their emergence. The intellectuals must lay the groundwork of a mass movement, so to speak, and Hoffer identified four ways that they typically do this. By discrediting prevailing creeds and institutions, and detaching from them the allegiance of the people. By indirectly creating a hunger for faith in the hearts of those who cannot live without it, so that when the new faith is preached, it finds an eager response among the disillusioned masses. By furnishing the doctrine and the slogans of the new faith, by undermining the convictions of the better people, those who can get along without faith, so that when the new fanaticism makes its appearance, they are without the capacity to resist it. The role of the intellectuals is so important 
that it is only after they have done their work that the great leader can enter, prey on the emotions of the disenchanted, and shape them into the cohesive whole which is characteristic of all mass movements. Once the stage is set, wrote Hoffer, the presence of an outstanding leader is indispensable. Without him, there will be no movement. One of the main reasons why an outstanding leader is indispensable for a mass movement is that the leader unifies potential true believers together into a crowd. Hoffer pointed out that the most utilized and effective way to do this is to arouse hatred in the crowd by creating a common enemy, whether real or fictional, who the leader blames for all the failures and frustrations experienced by true believers. This hatred pulls the true believers together, as nothing instills the feeling of brotherly love better than a common enemy. Hatred is the most accessible and comprehensive of all unifying agents. It pulls and whirls the individual away from his own self, makes him oblivious of his wheel and future, frees him of his jealousies and self-seeking. He becomes an anonymous particle quivering with a craving to fuse and coalesce with his like into one flaming mass. Mass movements can rise and spread without belief in a god, but never without belief in the devil. Interestingly, Hoffer was adamant in his assertion that individuals join mass movements not for reasons of self-advancement, but for what he called self-renouncement. A mass movement, particularly in its active revivalist phase, appeals not to those intent on bolstering and advancing a cherished self, but to those who crave to be rid of an unwanted self. A mass movement attracts and holds a following not because it can satisfy the desire for self-advancement, but because it can satisfy the passion for self-renunciation. Those who crave self-renunciation are those who cannot envision creating a better life for themselves. Hence, what they desire is not freedom, for to be free means that one is responsible for one's life. On the contrary, Hoffer asserted that those who join mass movements desire to escape what they feel as the overwhelming burden of freedom. They want freedom from the fearful burden of free choice, Hoffer wrote, freedom from the arduous responsibility of realizing their ineffectual selves and shouldering the blame for the blemished product. They do not want freedom of conscience but faith, blind authoritarian faith. It is not the wickedness of the old regime they rise against, but its weakness. Not its oppression, but its failure to hammer them together into one solid, mighty whole. This desire and willingness to sacrifice virtually all of one's freedoms, and in many cases even one's life to a cause, provides the leaders of a mass movement with the capability of instituting significant social change. However, with such change, there are always people who are made significantly worse off by the mass movement. The question arises as to why those who are negatively affected by mass movements seldom fight to protect the state of affairs they favor with the same passion as those who fight for change. And we will conclude this lecture with Hoffer's thought-provoking answer. One of the rules that emerges from a consideration of the factors that promote self-sacrifice is that we are less ready to die for what we have or are than for what we wish to have and to be. It is a perplexing and unpleasant truth that when men already have something worth fighting for, they do not feel like fighting. People who live full, worthwhile lives are not usually ready to die for their own interests, nor for their country, nor for a holy cause. Craving, not having, is the mother of a reckless giving of oneself. We have it's a brilliant... Actually, there's two... You know, it may not let me get my headphones on here. It's actually veiled, but there's a connection between the two, right? So Andrew Tate, not surprisingly, 
weaponized the disillusionment, the emasculation of men, uh, the loss of the family unit, um, the sort of uh, uh, emasculation, the sort of the third, second and third wave feminism, uh, propping up essentially male characteristics and females, and uh, sort of let's sort of catalyzing female characteristics. In other words, overturning sort of the standard gender um, uh, actions and behaviors and sort of gaslighting and uh, confabulating an individualist this idea that they should embrace like the elements that are essentially part of another specific gender. Women take on the role of males in a society that also doubles the amount of tax revenue, by the way, in a society when doing so in the 60s and 70s. And Gloria Steinem, for example, also uh, reproductive control, which is fine. Um, but if it has to do with uh, the, the idea of eugenics through Planned Parenthood and through the idea of controlled um, parenthood and then moving towards, then, of course, Roe v. Wade and abortion, there's so many elements at play all at once when you think about what has taken place. There's, you know, it's really interesting. It's very interesting because this creates the conditions where males feel like they don't have males and females. Females, in fact, are the ones most impacted by gender dysphoria, for example. But why are both sexes currently experiencing this extreme existential crisis, especially in the youth right now? What is the ideological burden placed on them? There's extreme boredom. There's this idea that life has been uh, uh, sort of scripted for them. There's no way to individuate within the society. And so they seek attention for females, especially for in, that are much more socially oriented. They seek, you know, uh, there's been an uptick in a massive, masses, uh, many orders of magnitude change in white, young, suburban female adolescents that have decided to identify as being um, uh, transgender. That is not normal. That is a new phenomenon we have never experienced before, particularly it's always been in males at very young ages, about one in I think every 10,000 experience sort of, sort of gender dysphoria as an example. Um and on obviously on the male side, there's been repeated essential uh, attacks associated with anything that have to do with masculinity is being toxic. The patriarchy, all forms of aggression being associated, which is not true, but being associated with males, um, war, famine, disease, pestilence. It seems like everything has to do somehow with the way males have created and structured society. That's the narrative that the postmoderns and much of the second and third wave feminists want you to believe. So we have both sexes pitted against one another and then taking on each other's sort of traditional gender attributes and roles and behaviors. So there's a hyper confusion. There's certainly boredom. Um, but what? how does this connect to the Andrew Tate video? And this is sort of the veiled connection is that Andrew Tate weaponized the emasculation of males. Essentially, this is beta, soy boy, whatever one sort of pejoratives that people have been throwing out about the the this the, the millennial generation and the younger generations associated um, with the internet age. Um, those that unfortunately uh, who live behind a screen, who have very little social interaction, don't know how to interact with members of the opposite sex. And he weaponized that. He went, he weaponized it and made a ton of money, a ton, like an insane amount of money. And then as the that poets for truth or whatever, the warrior poet uh, individual has stated, he turns it into a virtue. He turns what is a vice into a virtue. Like, well, I recognize by doing this that, you know, I, you know, I, what's inherently wrong with males and that we need to take on the qualities that he himself, Andrew Tate, does not embody. He is not a family man. He exploits women. 
um, he will do he will actually utilize the exploitation of both males and females in this capacity, but females in particular can, but he's exploiting males for their money through this female through the female. So uh, he's utilizing all these webcam services, right? And then he's utilizing that to say, like, look how much money I have. He postures as though he's this ultra alpha male who gets all these hot girls and, you know, these sports cars and, you know, whatever. And, and, and as though those are masculine traits. So he's also gaslighting his audience. Like you should, you see, so he's telling young males, you should be, let's, let's think about it this way. You should be family men. You should be providers. You should be protectors. But then at the same time, he lives the opposite lifestyle where he's like, I'm a playboy. I go around driving these fancy cars. You know, I have these the mansions and have all these girls over. So he says one thing and does another. And so he, he does he does a great job of equivocating on the virtue vice angle. Um, so and that is the way he presents himself very charismatically, especially with bravado um, and uh, force. It's something that uh, does exhibit the hallmarks of a classical psychopath. I will say that he has no empathy, but then he also has the charisma to back up his lack of empathy and enough intelligence to understand how to manipulate. And that's one of the hallmarks of psychopathy, the ability to manipulate individuals into, uh, you know, gaslighting them or believing that they aren't who, what their actions dictate they, sh- they are. In fact, you know, so they convince through words what their actions otherwise would contradict. And I think that's that's sort of the idea with what Eric Hoffer's saying, right? Eric Hoffer's saying it takes an individual, um, a true believer, which Rich and I have commented on many, many times, at least privately, something we discussed at length because we noticed it so often in so many different groups, if anything, um, codified in um, the book, uh, The Infinite Jest, you know, wherever, you know, and now that's taken to an extreme, uh, extreme case, but, um, and I'm, can't believe I'm spacing on the name of that such a brilliant book. Uh, let me bring it up here. David Foster Wallace, right? I think that's who it was. Where he sort of, he he's able to capture the, yeah, David Foster Wallace, able to capture the essence of essentially this meaninglessness that's sort of gripped modern uh, culture. And so where does this meaninglessness stem from? So it's, part of it certainly is the contrived nature of our systems, education, the institutions we frequent, um, this idea of feeling like there's nothing left to conquer for young males and then being gaslit as though that's an issue with them as though it's not something sort of natural male behavior to go out and want to find a way to, you know, find some way in order to provide, uh, to develop a craft, to be creative, to find ways to express ourselves in creative ways to, in order to also monetize that potentially, and also build a family, uh, and a community around that. Um, you know, that's, the only way you can do that is by taking on responsibility. That was the Jordan Peterson prescription, whatever one thinks about him. You know, he's uh, different from what he used to be. But in that capacity, taking on responsibility all of a sudden alleviates a lot of these concerns. And that's sort of the mentioned. Because if you don't take responsibility, both for your actions or for your own plight in life, resentment builds up. It's like fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to the dark side of the forest. Well, it's sort of similar to the Star Wars idea, right? And presented through Yoda. Is a, as an analogy, was that the resentment that builds up in individuals from this lack of feeling like they have any sort of meaning or purpose in life can catalyze us to uh, take very, very uh, damning collectivistic uh, group action. Uh, that's the true believer. They're willing to give themselves over to some sort of individual or group that espouses certain ideology and do anything 
this could be radical veganism. This could be the radical climate, um, the climate activists. It could be the radical COVID uh, individuals that you know supported mandates and locked down everything under the sun. You know, this is a similar behavior. This is catalyzed by the fact that we live in a scarce world and there's a lot of suffering to this world. We have, an, as men, particularly, have an opportunity to take responsibility for ourselves, no matter how bad our life has been, no matter how much we have been abused and many, some much more than others, obviously. But we can either allow that abuse to define us or we can find a way to take responsibility and rise above it. And I think that's what it comes down to. It's going to come down to individuals not groups, but individuals taking action on behalf of themselves and finding ways to provide meaning in their life without essentially infringing on another individual's ability to do so. It's that simple. That's basic natural law right there. Um, so it's, it's, it's unfortunate because I think, you know, at first I was like, well, these two videos are not going to relate. So I was like, ah, it doesn't really make a good intermission, but no, it was, you know, I don't know if that was Richard's intention, but certainly I could, you see the veiled sort of connection between the two. You know, there is on one side, the formation of mass movements happens from both males and females, especially young adolescents in a society um, that are living in a condition such as what exists today through the postmodern doctrine and and uh, queer theory and you know, gender studies and ethnic studies and all this sort of contrived nonsense coming out of critical theory and then promoted by the postmodernists in the 60s and then sort of um, uh, instantiated in academia, most certainly. Uh, and the end result is a very confused, very bored, very and very um, existentially uh, disrupting uh, or disrupted generation. That is the perfect, the perfect uh, cultivated ground for a mass movement to take place. Now, the question is, do you need a leader in the traditional sense anymore? See, that's the one part I'm not sure Eric Hoffer could have anticipated is technology. Think about what happened during COVID. I mean, this this Eric Hoffer is, and this is in the 1950s. And you can see all the hallmarks he's talking about is what happened, like for example, in Nazi Germany, um, with especially the sanctions that happened after World War One. You know, the the new poor that was created, the resentment that built up, um, and then that sort of catalyzed the the rise of national socialism. Well, this is a little bit different because we just had a mass movement. And you had the likes of uh, I'm spacing on the name, but this whole idea of mass formation psychosis or mass formation and then uh, something psychosis that uh, the two psychologists independent of one another sort of came up with and sort of been combined together with mass formation psychosis. And the idea is this free floating anxiety, this sort of catalyzed also this. So you had free floating anxiety. You had a situation where there's too much information. So people didn't know how to relate to one another. You have atomization. Uh, you have certainly plenty of boredom, um, uh, especially in our contrived media landscape where you have infinite number. Seemingly, there's an inverse relationship. There's so much ways to entertain ourselves, and yet people feel more and more anesthetized to uh, the to getting any sort of satisfaction from that entertainment. So you had a mass formation take place. But the mass formation, could you say Anthony Fauci was the leader or Biden or even Trump early on? I couldn't say any of those or Tedros out of the World Health Organization or any of those the leader. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. It was it was this nebulous idea of science itself. You know, it was people behind screens referencing studies that may or may not have taken place or may or may not have been contrived in some capacity to get the results that they needed, such as the Pfizer studies, for example. You know, it's it's taken on, in other words, a more abstract role. The leader doesn't necessarily, I think, have to be an actual individual. It can be something like 
an AI technology potentially, where it could be something as uh, like uh, the leader could take on something as a whole collective group of voices on the internet that are essentially alluding to or associating with what the science, quote unquote, this abstract idea or new religion that has been developed really from the 19th century onwards dictates. And the science says this, the science says that. There were priests of the science, such as the Anthony Fauci's, for example, or the Francis Collins and, and many others, um, and Peter Hotez's, for example, um, and Michelle, uh, Rochelle Lewinsky, excuse me, there's so many. Uh, there were leaders, but there could you say any of them were specifically the leader? I can't say for sure. They kept referencing, if anything, the science. Even those priests referenced like, their holy grail of science, the studies, the journals, you know, uh, the labs doing the research, whatever. And this sort of leaves in this abstract space where we're, we're left at the, the whims of, especially in a media landscape of cybernetic feedback. So you're with the, the, this technology we have available to us where they can give us, we, we tell us what they want. We want some sort of order and it pumps out that order based on the collective voices of the, the, the landscape and the media. And then those in the control of that narrative itself. It's very interesting. It's not like it's changed dramatically. It's the same process in play, but it's just more abstracted. It's more abstracted because of the layers of technology we put in in between it. And I think it's important to be aware of that, that I think, if anything, a vast movement certainly has already taken place. And people have sort of, the lines have been drawn between those essentially who have, you know, agree with the ideas of individual liberty and uphold that principle amongst all others. And those are more willing to capitulate. I'm sure many of us know plenty of people in our lives during the COVID-19 pandemic who capitulated to the rules uh, and the mandates and the policies of local, state, and federal government associated with lockdowns or mask mandates or vaccine mandates or what have you. And these are types of individuals that never would have done so in the first place if it wasn't for some sort of quote-unquote emergency, which is also very abstract. It's interesting. You know, that's what uh, and this relates to what I we played beforehand with the climate emergency. They're taking it more and more abstract. It becomes even harder to recognize who necessarily is the leader or whether or not it's true or not true. It's it's based on so many different um it's so far outside the purview and under and uh, ability to understand for the average individual, something that Carl Sagan warned about this gap in technology, this gap in intelligence, a knowledge gap is a power gap, as Richard oftentimes alludes to, and it's quite literal. And so we need to be aware of that and um, try to hedge against it and call bullshit out uh, as much as possible uh, when we see it and develop intellectual self-defense, develop ways in which we can at least um, protect ourselves um, from the onslaught of various format, various mass formations that are becoming more and more abstracted to the level of this this the, the technological level that's making it harder and harder to point to. It's easy to point at Hitler, right? It's easy to point at Stalin. It's easy to point at Mao. These are individuals that led these mass movements. But now what, it's not so easy just to point at Fauci or Dazak or Collins or or Shelowinski or you know members of the NHS over in England or the NIH or you know, the World Health Organization, Tedros, like who we, or Bill Gates, like there's so many different ones and they're all pointing to studies of scientists we don't even know about, right? Or massive corporations conducting the experiments like Pfizer, for example, and the, the division called BioNTech, which developed the, the, the gene therapy the mRNA gene therapy, at least for the, the BioNTech version. 
Oh man. So it's just, we need to be very aware of that. The fertile ground has been here. Mass movements are still happening and taking place. And so one thing I would disagree with the Academy of ideas on is just the fact that as though there one mass movements have not happened, they've happened multiple times. It just has been more cloaked. It's under sort of a cloak and veil, if you will. Um, it's much more pernicious in that standpoint. It happened with 9-11. There's a mass movement for going after Osama bin Laden and the supposed Al-Qaeda, which references the database, the Mujahideen that was set up under Brzezinski under Operation Cyclone in the 19, late 1970s, uh, early 1980s. I think it was late 1970s, if I remember correctly. Uh, and that allowed the development of the home uh, the department such as Homeland Security, right? Uh, department of Homeland Security, that is. And the Patriot Act, which sets the stage then for the future tyrannical acts such as One Health and the Pandemic Treaty and all the stuff I just read in regards to, um, you know, and also predicts and these elements of weaponizing viruses and biotechnology uh, um, and then the monitoring associated with that. They set up the problems and then they set up the solutions at the same time. You know, this is a great a business plan because then you're guaranteed to have consistent business no matter what. It's uh, very uh, not unlike what Andrew Tate kind of did, to be honest. Very damning, very troubling, very important to be aware of. So with that, let's move to end the show for this evening. Let me just take a quick look to see if there's anything live. Uh, well, other individ- Oops. I don't know why I want to mute there. Uh, yeah, you were muted. But anyways. Oh, um, me. The whole time or just that second there? For a few seconds there. Oh, okay, okay. That's good. Uh, yeah, so there's nothing. There's a bunch of other things we could get into, but it's just a little bit too late. So let's just go to... Um, we covered the main topics for this week, as far as I'm concerned. Let's go to the Fresh Press of DC. Kyle Dunnigan, big fan of his, always enjoy his work. Um, and you know, I'm just going to wrap it up to be to, just to state and reiterate what I've been saying. Mass movements have already taken place. They have been consistently taking place. Um, it doesn't need to be as conspicuous as it was in the early and mid 20th century understanding the cybernetic paradigm and the technological paradigm in which we exist. They're taking place on a scale that's much faster, more pernicious, but much more veiled. And it's, it's, it's the fallacy of the mean where we're slowly moving to incremental, incrementally towards greater forms of tyranny, global forms of tyranny, where they abstract more and more crises, you know, from pandemics now to climate change and uh, utilize the science, a totally abstract concept that's made up of a number of adherents and acolytes and priests associated with it, that doesn't have one central ruler. It just has a, it's almost like a disembodied thought form, like an egregore, if you will, um, for those who understand the sort of mystical connotations of that term. And it sort of stands as something much worse. Whereas we can point to a Hitler or Stalin or Mao and say bad, or uh, Mussolini as well, and say that was bad. They were a leader of a mass movement. In this case, how do you take down a pure abstract concept itself and something that's gaining feedback? Um, in other words, the feedback allows for a level of velocity that never existed before between those who are being catalyzed and impregnated and taking action based on wayward ideology such as that and the buildup of the ideology itself. Something we need to be aware of. It's happening and same with the AI and transhumanism and technocracy. It's all sort of combined together. These are already happening. They're already taking place. And we need to be aware to at least uh, mitigate from the worst consequences of what could manifest from what's transpiring. So fantastic presentation, both by um, 
uh, what's his name? Warrior Poet. And then uh, Academy of Ideas referencing Eric Hoffer, but just sort of bringing it full circle to the modern age of what we're experiencing. So with that, I want to, before we head to the final video for tonight, I want to hand it over to LD. He can rack it up and uh, give our thanks to those who keep this show running. All right, that's working right on. Huge thanks to our Grand Theft World community members and a uh, big thanks to tonight's Rockfin Tippers, Nick the Sound Guy, $10. Haven't you folks figured out yet that these guys are like strippers? They don't want the show. <laughs> they don't start the show or let you see any juicy bits until we give them a few bucks. I added a little extra to start the <laughs> LD monitor fun going. Well, I don't know about all that, but thank you. No, thank you, Nick. Uh, yeah, I had a monitor. That's <laughs> a monitor burning from inside before the show started. So that was fun. That's crazy. There's some ah, tech good Andy. Tonight, man. That's, that's insane. Yeah. Good Andy tip. $10 matching Nick, Nick, the sound guy, LD monitor fund. <laughs> Thanks guys. Well, uh, yeah, let's get some more donations. Get some donations right now. LD monitor fund. <laughs> how we need that. We need it for LD. Get, get LD at hell on. Let's get him like a two forty Hertz. Some sort of crazy, you know, gamer monitor, some like badass. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna be able to replace the one I had. I had I had, you know, two screens in one, basically. Or thirty four hundred pixels or whatever. But uh, I'm making do. I found found one that works in the meantime. Um I know, it just it helps to have three monitors doing this. The show doesn't just happen. I agree on its own. No, um, <laughs> no I mean Summers. you do so much work. People knew how much you and Cody are doing in the background. It's like there's. I know we've been having production difficulty. I think that has more to do with Rich's laptop on the road more than anything else. So it's something we'll address later on. But no, to your point, LD, like shout out to LD and Cody, and they both they are the lifeblood of the show. That's what keeps it running. They're the infrastructure that keep us going you know whatever technical difficulties we've been having over the past couple of weeks i think again is uh not to blame rich you're not blaming rich specifically but the technology utilizing i think it's more on rich's end than anything it's nothing to do with ld or cody they've been trying their best to, to keep it going and doing a fantastic job so it's a lot that a lot of moving pieces a lot of moving parts in the background and can't thank them enough for the work they do because i know when i've i've hosted and did the the sort of control room once panel for the, I think the first time I host it's it's like it's it's so much to do all at once you're trying to provide commentary and trying to like go to the next clip and trying to get things queued up it's impossible There's so much work involved just can't thank LD for what you do we'll try to get you a monitor out to you I'll see if we can figure something out because that's wow. that's that's crazy figured out um Doug Summers threw in five dollars at least this way they're not getting coins tossed at them. <laughs> um Emma, let's see it seems Emma, to be a theme here <laughs> emma kurjik kurjik apologize for if i uh scrambled that five dollars glad to finally catch the live show thank you thank you ross guy threw in five dollars and shane Theriot, Shout out to five dollars yeah ross uh Shane Therio asks, Tony, are you an observer? Another great show tonight. Oh, uh, yeah. So, uh, yes. Well, observer, I don't like to say I'm a part of a group. 
it's just not my style, but I'd say I greatly appreciate Ben Davidson's research uh, and commentary around um, global catastrophism based on science, evidence, and reason. Um, and I've certainly followed his channel and a lot of his work for, for many, many years and, and many others, obviously, that um, speak about the similar things from different angles to Robert Schock or Graham Hancock or Randall Carlson or, or you know, other other individuals that sort of brought catastrophism back into um, at least a, a true alternative perspective to be considered, um, not something so relegated to uh, the, the the dark sort of corners of the Internet to not even be considered. So I give them a great and also the electric universe and others. So I give them, give them great appreciation and think they, you know, based on the collation of evidence from multiple different scientific fields from geology, anthropology, paleoclimatology, physics, um, particularly astrophysics. Um, you know, that's, uh, pretty interesting when you look at all the various studies, the various debates, um, how much correlation and how much overlap there is when you look at, uh, naturally occurring cycles, especially, uh, and catastrophe and how, if powers that be possibly have the knowledge of this, how they could weaponize that to, you know, uh, essentially rape the population of even of all the resources possible before, you know, any of these events take place and then gaslight us as though human beings were the reason for the cause of all these sorts of problems when it's well understood um, and many different scientific circles that if, if these if these events take place, such as magnetic reversals or other potential events, um, it has nothing to do with human interaction or human uh, behavior or action in the environment. Um, and these are natural cycles that have been well studied, well mapped out, and well understood for quite some time. So I really greatly appreciate his work. In fact, uh, members of our back end team, um, particularly uh, marketing sort of uh, head of marketing, if you will, Joshua, uh, had a real had some sort of relationship um uh with ben and had ben stay and ben and his wife stayed i think on the property for a little bit he, he knows him sort of personally i should say i was going to try to set up an interview that i was going to conduct with him but i think ben sort of not in this sphere although he appreciates the type of work we do and he acknowledges the importance of being aware of uh the sort of movement towards a new world order global globalization internationalism um or transhumanism, technocracy, whatever sort of words you want to use to describe the elements that make up this, this, this zeitgeist, if you will, of the times. Um, he seems to be very focused on the scientific side. So I don't know if we'll ever bridge that gap. It'd be something I would love to do, but I know we sort of operate in two different spheres, although I think they do interconnect. To give a shout out, though, where there has been some uh, overlap, Greg Reese back in October of 2022 did a brilliant video about potential catastrophe the, the new rise in catastrophism it referenced ben davidson and so if people are interested in checking out his channel suspicious observers and that's with a zero not an o so suspicious and o or a zero rather observers on youtube you can check out he has a bunch of different playlists now that condense a lot of the knowledge that he's gathered over the past almost decade now and some of his he has some very you know how do i say this i don't know if i I'm not going to say I disagree with his uh, conclusions, but we should take him with a grain of salt to some degree as this, this is an evolving, these are evolving sciences, evolving data sets. It's, it's difficult to know, you know, what he has come up with is going to transpire the way he is 
has uh, concluded. I mean, he's basing it on a lot of science and a lot of uh, understanding of these natural cycles and patterns, but I just caution people to not get too caught up into the wave or the, the current of catastrophism in the sense of the, 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 the feeling the existential pull of it or the riptide effect, if you will. Uh, stay rational, you know, eyes open, no fear is what he typically ends with. And I, you know, that's important to be aware of that. There are many factors that go well beyond uh, human behavior, human action in the environment that may be catalyzing certain potential events in the future that far exceed what the powers that be could ever manifest when it comes to potential grid outages, when it comes to prevent, uh, you know, know, uh, potential uh, catastrophes associated with climate disasters and a whole host of things. There may be certain things that they certainly will provide a narrative that it will be maybe something catalyzed by the Russians or through, uh, what was that, um, the World Economic Forum sponsored event, poly, poly, Cyber Polygon. Possible, you know, um, but it also could be something that's far outside our ability to control it, such as interaction with the sun, solar flares, coronal mass ejections, and the weakening magnetic field and these elements that him and many others have been tracking for a long time. So I have great appreciation. I appreciate that donation and comment and it's something I've been uh, aware of for a long time and and uh, appreciate his work. But, you know, again, it's important to view these things rationally and understand that there's a lot to it and he doesn't have a full understanding of the picture. I don't think anyone necessarily does. And he wouldn't necessarily, I think, say he does uh, in, in totality. Um, but it's interesting to consider as a possible a possible uh argument and you know the conclusions he's come up with based on the evidence he at least appeals to evidence and a lot of evidence so it's very interesting to consider especially in light of other individuals that have presented other evidence such as randall carlson or robert shock for example and and many others such as that so with that uh one one last from uh, Skeletor three two two five dollars. The world wants a collectible line of Tony Myers Funko Pops and posable action figures. Please make it happen. Oh boy, we'll, uh, <laughs> brainstorm. You know, I have a Vegeta pop up though. Yeah, I have a uh, yeah little pop toy my buddy got me for Vegeta from Dragon Ball Z. So I was always a big fan of that when I was growing up. So I know he's a big anime nerd. So he'll know what I'm talking about. And Nick, the sound guy, love the uh, theme you got started with there. That was hilarious because I see a bunch of donations based on that. So, um, you know, we're not peeling away clothes here. We're peeling (laughs) away. So yeah, we're not peeling away clothes. We're peeling away bad ideas. You know, peeling away the fog from people's eyes, and hopefully that stimulates individuals, particularly in the mind, and not in the mind below the waist and the mind above the waist to reconsider uh, the world and what's going on in the world and so they can take meaningful and useful action for themselves and their families and their communities moving forward. So with that, let's move to Kyle Dunnigan, which I think is going to have a whole bunch of weird... Well... (laughs) I don't even know how to say it. You know, Stimulation, strippers, cocaine, orgies maybe, who knows what will come out of this fresh press of DC, but I certainly am excited to check it out. So thanks for tuning in, not dropping out. As Rich always says, um, LD, thanks for uh, hosting tonight, getting this you, Tony. show off the ground and smoothing, uh, sailing smoothly. And thank you to everyone that funds us. By the way, Tuesday night, there is a town hall. So Tuesday night town hall, seven o'clock PM Eastern time, become a GTW member, uh, grandtheftworld.com top right-hand corner. 
join community, choose your donation tier. Come join us for the town hall. Past couple town halls have been phenomenal. All the replays should be posted now for those who have been asking. And uh, we, I think we have some interesting guests coming up in the future. I don't know about next week, but in the next couple of weeks or next month or two, we have some cool guests lined up, I think. So that should be a lot of fun. But have a great night, everyone. And here's Kyle Dunnigan to play us out. Kyle Dunnigan to play us out. Press Press of DC. Good night, everybody. Happy birthday to you. Yeah, happy, happy birthday, birthday Dad. Dad. What a terrific surprise from my kids. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> it, it's your birthday. I must have the greatest lines. People say this. People say I have great lines. The greatest. The greatest of lines. Happy birthday, Mr. President and my daddy. Happy birthday to you. I'll tell you, Ivanka, if you weren't my daughter, I'd ask you to blow out the candle in my pants. I'll tell you, very sexy. Very sexy. You're so bad. Make a wish before the storm knocks out our power. Nothing could ruin the wish I'm about to make. Believe me. Everyone knows you make the greatest wishes, Dad. I wish I may. I wish I might. Get Trump back in the White House and do it right now. Uh, uh, I did it. I'm in the Oval Office. Hunter. Hey, Spaz, I left something really important in here. It's really small, so I have to get down close to see it. Hmm, is that the... the... I can't find it. Oh, well, thanks anyway, Dad. Dad. Oh, no. What a total disaster. Well, I was born and raised in Scranton, PA. Lifeguard by the pools where I spent my days. Till a dude named Corn Pop, who wasn't that cool, started making trouble at the swimming pool. So I took a chain, wrapped it around my legs. They're hairier than my other legs. Not, not my, my, black kids would touch them. Come on, man. Then I got on a train and moved to D.C. Jirak Jabrama gave a job to me. I shuffled around and sucked fingertips. Made a big speech, kissed the boy on the lips. What are you looking at? I wrote the damn bill. I hold the ladies tight and sniff all their hairs. First person American to fall up the stairs. Ran for president, I was a winner. Winner was me. Now I sit at my desk as a president. Not, not president. You know the thing. Come on, get your face out of your ears. Hey, hey man, what, what's with all the razzle-dazzle, man? <laughs> well, it looks like Uncle Joe finally kicked the bucket and made it to heaven. Well, you know what they say. Daddy, are you okay? Hey, there's an angel I'd like to sniff. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah, you're, you're the girl from the guy, man. It's not making any sense. Do you know what day it is? Huh? Do you know what your name is? What? Your name. Who? Do you know what your name is? Of course I do. I'm Jigak Jigoggles, precipice of the United Nates. He's just saying gibberish. We need a doctor fast. Yeah, we, we need to get Dad the, the best doctor there is. Yes. Yes, we'll get Daddy the best doctor there is.
Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, Trump, don't freak out. Just pardon yourself and get your beautiful boxes back. It'd be a terrible thing to waste such a great wish that you made. You made probably the greatest wish. Some people say this, and it was the greatest wish ever made. <laughs> this guy is a piece of shit. Hello? Yes, Mr. President? Yes, this is Sleepy Joe. Set up a press conference for me as soon as possible. I want all the networks there. Even the one with that nasty woman who's on TV right now. Which one is that, sir? The one that looks like the eagle puppet from The Puppet Show. Put her in the back with all the other fuggies. Okay. Uh, my name's Dr. Phil, and, and, and it's a pleasure to meet you, Donald. Who? Dr. Phil. No, the other guy. See what I mean? Uh, yeah, your father is more confused than, than a dog with three peckers. Give me a second here. Donald, I'm going to say three words to you, and, and I want you just to repeat those words back to me, okay? Shoot, pal. Telephone, chair, watch. Could, could, could you repeat those back to me? A mop. Uh, could you do me a favor and, and do muffin ears? Great. I'm going to explain what's happening to your father with, with a farm metaphor. See, on a farm there's donkeys, and sometimes a donkey will try to make love to a horse, but, but the horse won't want that. So he, he'll kick the donkey in the head. What are you saying, doctor? Look, look I'm not going to cut your dick off hanging on a tree and say Merry Christmas, okay? I'm, I'm going to be truthful with you here. Uh, I can hear the ocean, man. Your, your father, he, uh, he's a retarded donkey. Good afternoon. It is I, Joe Biden, the worst president in the history of... Jesus Christ. I tell you, you say move the right leg, nothing happens. This thing belongs in a cemetery, believe me. Okay, I've got two things to say, and then I'm out of here taking no questions. Number one, I'm pardoning Trump. He did nothing wrong. Um, what you're saying is so insane, I don't know where to start. Excuse me, excuse me. Number two... I just signed an executive order to give Trump his boxes back. He's illegally allowed to have those, okay? He kept them in a safe place in the bathroom. I put my boxes in a garage. Not very safe. And he keeps the riffraff out of Mar-a-Lago. Believe me. And I'm not talking about the blacks. Trump loves the blacks. He loves the blacks. The blacks and the Puerto Ricans, okay? <laughs> Jesus Christ, I, it's hard to stay awake in this thing. That is all. Thank you. I've been thinking, boys. Maybe what's happened to Daddy is a good thing. Hey, that's my father you're talking about here. Hey, what are you talking about, fucking bitch? Hey, you, you stupid bitch. Listen, according to doctors, he's in the best physical shape of anybody in the world. So we won't be getting our inheritance for a long time. But if he's deemed incompetent, we could seize control of the money now. Oh, that is absolutely diabolical. That's diabolical, and we like it. And I like it. We should send him out on some tour dates so everyone can see how messed up he is. Yes. Yes, no one will question us once they see what a bumbling donkey tardy is. Let's figure out a time to go to the lawyer's office to sign the power of attorney document. What are you on your fucking period? No, you just go to esign.com, you fucking stupid bitch. High five. Esign.com? What's that? It's a website where you securely website, sign your document. It's a website, dummy. It's got .com up there. I don't have to go anywhere to find documents. Ooh. You are a 
dirty little girl, are you? Daddy's dirty little girl. You sign .com is turning me on. I'm about to slide off this chair, hearing about eSign.com. Oh. I can't say I'm not phoned up right now. Oh. How about this? Hey, hey, what's going on, man? Everything's perfect, Daddy. Get some rest. Your tour starts tomorrow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> Next time with a fresh pretzels and best bench. Y M C A. The 2024 presidential debates. President Biden, why would you hide top secret documents in your basement? Because I'm a huge idiot and I shouldn't be president. Hey, watch my mouth, pal. <laughs> what is happening? Conspiracy is the story of history. It's the story of plunderers taking care of people who produce. They claim to take care of them through government, which doesn't give you anything. It doesn't take away first. So it's not creating something out of nothing. It's very real what they're doing. They're taking your rights or taking some people's rights and adding more to someone else's rights. If you haven't heard about our Grand Theft World community membership, here are a few of the things you've been missing. A mobile app where you can access replays of the Grand Theft World podcast and show notes. Access to the Grand Theft World community on Discord, where we crowdsource news and resources, and you can contribute to the show. The opportunity to participate in the Grand Theft World bi-weekly town hall. Exclusive content from Richard Grove, including behind-the-scenes footage and future access to unpublished material. 93 episodes of the Peace Revolution podcast, and the Grand Theft World newsletter delivered straight to your inbox each week. If you want to stay ahead of the great game, visit us at GrandTheftWorld.com, click or tap the button in the top right-hand corner, and join a vibrant community of researchers blazing a new path to truth. We'll see you there.
gods to be revealed in Project Constellation. Big props to Maria, broadcaster, that's where I'd hear and get hooked on the name of Richard Grove. What he's saying is hypnotic. Synchronicity came out like chronic, all in a full stride. Compadres around all sides, seeking sources to provide solution. The heavy handed knowledge is Willie saying the peace revolution. Never knowing I was missing the blessing. The heaviest session recorded and revealed the ultimate history lesson in this quest. And I'm a Midwestern who's rocking it dope. Subscribe to media produced by Tragedy and Hope. And if you didn't know the gift, and here's what you've been missing and listening is where conviction is revealed in descriptions in a brain model. Don't come all hollow, but full throttle and dive in the deep end so history doesn't repeat and make it complete. Catch Grand Theft World every week with Richard and Tony. Chop it up with the homies. And I ain't talking about that public school baloney. In a sec, you should know me. Quoting Gato in the flow that I'm growing. When an LD's bearded is showing the time capsule stack of stats is open. So spread it around, the show is ready to pounce. Audience that abounds, seeking out what's profound. I know it is challenging, fallacies in the balance when a forensic story in it, boring men while exhorting in examination, contemplation, meditation, revelation, celebration, destinations planned, targets arrived. Autonomy crew of souls that survive, broke free from the nine to five, and we're doing it live. Hey, with hope in our flow, where consciousness grows, as opposed to. You don't have to think about it, dude. Cause it's a comedy show that be bombing truth woe trying to make uncommon truths be more commonly known that it's a grand theft world that i'm living in ain't no reptilian skin just some normal humans who love to sin from their banking powers they aim to win deceive and betray all men making everyone slaves to them it's a grand theft world that i'm hearing at the sky's like a pyramid but those tuning in they be feeling that revealing that things ain't what they seem so i'm fighting back and digging jack obtaining knowledge wisdom and artifacts 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 yeah neglected aspect that's what they lack yo trivium course it'll deal with that huh be a rebel bring the logic back because it's a grand theft world that they rolling out got the growth model out tracing rockefeller dollars straight to clouds sec connections are hard to doubt but most go the common route walking with their head in the shroud yo it's a grand theft world that i'm peering at disguised like a pyramid but those tuning in they be feeling that revealing that things ain't what they seem so i'm fighting back and digging jack obtaining knowledge wisdom and artifacts not a video game. This isn't Grand Theft Auto, folks. This isn't a video game. This is Grand Theft World. All right, LD. It's a Grand Theft World that I'm peering at in the sky like a pyramid. For those tuning in, they'd be feeling it. Revealing that things ain't what they seem so I'm fighting back and digging jack, obtaining knowledge, wisdom, and artifacts. If you need a single location to get cutting-edge information and keep up with the rapidly changing world around us, tune into Grand Theft World.
where a forensic historian and a logic professor break down the week's news in depth and in context. There's a ton more there, so go check it out. And don't forget to get your Freedom Vault on the homepage.